Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. This is Cheryl, and I'm so pleased to be here to welcome you to Tara and Rama's Saturday afternoon program, the True Planetary and Galactic History History and True History History of Nasara. Infinite blessings on this first Saturday of the month. Let's go into our work immediately and going into our heart center. We call forth for each of us. We call forth for the full emergence and integration with our soul, with our higher self, with our monad, with our mighty I am presence, and all of our multidimensional beings through to our God presence and goddess presence. See, sense, and feel yourself in a magnificent pillar of light, fully connected to source fully connected to the crystalline heart of Mother Gaia. It is filled with the sapphire blue of the first ray and the violet seventh ray. It anchors fully in you and around you through every cell of your being. As we recommit ourselves to being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age and the open door that no one can shut. We invite everyone in in unity consciousness to receive all that we receive. As we say the following prayer, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with all my family members and loved ones. I am one with all that is. Take a nice deep breath as we connect heart to heart, high heart to high heart, cosmic heart to cosmic heart with every soul on the planet. We invite in for everyone, all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic, all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage, all the generations past, all of the future generations. And we welcome as well all of our spiritual lineage, our soul family, our soul pods. We welcome for everyone, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council and mission council. We welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the mineral kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, and all magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the realms of the angels, from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim, and all angelic healers and healing teams. We welcome the ascended masters, the brotherhood of light, the sisterhood of the rays and rose, the order of Melchizedek, the radiant ones, 
all of the enlightened masters, all divine mother emissaries and divine father emissaries, and all of the planetary and cosmic hierarchy of light and all ascended master healers and healing teams. We welcome all of our friends from the Galactic Federation of Light and their healing teams, especially those that we work so very closely with from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus, from Lyra and beyond, and all cosmic galactic universal healers that can be of service with us here today. We welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify all that we do. Ten, 999 billion times, 999 billion times in alignment with divine will and divine law. We call forth all of the rays, all of the flames, all universal laws, all of the ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received individually and collectively the maximum that we can receive through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our auric field, multidimensionally, and through the conscious, subconscious, superconscious levels of the mind for one and all, And we ask to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we receive with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, and love and light and laughter. We call forth everyone and everything in our circle of support from the very first name that created it. To every man, woman, and child, to every family member and loved one, every pet, every animal, every friend, every neighbor, all of our communities, every group, every organization, every business, every corporation, every institution, each and every nation, each and every military, each and every government, as we call forth that sapphire blue ray and the violet ray to work with each government and each nation across the planet on national, state, and local levels, asking for the assistance of the goddess of justice and the goddess of liberty and all those that work with divine government to work with us here with the executive aspect of each government, each and every president, vice president, prime minister, head of state, each and every cabinet and cabinet post and cabinet member, and everyone that works for the executive aspect of each government, including every governor, every mayor, and so on, and everyone that is working in these departments, that every decision may be blessed 
that every decision may be based on divine governance and heaven on earth, divine justice and divine law. We call forth the same for the legislative aspect of each government. Our U.S. Senate, our House of Representatives. Each and every governing body, each parliament, each legislature, on national, state, and local levels, each city council, each school board, each library board, and so on, and all those that are entrusted with creating laws. And we ask the goddess of justice and the goddess of liberty to ensure that all laws that are enacted or considered or put into place be truly based on divine governance, divine law, divine justice, and a reflection of heaven on earth. We ask the same for the judicial aspect of each government, the Supreme Court, and all of their decisions this year, um, the highest court of the land in each and every nation, all federal, state, and local courts as well, each judge, each jury, each grand jury, each defendant, each prosecutor, each and every case, each and every charge, each and every indictment, each and every decision that all court decisions be made, again, under the guidance of Lady Liberty and the Goddess of Justice, that ensure only the highest and best takes place for all, and that they all reflect divine governance, divine law, divine justice, and heaven on earth. We call on everything else in our circle of support, each weather pattern, each um, climate change aspect, each drought, each flood, each fire, each storm, be it a tornado or a typhoon or a hurricane, um, earthquakes mudslides, whatever else might be going on throughout this nation and each and every nation, we ask for all weather patterns to come into divine balance, divine harmony. We ask Mother Earth to um, assist us with that as we call forth the patterns of perfection for the new Earth to be put in place right here and right now that everyone is recognizing their own divinity, honoring their divinity and the divinity of others, recognizing their own divine puzzle piece and their mission and purpose for being here at this time, that everyone is well-fed and has good drinking water and good housing and um, has all of their needs taken care of, that they may fulfill their spiritual purpose easily and effortlessly and participate in the creation of heaven on earth. We call in all of the energy directed toward 
what's going on uh, in politics, what's going on in Israel, what's going on in um, any number of arenas of life, whether it's our, our sports and our football teams and our school activities and, and our everyday life. All the energy that people are putting forth toward these different arenas we call humbly into our collective cup of consciousness to be utilized by the company of heaven, by the divine presence of each and every man, woman, and child for the transformation of the planet and each person upon her and the creation of heaven on earth. And we ask Gaia to receive all that we receive through her every chakra and meridian and layer of her orc field, through every ley line and song line, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system, through every molecule of soil, molecule of air, molecule of water, molecule of fire, and through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site and place of power, every stargate, every city of light, until the entire planet is the city of light blazing, blazing, blazing in its highest frequencies of love and light as we continue up the spiral of evolution along with Gaia and she takes the rightful place as Freedom Star. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. So I picked out some prayers for peace. The first one is called a hymn for a time of national crisis. So no matter the nation, whether it's this nation or any other nation that isn't going, is having some sort of crisis going on, we say them this prayer for all. Oh God, of all the nations, your ancient prophets saw that kings and institutions are not above the law. Integrity is precious and truth one day will stand. Your way is peace and justice and love is your command. Oh God, when times are troubled, when lies are seen as truth, when power-hungry people drop praise and not reproof, when greed is seen as greatness, when justice is abused, we pray that those who lead us will know what they must choose. We pray they'll gather wisdom and lift up high ideals to guide our struggling nation along a path that heals. We pray they'll have the vision to value each good law, to put aside ambition to seek the best for all. O God of all the nations, may those who lead us see that justice is your blessing, that truth will set us free. Give all of us the courage to seek the nobler way. So in this land we cherish, the good will win the day. So be it and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. We're going to blaze not only the violet and blue flames that work with divine government. We're going to call forth um, the golden ray and flame of divine peace. 
in through and around each of us individually and throughout the planet and each and every nation around the planet. As we say, I am the resurrection and the life of peace. Everywhere on earth eternally sustained. I am the resurrection and the life of peace. Everywhere on earth eternally sustained. I am the resurrection and the life of peace. Everywhere on earth eternally sustained. Almighty Christ I am. Almighty Christ I am. Almighty Christ I am. Beloved mighty I am Christ's presence within and above. Great ascended and angelic host of light. Stop all disruptions to the world's power supply. Food and water supply. Transportation. All communication systems. The internet. Computers. All science and technology. And prevent, prevent, prevent all destructive plans. By the master power flame of cosmic prevention. Prevent, prevent, prevent all destructive plans by the master power flame of cosmic prevention. Prevent, prevent, prevent all destructive plans by the master power flame of cosmic prevention. Beloved mighty Christ I am and all ascended masters who govern and control the powers of nature and forces of the elements Reveal and draw into outer manifestations through the people of Earth, new power sources that nurture, bless, and raise the planet and all life into the Ascended Master's octave of life with all the purity, ease, grace, and harmony of the cosmic law of the great central sun's heart flame. Almighty Rose Christ, I am. Almighty Rose Christ, I am. Almighty Rose, Christ I am. Beloved, I am Christ's presence within and above. Beloved God and Goddess of Peace. Mighty Elohim of Peace and legions of angels of the peace-commanding flame of divine love. Descend into the atmosphere of earth and project your mighty gold and emerald green flames of invincible peace. The peace-commanding presence of all energy, substance, and vibration. Everywhere we abide, every moment of each of every day. Hold in through and around us, our loved ones, and everyone across the planet. Thy peace commanding presence of divine love that forever compels and maintains eternal peace. Expand, expand, expand the cosmic feeling of invincible peace blazing through us into the mental and feeling world of all the people of earth, especially those that are caught in war and violence. Improve the power of the flame of peace and its authority to silence and remove all discord forever. Draw forth into outer physical manifestation the perfection of the seventh golden age everywhere forever. Almighty Christ I am, Almighty Christ I am, Almighty Christ I am. To all presidents, prime ministers, and leaders of nations and their cabinets, congresses, parliaments, and advisors, we say, the light of the Christ and the love of the Mother's presence 
compels you to do the right thing for your country and for the world. So be it, and so it is. I now call forward to Archangel Michael and his angels of the cosmic blue flames of immortal love, immortal power, and cosmic light substance. I welcome the descent of Archangel Michael and his angels of the cosmic blue flames descending to our midst. I call upon precious Archangel Michael and his angels to create a wall of cosmic blue flames around me, around all who seek the light, face the light, and around my loved ones and all leaders of all nations, and cut everyone free of any discordant lines of force. Build a permanent wall of cosmic blue flames and their cosmic light substance around me, around us all, which becomes a mighty pillar rising up 12 feet high, permanently sustained, so that we will all be disconnected from the discordant energies of the world, and that all are free to express the great God presence within, and its great God, Goddess dominion over all human appearances in the outer world. Almighty Christ I am, Almighty Christ I am, Almighty Christ I am. Almighty, I am Christ's presence within and above. I am Christ's presence of all the people of earth. Beloved great divine director, beloved Sananda, Mother Mary, Mary Magdalene, St. Germain, and great cosmic owners of this planet, release infinite oceans of cosmic miracle manifestations into the structure of the earth the atmosphere of the earth, into the powers of nature and the forces of the elements. Release infinite oceans of cosmic miracle manifestations to enter into the minds, bodies, and feelings of the people and into all other kingdoms that share life on this earth, that ends people's selfish ways, that ends all wars and war plans and all violence, that rolls back and silences the sinister force, and that will silence the ability of leaders to use power destructively, that brings an end to all war, all poverty, all greed, that brings an end to all violence and abuse and racism, and that delivers greater peace into the minds and hearts of all the people. It creates a continuous cleansing and purifying activity so that the building of this permanent golden age may unfold more quickly. We give thanks for this as we say, Almighty Christ I am, Almighty Christ I am, Almighty Christ I am. Beloved Mighty Christ I am within and above, Beloved Christ I am of all the people of earth, Beloved Mother Akasha, Beloved Christ, St. Germain, beloved Archangel Michael, and all of your uncountable legions of angels of the sacred fire. Great silent watchers, I call upon the cosmic law of God's sacred fire power and all Christ's authority to charge into all the decrees, will, energy, meditation, 
constructive intentions and visualizations ever given by any of us, by any students in St. Germain, Mother Akasha's, or the Christ Dispensation, and all constructive people, purified, resurrected, and amplified 999 times by 999 billion times by the master power heart flame of the entire angelic and ascended host to save America and all of this planet, including all kingdoms of life, eternally sustained. I am so grateful for your divine intervention and assistance. I send you my love, praise, and gratitude. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. Almighty Christ, I am. And we give thanks for this. And our final invocation. In the, in the name of the ascended Christ that has overcome all human creation and human law, we decree, I am the resurrection and the life of the cosmic Christ, forgiving love, and all Christ's flames, restoring peace, prosperity, and unity in America, in the Middle East, in all of Asia, Africa, Australia, Europe, Russia, and Ukraine, and again, in particular, Israel, here and now, eternally sustained. I am the resurrection and the life of a League of Nations, under Ascended Master guidance that renders powerless all activities of the sinister force. I am the resurrection and the life of beloved Akasha's love, will, and grace, freeing all women from oppression, discrimination, violence, and abuse, reveal, purify, and consume the cause, effect, record, and memory of all beliefs that have degraded the women of the world. I am the resurrection and the life that restores sacred reverence for the feminine side of life, the feeling side of life in all countries of the world now and forever. I am the resurrection and the life that restored that I am the resurrection and the life of the safety, security, protection, and freedom of all refugees and survivors of terrorism, tyranny, and war now and forever. I am the resurrection and the life of angelic protection for all first responders and journalists involved in situations of emergency. I am the resurrection and the life of the people of, of the peace of God that passeth all understanding, taking its dominion in the minds and hearts of all the people of earth. I am the resurrection and the life of Mother Akasha's divine plan fulfilled for every life stream embodied in awaiting embodiment, 
peace be actualized by every life dream right now. May peace prevail in Israel. May peace prevail in Ukraine. May peace prevail in the United States and in every nation across the planet. So be it and so it is. As we proclaim divine victory by saying victory is ours in love governing this planet. Victory is ours in love governing this planet. Victory is ours in love governing this planet. And we give thanks for this. See all of our work sealed in the highest, most exquisite golden frequencies, surrounded by silver and platinum as well. As we proclaim this to be a planet of love and peace and harmony forevermore. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your divine service here this afternoon. I want to invite you to further divine service each and every Sunday and Monday evening for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Call. We begin at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. And we have we start with the greeting for about 25 minutes. We have an update from Tarn Rama about 10 after the hour. And at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific time, we begin our work in earnest of bringing heaven to earth through our meditations, our visualizations, our decrees and our prayers and our updates as well. If this is a teleconference call, the main number to call is area code 480-660-2224. Again, that's 480-660-2224. The access code is 946-7441-POUND. 946-7441-POUND. And we'd love to have you join us and let us know where you're calling from. Know that each and every person that joins us just magnifies the power of our work exponentially as we anchor heaven on earth. So thank you, thank you, thank you again for your service today and on each Saturday. And we want to take this time Oh, to well, I want to remind you as you join us on Sundays and Mondays, there are also uh, international numbers. There's local numbers. If that number doesn't work for you, there's tons of other numbers to use. You can get on through an app and get on through the computer as well. Some people do. And um, if you need that additional information, contact me. You want to email me at Cheryl Croce at AOL.com. That's C-H-E-R-Y-L-C 
C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. So again, thank you for your service. We want to take this time to thank Torn Rama for their service as well and Rainbow for her service. We appreciate you all and I wish you a most magical week. Again, let's make this a week of true miracles and let's be that miracle of love and peace and harmony and divine light that this world needs to experience in each moment. As we live it ourselves in each moment, we anchor it further for every man, woman, and child. And again, I thank you for that service. Much love and gratitude. I pass this talking stick to you, Rainbird, with this uh, sapphire blue, with the violet, with the gold, and of course, every other frequency that we could possibly need to manifest heaven with the assistance of all the elementals and the fairies and the angels and the gemstones and um, every frequency, every flower, um, every aspect of all the kingdoms that are here to support us. So heaven on earth, let's live heaven. And I pass the talking stick to you, Rainbird. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for that talking stick, and thank you for your divine service as well. So we are a listener-supported radio program, and it's each of us that makes it happen. So we're grateful for all your gifts, and uh, each week we have service fees to pay with CBS Radio, and uh, in in. October it is two hundred and no three hundred and nine dollars each week, and um, our update for today is that we need three hundred and nine dollars to finish out September. So I want to thank you all who gifted and and made it made it to there, <laughs> and then we need three hundred dollars for this week. So that's six hundred and eighteen altogether, and be good to be caught up as. And we would be caught up exactly for $618. But, yes, do what you can. Go into your heart space. See what is yours to give. And then go to bbsradio.com. Click on Radio Station 2. And you'll see the icons for on the schedule. You'll see a schedule there. And for Saturday at the 3.30 hour, which is the central time, you'll see the listing of this program, The True History, Hershey, and the Sarah and our Galactic Origin. And you can make a donation by clicking on that icon there, and that takes you directly to our account with CBS Radio. And using your bank card, you can just just uh, make that donation and whatever your heart desires. And if you've not ever done it before, just know that any 5 or 10 or $20 donation works. We're grateful for all your donations, and so, so much gratitude for taking that action. We have two other programs on BBS Radio Station 1. They are Thursday night at the 8, eight o'clock hour, a night at the round table with the panel, and you can click on that icon to access our account. And then we have the Friday night show, The Hard News on Friday nights with Tara and Lama, also at the 8 o'clock hour on Radio Station 1. So you'll see those listings there and click on that icon and you can make a donation there. So 
Thank you for taking that action. We're so grateful for your participation and for paying it forward like that. I know there are many blessings that come that way, and so it's a good way to make an investment with spirit, <laughs> as well as us. All all of us gathering we each week like this, um, we're grateful for every every one of you. So thank you for all the ways you show up in your lives. And, Thank you for making your donations and keeping us on the radio in a good way. We're also assisting Tyra and Rama with their needs. And um, they also got the, um, the the print printer paper paid for and the Verizon bill paid for and some of the windstream paid for. So, again, thank you for those donations coming in in a good way. We're so grateful. They just have $212 left. Have to pay the rest of the windstream bill and to pay the electric bill by the um, Friday of next week. And they also need require two hundred dollars each week for their living expenses. And uh, so we're grateful for for that happening. And that totals four hundred and twelve dollars altogether. So thank you for taking that action. Here's how we make a contribution to Tara and Rama. You want to go to the web address, which is rainbowroundtable.net, and that's the same place you'll find all the information you need on this era and, and lots of other things. But uh, for those of, those of you who are familiar with the Nisera law, uh, there's a 33-page document as you click on Nisera. And... Uh, that's good to check out. And then also, there's a donate link, and that's at the, on the menu. It's near the bottom of the list, and on the homepage, it's all the way over to the right. You'll see the donate link. That takes you to the Rainbow Roundtable um, PayPal account, and um, there you can make that donation in any amount. And if you want to access the Friends option, you need to enter in the email for gifting, and that's how that happens. So you, if you're wanting to make the gift to this email, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 9999 at hotmail.com. And so there you go. Go into that heart space. See what is yours to give and make it happen. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for taking that action. And as you have taken that action, you need to let Rama know and his email address for that is Koran999 at Comcast.net. Let him know what you sent and when you sent it. And uh, and as you need it, the mailing address is Romd Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280. And that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. And I'll say it again, Post Office Box 280, Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567 is the zip. So there you have it, all the information. And again, 13 thank yous and honey in the heart. Long life, no evil, and I'm passing this talking stick, and it's full of those 
that blue ray and the violet ray and the golden light ray and all the frequencies um, for bringing in peace and harmony and um, and love and it also has lots of gems and lots of flowers and all kinds of fairies and feathers. Unicorns and dragons are with it. The Excalibur Sword of Truth is is right there with it. And so greetings, Taran Rama. Here comes this talking stick. Welcome. Greetings. Greetings. Oh, you commanders. Rainbird, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Rainbird. Thank you, Cheryl. I don't remember if I heard you say that, but everybody, when you go to the PayPal on our site and you want to make a contribution there, make sure you you correct me if I didn't hear it right, uh, Rainbird. You always check where it says for family and friends. Did you say that, Rainbird? No, but the friends option is is just gifting with the email, and uh, Rama says there's a little heart there, and um, for friends and and family, they don't call it friends and family, but they they call it gifting. You can always go to the um, <clears throat> the list for suggestions or help or something like that, you know, as support. And as you click on that, and you'll find out how to how to make a gift. And if you're making the gift, then that. It's not a commercial trade thing. And, and, and the important thing about it is that as you do that, they won't take any money for themselves. Yeah, they won't take the commercial charges out. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's if it, if it's any charge at all, it's very less. And 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 if you have your own account, it's probably no charge at all. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, it does make your money go a little bit further, and so. That's important, but not necessary. If it's convenient for you to do the other way, we, I always think it's okay to do that, too. I'm just going to say every single penny counts right now. We're counting pennies here at the moment. Uh, and everybody else is counting pennies because we're at the da- da- most dangerous of times and the most, you might say, evil of times. So thank you, Rainbird, and, and everybody... I hope you get to do what this is, this instruction. It really helps right now. Um, and this goes along with Ram and I were discussing how many dead people in the limelight there are. <laughs> uh, I think we counted ten, but there's a lot more. Um, just a, 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 the list we got... Um, that people know, you know. I just that it's getting to be more and more, but it's just interesting. So, um, Netanyahu is dead. And I think, isn't that a hologram out there? Uh, yeah. Either a clone or a hologram, but, but he's dead. He's been dead for some years now. Biden is dead, and for sure that's a hologram. Trump is dead since March of 2020. Gave himself COVID and off he went. Hillary is dead for a long time. 
maybe 10 years now, right, Norma? Mm-hmm. And that's a hologram. Lindsey Graham's dead for many years. Mitt Romney is dead <laughs> for a lot of years. Rupert Murdoch's been dead for a lot of years. Henry Kissinger, he's been dead for a lot of years. Tony Blair, he's been dead for a lot of years. I was surprised at this one. Emmanuel Macron, president of France, he's been dead for a long time, too. He committed some kind of major crime many, many years ago, but he's been dead for a long time. Why do we have all these dead people in political positions of power? I, uh, I think the King of Swords and all the Faction Three White Knights planned it this way from the very beginning. I don't know. <laughs> I think we do. In other words, um, well, they took themselves out, let's put it that way. Yeah. The thing is, is that these guys thought it was a really locked down thing that they could keep in control of the whole planet and keep everybody slaves, including certain white people, as Henry Kissinger said, we don't need any useless eaters around here. Meaning very, very, very poor white people. So, I mean, and that's another thing. People don't realize how much damage these people have done to Mother Earth. I mean, it's serious. So we just want that to be known. Blaze the violet fire. And blaze the violet fire. And may we continue to do the work, as my brother Marshall said. We have got to do the work. And I know that this small group of ours is doing the work. And thank you, everybody, that made some extra contributions so that yes, we could... thank you. We are so grateful. We're so grateful so that we could uh, catch up with BBS Radio. I'm so glad we got to... Well, Mama didn't do it yet, but he's going to do it in a minute here. And also that we could pay the the bill that Rama uses to call the king and all the faction three white knights. That's great. Alrighty. Um, so let's play Aurora Ray for starters, Rama. Okay. Tell us what the title of this is. This is called Pleiadian Presence, Earth's Eternal Allies in Our Ascension Journey. Mm, this came out two, three days ago, three days ago. And it is really what's going on. And what, Meaning what, Ronald? Meaning this is the real story. The light that is pouring in, in, in today, this very second we're talking here whatever now time this is i could just say the light coming in from the sun is so intense it's so enlightening and at the same time it is precarious to the dark because that are not embracing love and 
our biggest mission, and I always get my tongue in a knot, is sending more love. And um, even Donald Trump. <laughs> I was just remembering and recalling that the Pleiadians came here as the first landing party mission yes. in Kauai. They landed on the backside of Kauai where Kalalau Valley is. And many other places, too. Well, they landed there first, and then they went to... Where they went from Maui to, I mean, from Kauai to Maui. And then they took off and did other places. But the first landing party went, mission was right there in that small little island of Kauai. And it's interesting that we have something now that uh, Hawaii is not a state. And uh, uh, that's pretty disgusting. They never ratified all the, whatever they had to ratify to make it a state. They just, they didn't want Hawaii to be part of this because I said this many times. I lived there for four years and Hawaii is the closest place on the planet to being off the planet in the sense you are, I mean, they've done so much damage there too, not enough. But um, when I was there, it was about, 81, 82, 83, 84. I mean, paradise was everywhere. I mean, the land was pure. They weren't, I know they were doing stuff I didn't know, but it's been, it's just, I'm just saying, what a beautiful place. And let's, and, and again, repeating, within a month after Nassar's enacted, the whole earth will be that beautiful space. And how did you say they're going to do that, Rama? It's called the little magic. The <laughs> little magic. Yes. Believe in the magic, everybody. You know when that little child with the most full of dreams and happy child. There. That place. Uh-oh, here we go again. I have to call Don. Oops, it stopped. Great, thank you, Don. <laughs> All right, so here's here's Aurora Ray. Here we go. Pleiadians unlocking our inner light now. Pleiadians, an extraterrestrial civilization originating from the Pleiades star cluster, actively and definitively assist humanity on Earth through their unwavering and undeniable expressions of unconditional love, support, and guidance. Their existence as benevolent celestial beings is an established fact, providing invaluable assistance to our planet and its inhabitants. If you're not familiar with the Pleiadians, they are a collective of loving and highly advanced extraterrestrial beings who have been working closely with Earth and its inhabitants since the beginning of time. They have full consciousness and recollection of their pre-Earth life on their home planet in the Pleiades star system, as well as on many other planets in our local star cluster. 
They are extremely empathic, compassionate, and spiritual beings whose objective is to assist Earth and all its human inhabitants as we transition into our new golden age or fifth dimension. The Pleiades are our beloved friends, and they are here to help us. They have no problem with humans' free will, and they would never interfere with our choices. The Pleiades work behind the scenes to support us and help the Earth in its ascension process. Characterized by their distinctive energy signature of love and compassion, the Pleiades possess advanced knowledge and capabilities that facilitate the spiritual evolution and collective awakening of consciousness on Earth. Their higher vibrational frequency serves as an indisputable catalyst for positive transformation, facilitating profound healing and enlightenment on both individual and planetary levels. Numerous encounters with the Pleiadians have been unequivocally documented and consistently accompanied by life-altering healing experiences. Utilizing their advanced technology and profound understanding of energetic principles, they transmit transformative healing energies directly to individuals and the Earth itself. The physical, emotional, and spiritual rejuvenation witnessed by countless individuals stands, including me, as indisputable evidence of the transformative power of the Pleiades' love and influence. Furthermore, the Pleiades provide unambiguous and irrefutable guidance and wisdom to those who are receptive. Their messages conveyed through intuitive insights, telepathic communication, and direct interactions bear the indisputable significance of love, unity, and the interconnectedness of all beings. Humanity has been unequivocally urged to embrace its divine nature, surpass limiting beliefs, and collaborate for the betterment of our planet and all its inhabitants. While some may question the existence and involvement of the Pleiadians, their presence as factual entities offering unwavering support remains beyond dispute. They actively manifest as agents of positive change, providing tangible and unwavering assistance on humanity's collective journey toward harmony, love, and profound spiritual awakening. This exploration delves into the incontrovertible interactions with the Pleiadians, presenting their impact on the human experience as an established and undeniable reality. Regardless of differing perspectives, the profound influence of the Pleiadians as confirmed entities continues to inspire countless individuals to work towards a world where love, unity, and profound spiritual transformation prevail. Overall, the Pleiades are here to assist humanity in evolving. This can be viewed as unconditional love, unconditional acceptance, and unconditional support to help humankind go through this awakening more easily. Humanity is being assisted with all that is needed for this evolutionary process to continue as smoothly as possible and with the least amount of suffering for each soul. The Pleiades are also here to exemplify how it can be done lovingly, gently, and gracefully. And for those who want to explore their purpose and join the ranks of their fellow spiritual beings here on the planet in what will become the golden age upon the birth of the new earth, I highly recommend joining the Pleiadians on their mission of love and assisting humankind in evolving in consciousness while attaining a full understanding of ourselves, our true selves in all dimensions, past life incarnations and future lives. 
The information provided by the Pleiadians has always been and will continue to be relevant, helpful, and supportive for those humans who are willing to accept that their lives have meaning and who desire to create a loving and more compassionate world. At some point, we will understand that we've been under electromagnetic warfare for many years, which has negatively affected our DNA and our ability to create natural connections with each other. With the help of the Pleiadians, we will win this battle for our freedom once we open up to their unconditional love and support. It does not matter if you are a believer or not. In reality, we cannot be fully real and live in a 3D world unless we believe that unconditional love exists. This is one of the reasons why I share these channeled messages, so that others can see that love is real and does exist. The attention of the Pleiadians is always intended to assist you with your development process and to further your spiritual growth on this planet. They never lose sight of the fact that you are a sovereign creator in this universe and that you have the ability to bring about a positive change in whatever area of your life you choose to focus on. The Pleiadian energies are flowing through your body as I speak. When you can open yourself up to their divine intentions, they will work with your subconscious mind to illuminate your path toward greater truth and well-being. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. do is Teresa Ballard, right now? Yeah. Okay, where are we with that? Where is she? <laughs> She's somewhere. Um, I want that. Um, hmm. You got something you can read there, Rama? Deepening your journey into science and spirituality. Um. Oh, I found it. Okay. Embark on a journey that will redefine how you perceive and live your life. Watch this video. To learn more about my key offerings and ways we can work together. I think that's good to start. Here we go. It's 14 minutes and 15 seconds. Have you ever felt that the narrative we've been told about our world is an illusion? An illusion that veils us from the truth of who and what we are. And in that illusion, we've created a collective way of life that traps us into a matrix. The big question is, are you ready to break free to discover who you really are and your true purpose in this life? 
Both ancient wisdom and modern science reveal a far greater potential for humanity than what we're currently manifesting. Be part of a growing community of game changers who are paving the way for a shift in a new consciousness. It's time for us to awaken to that and to shape a new future for our world. Join me for a journey of discovery and transformation into a new paradigm way of life. I'm Dr. Teresa Bullard, and I want to welcome you to my site and give you a little opportunity to get to know me, who I am, and what I do. So first of all, I have a PhD in physics, uh, so I come from a scientific background, and that informs a lot of my worldview and my way of thinking about things. Uh, but in addition to that, I am also a spiritual teacher with the Modern Mystery School. So I travel internationally teaching metaphysical concepts and programs and tools for empowerment to help people really transform their lives. And third, I'm the host of Mystery Teachings on Gaia TV, where I really bridge the science and the spirituality together. And that is really what I'm all about. Welcome to the world of Dr. Teresa, where transformation meets quantum possibility. Get ready to embark on a journey that will expand your consciousness and empower you in ways you never imagined. Dr. Teresa offers a range of transformative experiences that will forever change the way you perceive and live your life. First, let's dive into the Quantum Transformational Formula, an online course that will shift the way you navigate reality. Imagine having access to a comprehensive guide that takes you through the seven-step Quantum Transformational Formula. Each module provides you with practical and easy-to-follow steps. These exercises are thoughtfully designed to seamlessly integrate into your daily routine allowing you to harness your time and energy efficiently. The result? You'll maintain a peak state throughout your day. For those seeking an in-person transformational experience, consider joining Dr. Teresa for Empowerment Week. Empowerment Week is an immersive journey designed to elevate the quality of your life. It's about becoming consciously aware of your role in the world. During this week, you'll delve into the Mystery School lineage tools and teachings rooted in ancient arts and sciences of metaphysics. These teachings catalyze your growth, and empower you to become the best version of yourself. But that's just the beginning. Dr. Teresa also offers Quantum Minds TV, which is a portal into deep, meaningful, and organic conversations with some of the most brilliant minds and thought leaders. These discussions are a pathway to positive awakening and human consciousness. Check out the full episodes on YouTube, but first enjoy this quick preview clip showing a compilation video of Quantum Minds TV. How would you treat yourself? If you just thought about it that way, this person is actually me. I'm talking to myself. Wow. Well, let me treat that person how, how I would treat myself. And then the whole paradigm shifts instantaneous. But you have to come to some conclusion that all of us are just really one person. There's only one consciousness. And everyone that's out there is just another reflection of you. And so if you're truly loving yourself, you're going to love everyone. We're multidimensional. Healing is happening on multiple dimensions, you know, and that's really the point. You'll never change the world by fighting against the things you don't like. So if you want a new world, find a new model that makes the old model obsolete and people will follow the new model and the old model falls away. 
we're entering a time where we're meant to all be awakening. We're all, all meant to become our own guru, our own spiritual adept or master. And yet there are certain keys and certain concepts or teachings that we need to work our way through to help us awaken to that. We're not in a time of giving our power away anymore. We're in a time of reclaiming our power and our ability to be our consciousness and our ability to, to heal each other and heal the world. We are part of a living universe. We are part of a divine universe. It is all within us, but also surrounding us. The cosmic dance of life continues. So we realize that we are co-creators. We are homo universalis, rediscovering itself. Homo meaning humanity, universalis meaning universe. We are a living demonstration of the divine spark in human form. Without gratitude, you don't have enough in your life. You'll always be ungrateful about the things you don't have. So the first thing we do if we want to make a change or improve is we have to count our blessings. It's kind of almost nursery school in its understanding, but that's because it's such a foundation. The things you're grateful for, count them and know that the change is going to come from the things you're grateful for. It's one that deserves extra attention. We actually, from where we are, can make a difference on the planet. And of course, if we can go out, do something, help the homeless, you know, do the food kitchens, whatever, we can also increase that ability. We have to be living, productive beings, both in consciousness and in physicality. It is our duty to become technological wise, to, to construct spaceships again, and then to spread out the intelligent form of life in the whole universe. We can all rest in the joy of knowing the measurable and immeasurable aspects of our being. And finally, don't miss out on Dr. Teresa's book, The Game Changers. By reading this book, you'll gain insights that equip you to harness transformative opportunities in our ever-evolving world. So whether you're ready to embark on an online journey, engage in profound conversations, experience personal transformation, or dive into enlightening literature, Dr. Teresa has a path for you. Let's now enjoy a clip from Dr. Teresa's Science of Consciousness webinar. This 60-minute course can be purchased online at TeresaBullard.com. And I'd like to thank you for joining me on this talk, this presentation about bridging science and consciousness, and in particular about quantum consciousness and what that really means. Um, <clears throat> I have some slides that I'd like to share with you, so I'm going to be going back and forth between my slides and the video. Uh, so to begin with, let's just dive in. Now, from the subatomic to the cosmic, we are multidimensional beings of, of vast potential. And But how do we access this potential? What are the keys to awakening this? And I propose that the keys are revealed to us by quantum physics. Now, the word quantum today gets thrown around a lot, uh, especially in New Age circles, in trying to give some form of scientific backing to spirituality. But I would like to help you understand more about what quantum really means and gain some deeper insights into um, how, what it actually reveals to us about ourselves, our universe, and our potential. So throughout this process, we're going to be talking quite a bit about quantum principles, as well as the principles of vibration, resonance, and coherence. And let's start right there with coherence. What is coherence? Uh, now, coherence means something is laser-like. 
it is all vibrating at the same frequency, all in phase or uh, synchronized with each other, and all moving together in the same focused direction. So to be coherent is to be laser-like. And you can see some examples here of incoherence, where everything is sort of at different vibrations and different rates, uh, versus coherent, where everything is all in phase, all at the same vibrational rate. So coherence is a really important concept um, when it comes to accessing the quantum field and accessing really in general higher states of consciousness. Um, so the question then becomes, how can we create coherence within ourselves so that we can really uh, start accessing those higher states of consciousness and connecting into the quantum field? So what are those keys to consciousness? Now, some people say that consciousness is about the brain and that it's all about the neurons firing off in the brain and you have these different neural synchronizations and different areas of the brain firing off and that that is what creates consciousness. Now, that is a very um, materialist view uh, to the approach of what consciousness is, that it's more of a epiphenomenon of the brain, but this is starting to fall apart. This argument is starting to fall apart. To say that consciousness starts in the brain, I would say the brain is actually more like a receiver to consciousness. And we know even just biologically, for example, that not only do we have um, the, the brain waves and these neural oscillations in the brain, and yes, we can achieve higher states of consciousness or meditative states of consciousness by shifting our brain waves. Um, the, the brain can be synchronized between the left and the right sides from front to back as well as top down. And there's multiple ranges that um, of frequencies of brainwave oscillation that correlate. Let's just say they correlate with different states of consciousness. So very high frequency, like beta waves, gamma waves, high frequency, above 13 hertz usually means we're in a waking state. We're active, we're focused on the outside world, we're doing things. But as we start to meditate, as we start to close our eyes, as we start to rest and relax or even go to sleep, we start dropping into slower frequencies of brainwaves down to alpha, theta, and even delta. Now, when we're in delta, that means usually we're like in a very, very deep sleep or a coma even or out-of-body state or, you know, it's it's, it's this um, very deep state where people would say, well, you're not so conscious at that point. Uh, but I would say that you can be conscious at that point. But the key here is also to realize that the neurons and these frequencies do not necessarily originate in the brain. Some of them might, but we are now discovering that the heart actually has its own neurological system. The heart is considered now as another brain center, sometimes even more important than the brain itself. Um, the heart has a large number of neurons and glial cells that function semi-independently as its own neural network. And it, science is even showing that the heart is sending more signals up to the brain than the brain is sending down to the heart. And the heart even starts its beat and its frequency and its entrainment uh, 
prior to the brain even forming. The heart is one of the first organs in the body to even form. Um, now, if we want to achieve a coherent state within the heart, just like we can achieve a coherent state within the brain through synchronization of left, right, top, down, and front, back, we can achieve coherence within the heart, and that has to do with the variability of the heartbeat or the heart rate itself. And so we want to bring the heart to a very regular rhythm, a very coherent state is one where there's not a lot of variability, there's not a lot of fluctuation. And so uh, the Heart Math Institute has really shown us that we can achieve this kind of a heart coherence through experiencing and expressing um, the energy of gratitude, of love, of joy, and sending that out, not just feeling it for ourselves, but sending that out as well to others. Thinking about someone we're grateful for, thinking about someone we love, thinking about things that bring us joy, especially out in the world. Um, and so heart coherence is a really important state of being, which then informs the brain. But the neurons in the body go even deeper than this. They go down to the gut. And the gut has uh, its own what they call the enteric nervous system. There's 100 million nerve cells lining the gastrointestinal tract. That's even more nerve cells in the gut than you have in the spinal column and the peripheral nervous system. Now, not only does our gut manage digestion, it also communicates up to the brain, again, sending more signals from the gut up to the brain than from the brain down. And it connects directly into our limbic system of our brain. It influences our moods, our emotions, our motivation, our memory, intuitive decision-making. I'm sure everyone here can relate to that, that feeling of having a gut instinct. Um, that is our intuition, and we often make a lot of our decisions based on our gut instinct. Now, gut coherence is something we can also accomplish to create a, a peaceful, really harmonious uh, state of being, which also supports, for example, there's a lot of um, serotonin that gets produced within the gut and then is sent up to the brain, so it will really help to lift the mood. So the best way to do that, to achieve that coherence within your gut, is deep belly breathing. Um, and to breathe deep, deep, deep into the gut, into the diaphragm, even deeper if you can, and then as you breathe out, you want to extend the breath out as long as you can. All right. So now we're going to go to, this is part of a TV uh, production that I saw the other day. And Medea Benjamin was the host, and it's called Urgency in Pursuing Peace in Ukraine. And we're going to focus on the real, the most important guest, and that's Cornell West. So mm -hmm. that's what we're going to do. So let's see, we got to get started, don't we? I just got to make sure that the sound is all the way up. Hmm. Um. Why is this not playing? Mm -hmm. Hold on, everybody. 
keynote speaker tonight, and I don't know about you, but I am so excited that this treasure of a human being is running for president. When you look at the two other people that might very well be the candidates for the Democrats and Republicans... And you see Joe Biden and Donald Trump. You think, what the heck is wrong with our country? What the heck is wrong with our country? And then comes along this beautiful human being who says that he's going to run and says that there is hope for this country because there are people around the country who want to see an end to war, who want to see the real needs of human beings being met, and who wants to move us to what the poster right there says that Anahita is holding up with Dr. Cornell's face right there, which is truth, justice, and love. I don't think I really need to say much about consistency, but it does feel a theme. The first time I saw Dr. Cornell Wilson in Crampton Auditorium just up the road from me in 2004, I will date myself on that. But the fact of the matter is there's never really been a time where we need our figures of public notes to stand up and to speak out and to be counted on the issues that matter. There's been no time for quite some time where those who stand up and speak out end up being persecuted by those who are friendly to all of the crimes going on around the world today. But when the mass media is silent, when the politicians are silent, that's when the people have to raise their voice to change the political climate in this country and around the world. It's possible it can be done, and it absolutely will be done with all of us when we have great leaders and great people standing up for us and standing up against this war. Dr. Cornell West, please come to the stage. We're honored to be here alongside suffering of those friends who now call the wretched of the earth and nothing is going to stop us no matter how catastrophic the situation is and no matter how dim and grim it looks I want to begin by saluting my dear brother Eugene I can see for almost 20 years brother he's strong as ever you give it up for that brother love that brother and that's Howard University isn't it Oh, that's Stokely Carmichael, isn't it? That's Tony Morrison, isn't it? Lord, we ain't got the Donnie Hathaway yet. Lord, have mercy. Roberta Flack. Sister Medea. Oh, Anita and I have a profound respect and love for you. Longevity of integrity with levels of courage and unbelievable determination with that smile still on your lovely face. Give it up for our good sister, Medea. 
Nobody like her. Nobody like her. Sister Claudia, what a blessing to see you. You strong as ever. And somewhere I read you connected to Union Theological Seminary. Is that right? Yes, indeed. It's you and I connected to the great legacy of James Cone, Beverly Harrison, Katie Cannon. Oh, we can go on and on and on. Give it up, my dear Sister Claudia. Indeed, yes, what a blessing, what a blessing. And Brother Lee, Brother Lee. Oh, it's hard to get language for a comic artist whose heart flows with deep love and courage and still got his own distinctive style. Brother Lee, we salute you. Give it up for our brother. I want to begin with three epigraphs just in order to set the stage. Uh, Sonny Rollins once told me that he and Coltrane would get together and speak for hours. <laughs> but they were always concerned about what was the relation of the present picture with the larger picture. That's the synecdochic imagination, a relation of parts and wholes. It's a relation of our present situation related to the past and the way in which pastness operates in the present such that we can be able to take a stand to authorize a better, more visionary future that focus on poor and working people. So I want to begin with an epigraph from the great W.B. Du Bois, the greatest public intellectual in the history of the American Empire. But he was there at the founding of the United Nations of San Francisco, and on the way back in June 27, 1945, he wrote in the Chicago Defender, the leading black newspaper of the day, June 27, 1945, called The Winds of Time. He said, I envision, he almost says with tears in my eyes, I envision the emerging of a third world war with the American empire attempting to suppress Asia and stranglehold Russia. Why? In part, the legacy of the colonies. And the truncated character of the United Nations. And he made his way all the way to New York. He told his very good friend, Paul Robeson, that we have got to launch an anti-war movement. But that anti-war movement must be but a moment in an anti-imperialist project, an anti-imperialist vision, an anti-imperialist analysis, an anti-imperialist praxis in the name of solidarity, which means it's going to cut across a whole lot of folk who disagree with each other, but they'll be in the same streets and go to the same jails. <laughs> oh yes, and that's what's so deeply, deeply needed. Because W.E. Du Bois and Paul Robeson understood that so much of the history of the species is the history of organized greed and hatred and avarice and resentment and envy, structures of domination, oppression, subjugation, and unbelievable exploitation. And all we've ever had as a species are moments of interruption. Moments of eruption. And that's when everyday people straighten their backs up. And anytime everyday people straighten their backs up, they're going somewhere because the ruling class can't ride your back unless it's bent. Yeah. That's courage. 
being shallow and hollow unless you don't have courage, which is the enabling virtue. And if we have any talk about an anti-war movement, any talk about an anti-imperialist vision analysis and praxis, we have to have people who are in solidarity, who get beyond their petty differences and be able to hold hands symbolically and literally and fight by straightening your back up. Brother used to play organ in my church on the chocolate, chocolate side of Sacramento, Shiloh Baptist Church. Named Sylvester, but the world knows him for the genius that he is. His name is Sly Stone. And he wrote a song called Stand. You've been sitting much too long. There's a permanent crease in your right and wrong. Stand. There's a cross for you to bear. Things to go through. If you're going anywhere. Second epigraph comes from Martin Luther King Jr. That's the same Martin Luther King Jr. was in that paddy wagon for four and a half hours when he rode from Atlanta to Reedsville Prison. And Daddy King told me, he said, when Martin, my son, got out, he couldn't walk a straight line. German shepherds had disoriented him so. He didn't know when he was going to be bitten. He didn't know when he was going to be pushed against the wall. He couldn't walk one line and all he could say was, Daddy, this is the cross we must bear for the freedom of our people. That's the cross the slide was talking about. There is no serious sacrifice or burden that we have to bear that will not allow us to sustain our solidarity to create moments of interruption here and around the world in light of the war machine coming out of the U.S. Empire. Yeah, so it's not just a matter of how grand your vision and how splendid it is. It's not just a matter of how subtle and sophisticated your analysis. But if you're not willing to throw down, put your body where your words are. Brother Jim knows we've been to jail so many times with Carl Dix and the others. And what Martin said was, my own government is the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. Yes, indeed. When he said it, he already signed his death certificate. But he understood he'd rather be dead than afraid. He'd rather be a corpse than a coward. That's what we're talking about. Because the gangsters who run the American Empire, they'll do anything to preserve their interests. They'll do anything to procure their profits. They'll do anything in the names of lies and crimes and mendacity and criminality to trivialize the suffering of precious brothers and sisters around the world but who are disproportionately chocolate. <laughs> and each life is equal. Each life has the same value and significance. Because I'm still an old school revolutionary Christian like Martin King. I believe that every human being, every baby, he could be a baby in Palatine, on the West Bank, he could be a baby in Argentina, he could be a baby in Ukraine, he could be a baby in Moscow, he could be a baby in Puerto Rico, he could be a baby in Guatemala, he could be a baby in Idaho. <laughs> say that in the name of Ezra Pound, he's from Idaho. Yeah. Great poet, but fascist. 
Things are complicated in the world. But the important point is that we have to have that kind of moral consistency and ethical constancy. It could be a precious, precious young Iranian sister dealing with suppression in Iran. It could be brothers and sisters in Mississippi. And that's where the third epigraph comes from. The last speech that Malcolm X gave outside of New York City, February 16, 1965, in Rochester. Went back to the city of Frederick Douglass. And oh, you get a chance to read that powerful speech. And what did he talk about? He talked about war. He implicitly invoked Carl Van Clausewitz philosopher of war and his text on war published in 1832 the year after he died by his wife he said nobody wants to talk about war he says I've been in this struggle now for 12 years ever since I got out of the prison and I was in it before the prison but I didn't know it was Malcolm Little he said there's been a war going on against indigenous peoples for 400 years there's been a war going on against black folk in Africa, black folk in Rochester, brown folk in Mexico. And he added, people don't like acknowledge this about Malcolm. Malcolm said, well, for the truth, anybody who says it, I'm for justice, anybody who promotes it, but I'm first and foremost a human being, a black man, and a Muslim. So that's about as humanistic as you can get with his own deep religious twist. And he said, we need to talk honestly candidly about the levels of war because some of us come from a people who have had to have armor of spiritual and political and tremendous cultural power in the face of multi-layered wars. I'm a black man who comes from black people who for 400 years dealing with white supremacist bombardment everyday mediated with predatory capitalist processes shot through with male supremacists and homophobic and transphobic practices too. And if you don't get yourself together, you're going to give up real quick. You're going to cave in real fast. You're going to sell out and act as if you're in the vanguard for struggle for something bigger than just your narcissistic ego and agenda. Right. Oh, that's what we're talking about. Who Cop City. Mexican brothers and sisters trying to get into California from 1846 when the U.S. Empire stole half of Mexico. Some of them just coming home. Ain't got the memo yet. That was the illegal war. It was the immoral war. That's still Mexico. Absolutely. Even Ulysses S. Grant writes about it in the memoir. It was a phonious war and he was in the war as a lieutenant and hadn't even become general in the civil war yet. It's interesting how some of these folks begin to tell the truth after. You know, like the war the war criminal Henry Kissinger. Well, we didn't have anything to do with Chile, you know, it just was, was accidental that they overthrew it. Yeah, they quit lying. Right. And then in the memoir, yeah, of course, the CIA was fundamental. It was fundamental. Absolutely. They're going to say the same thing about Julian Assange. Oh, 
yes, exposing the vicious crimes of the American Empire. Same thing about Snoop. Same thing about Mumia Abu Jamal. Same thing about H. Rap Brown El Hameen. Same thing about Lennon Peltier. Same thing about folk who told the truth. And sooner or later, truth crushed the earth will rise again. No lie can live forever. So part of our challenge is to understand the backdrop. 1492, beginning of the of the world, when those small nations between the Euro Mountains and the Atlantic Ocean began to reshape the whole globe in their interest and in their image, owing to their imperial power. Contestation of those European empires, leading toward what? The end of the age of Europe in 1945 with the most indescribable catastrophic consequences and most visibly in so many ways within Europe, the inability to come to terms with the precious Jewish brothers and sisters given the unbelievable anti-Jewish hatred that was unleashed, not just by Nazis in Germany, there's a long history of it throughout Europe, throughout Europe. And Europe ends up a divided, dependent, deferential continent to two empires, the Soviet Empire on the one hand and the U.S. Empire on the other. And with now the Americanization of the world and with the American Empire in such unbelievable decline and decay, it's undeniable. Look on the streets. Social housing versus real estate development. Gentrification ain't nothing but land grab and power grab. Just another cycle of what an imperial project is all about. It's just urban. Look in the hearts and minds and souls of our fellow citizens wrestling with levels of despair and despondency with escalating suicides and escalating drug overdoses making it difficult even to cultivate the very capacity to love because love itself is a magnificent interruption in the history of the species given the history of lust and manipulation and domination tied to vicious forms of male supremacy and other such realities. One reason why black people one reason why black folk talk so much about love when you've been hated like us, love is liberation. Love is emancipation. Love is subversive. Love is revolutionary. To be bombarded for 400 years and told you have the wrong hips and lips and noses and hair pigmentation and told you're less beautiful and less moral and less intelligent and then you still have to straighten your back and when you can't talk about peace unless you're talking about the presence of Justice. And justice is what love looks like in public. It is. Just like cultivating the capacity for intimacy, tenderness is what love feels like in private. You can't have a movement if you don't have tenderness and kindness in your solidarity, even as you have deep disagreements. And for some of us, we just want to make it soulful. I'm not talking about being on or off the beat. 
our musicians are the vanguard of our movements. Musicians are the vanguard of the species. And they understand the soul ain't nothing but the sharing of a soothing sweetness against the backdrop of a grim catastrophe. That's what strange fruit is all about. Maripole Jewish Brothers lyrics in the genius of Baltimore City. Billy Holiday singing about catastrophe. Not a problem, a catastrophe. Looking for what? Justice. Tied to peace. And one of the saddest things during the Obama years, one of the reasons why so many of us who were critical of Brother Barack understood it was not just about policy. There was a time in which the black community was the most anti-war community in the history of the American empire. And here come Barack Obama dropping 71 bombs every day, 26,117 in one year in seven country and walk around with the Nobel Peace Prize. That's a key sweat moment. Something, something just ain't right. The lies, the dissonance, the hypocrisy of it all. What does that got to do with Ukraine, Brother West? Everything. Because if we're not talking about an anti-imperial vision and project, as my dear sister and others noted, if we're not talking about demilitarization tied to decommodification, tied to decolonization, leading to a wholesale democratization so that everyday people's voices can be lifted to shape their destiny to get the oligarchs and the plutocrats off of their backs. But no matter how strong our anti-war movement is, we're going to go somewhere else. Because so much of this is precisely about Human survival, as my business is my dear That's what it's about. The self-destructive tendencies of the human species. We are a wretched species. Oh, that's pessimistic. No, no, no. That's, that's retail pessimism. I'm not, that's not wholesale pessimism. I'm a blues man. Blues not pessimistic. Not optimistic. What is it? Prisoners of hope. Because you have to do something. Can't just talk about it. Sing your song. Engage in your practice. Create your solidarity. Sustain what you're trying to do. That's what we're talking about here. How do we demilitarize and keep track of the precious suffering of Ukrainian brothers and sisters, but understand the NATO expansion not simply with a provocation, but it part and parcel of overall pattern of U.S. imperial activity that's been going on for decades and decades and decades. Panabal been invaded 22 times. Jesus. What are we talking about? Cuba six times. What are we talking about? Haiti. Looks like there's going to be another occupation coming. How do we keep track Vision, analysis, not be overwhelmed by it, but like blues folk, look the catastrophe in the face and not allow it to have the last word. <laughs> oh, that's it. That's it. That's it. B.B. King said, nobody loves me but my mom and she might be driving too. <laughs> that's catastrophic. All the forces of the world and the cosmos against you. The one person you thought in your company.
Now that the whole planet has the blues, <laughs> the whole nation has the blues, we all learn something from the best of a blues people. We lose everything. The species, life on the planet, the sliver of democracy that's still limping along given the ways in which poverty and militarism and materialism and forms of racism, sexism, homophobia and transphobia and so forth are squeezing out the best of our democracy. And sometimes all you can do is do what our magnificent artists did to start this program and do what? Sing a song. Sing a song. Our precious Hasidic brothers and sisters always say in the face of the morning of catastrophe, you weep, you're silent, and you sing a song. I come from a tradition where the spirit will not descend without song. With all of our analysis, and you've heard the data, 800 military bases, 85 countries, special operations, 160-some countries, 3,829 military units in the United States. China got one in Jabu. They supposed to be so empirical. And for hundreds of years. And that doesn't mean that China doesn't have its repressive elites. I'm with my Muslim brothers and sisters when they mistreated the Yuga people. We gotta be more than consistent. But Chinese imperialism pales in the face of the largest empire in the history of the species. 68th empire. There's been 70 empires. Since the empire emerged out of Africa, the United States is number 68 and has done the most damage in treating human beings as if they do not matter how many pressures Iraqi did we invade, occupy, kill, annihilate, and nobody says, not nobody, nobody in the powers that be say a mumbling word. Reminds me of the unbelievable cowardliness of these same politicians. They can't say a mumbling word with 551 Palestinian babies are killed in 51 days, and all you can talk about is Israel has a right to defend itself. Please. Where's your morality? Where's your spirituality? Where's your truth telling? Where's the te- what happens when it comes to your house? What happens when the catastrophe comes to your neighborhood and all of a sudden you want to be on the cutting edge of morality? That's, I quote, the roster of this new moment of an anti-war momentum and possible movement. It takes a lot to create a movement. Now, you just can't call for it. You got to build it. But it has to be a moment within a larger anti-imperialist so that they could be possibly a new world. Thank you all so very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's it, folks. That's one for the record. I'll just say when this gets back and put into the BBS radio place, um, care to listen to it again, it's really worth listening to. He said a mouthful. I hope I can maybe sometime trans- transcribe it. I don't know when the time's going to come, but he said it all. All right. 
Now it's time for Michaela Sheldon and Ethan Fox mm. to say a little bit about this. We probably won't finish with them, but we'll get started. As you don't have, oh, YouTube Premium, la, 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 you can, la, 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 la. yeah, you can watch them on Rumble now. Mm. It says search AAE. What does that stand for, Ronald? Awake and aware. Pardon? Awake and aware. Oh, you can say it out loud. Oh. Everybody can hear. Awake and aware, what's the E for? I'm not sure. Okay, awake and aware something, but that's a unrumble. Oh, that means awaken and power. Mm. Oh. I guess it could, yeah, the first A is for awake, the second A is for and, and the E is for empowered. Okay. And there's a podcast on Spotify and the Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So there's plenty of places. iHeartRadio, Alexa, and others. And they said they'll also be watching on many more platforms without ads. Yeah, we still got to watch the ads at this point, but anyway. So in this episode of Channeled Revelations, Michaela channels the Council of Light. Ethan and the guides discuss the stories of Anki and Lil, Marduk, Egyptian god Ptah, and Ra, and their reptilian counterparts, such as Yahweh. Oh, very interesting. Topics include the physical and crystalline DNA, the use of intertwined snakes in ancient to modern iconography, the origins of Freemasonry, and God worship. Differences in architecture in cities in Egypt versus Mesopotamia and how world leaders are being affected by their proximity to human beings. Uh, okay, so everything else we know, they're just describing themselves. Oh. So let's get started. This is two hours and 11 minutes. Here we go. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Channel Revelations. I'm Ethan Fox, and I'm here with Michaela Sheldon. We'll be spending the next couple of hours talking about ancient civilizations and ancient wisdom we can apply to our modern lives. And this is a series, so if uh, it's something we're discussing today you're not familiar with, it uh, is probably covered in a previous show. As I always say, Michaela is a trance channel, and I don't discuss any of the questions or topics with her ahead of time so that she can, uh, so her conscious mind doesn't interfere with the information in any way. But she is a trance channel, so we'll be speaking directly to the guides. So whenever you're ready, we can start. All right. Okay. Okay, so who is with us today? We have the Council of Light. 
I want to now, in, in the previous shows, we've discussed a variety of topics and we've addressed the Great Flood in detail from many perspectives. And we've also gone into the Anunnaki lineage as well as the reptilian lineage as well. And um, so now that we have all of that foundation uh, behind us, I want to revisit some of the original topics we discussed in some of the earlier shows and go back to the time of the Great Flood and establish some of the identities of um, individuals around that storyline. Now, in, in many uh, ancient Mesopotamian myths, Sumerian myths, as well as um, biblical texts as well, we have different storylines with different names. Um, so different names, for example, in the Bible, they use the word, uh, the name Noah. In Mesopotamian myths, they use Utnapishtim, for example, which um, they both have very similar flood myth storylines. Um, and we also discussed before how uh, Yahweh was a collective of reptilian beings and um, uh, how um, reptilian beings tend to be at, at the top of mountaintops as well. And then, of course, Noah uh, in the biblical text seems to have been helped by Yahweh to survive the flood. But there's also some conflicting information that I want to clear up because, as we've discussed in one of the earlier shows, um, the Mesopotamian or Anunnaki myths or stories tend to suggest that the, and we've discussed this before, how the Great Flood was um, orchestrated as a result of um, a nuclear event on Nibiru as well as um, events on Earth. And the uh, in the Mesopotamian or um, Sumerian or Anunnaki storylines, it talks about how uh, Enlil wanted to wipe out um, humanity on Earth, but, but largely because he felt like um, they were, uh, we had become more corrupt and, um, and the text some refer to as noisy. Uh, and uh, also, um, at the same time, Enki was opposed to it. So the Anunnaki met together to decide whether or not to allow the um, civilizations on Earth to be eliminated through the Great Flood. Um, and Enki and several others were for doing it. And um, I'm sorry, Enlil uh, were for it. And Enki had a love for humanity, according to the text and was opposed to it, but ultimately he was uh, outvoted. And so in the in those myths, they suggest that it was Enki who helped Utnapishtim or Noah or Aziz Sudra to, so there's three different names that are used for Noah, to um, survive the flood and to continue forward humanity. So there are all these different stories, one where Yahweh, which we've discussed as a reptilian being, saved Noah, uh, another one where Enki is the one who saved um, Zia Sudra, I think it was in that particular storyline. And of course, in the Mesopotamian myths, that character also is called Utnapishtim. So well, first thing I want to clear up is um, the per individual who saved Noah, Utnapishtim, Zia Sudra, was that Enki or was that Yahweh? Or is there some other understanding here that, that we're missing? Well, perhaps the context of the story is misleading humanity. And, and we always like to remind you that in any ancient translation, it is not always an account of what happened literally on the planet at this time, because those who were recording 
uh, these various events. We're doing so uh, through the translation of symbology, and this may be why there are multiple names and perhaps what seems to be different timelines describing the exact same event. Because remember, you are dealing with uh, multidimensional beings that existed on the same planet during the same period. So, so what we think is easier to understand is that there was a malevolent force that was focused on suppressing the power of humanity and in so doing were creating a lot of interference on the planet. Much of what we have spoken of before in regards to technology, for example, and of course, we must also account for the various planetary events and different frequencies that were incoming at the time. Um, even though each story has its own character, uh, what we want you to consider is that this represents not one, but many. So you might ask, was there an actual Noah who was incarnate on the planet at the time of these events? And, and we would agree, yes, that that Noah was somewhat an, an oracle and a translator himself of information. And in describing what was about to happen in these events, uh, perhaps he was not fully aware that he was translating from a force that may have been a bit more malevolent. So the idea of being saved um, also must come into the conversation as we've been alluding to the idea that uh, humanity has been led to follow saviors or gods or goddesses in in uh, many respects. And this is also a part of the presentation of these stories in, in symmetry is there was an all knowing, all um, wise and supportive God or entity that was giving information to those who were preparing others for events that would follow. And while certainly these events led to the same outcome Perhaps um, it wasn't necessarily the best information to be sharing at the time. In other words, it seems as if uh, Noah was a noble individual who was able to support the rebirthing of the human population. But the account of the story that we want to share has more to do with the polarity of darkness and light. and different um, malevolent and benevolent forces being involved at the time, because certainly there was a, a great um, um, focus on genetics. And this, while not being obvious in the story, must also be understood. Um, the seeding that had happened prior to these events was something very important to those that were observing the earth from afar. Uh, and so, a great many came on ships, for example, and involved themselves in the trajectory of the Earth's future. Okay. That all having been said, so you're saying it's a general theme 
and it's been translated into these different stories. But as we discussed in the past, it is, has any of that changed now that we have this foundational understanding? For example, it, from the past, we discussed that it was primarily Anunnaki who caused this great flood. Is that still correct? Oh, certainly it is. It is an influence that has continued on, but, but perhaps more so we should say that you are still existing in the same timeline reality and in the same dimension in which these timelines existed before and they have yet to fully change. Okay. And, and was it Anlil primarily and with some other groups in the Anunnaki who were responsible for the orchestration of the Great Flood? We could say yes. Um, of course, we know you understand that it is never easy for us to, in a linear fashion, place any one race in responsibility because there were a great many on planet Earth at this time that had also found themselves in difficult circumstances and were attempting to claim the Earth uh, for their own. And because of these great many influences, uh, what resulted was a cataclysm. Okay, but it, um, what we discussed in previous conversations about the reptilian beings was that they actually wanted humanity to be around in order to, because they were sustaining themselves due to um, their connection with the human race and the reptilian uh, aspects of the human race. So, so were the reptilians in any way involved in this Anunnaki plot or process to cause the Great Flood, or were they on the opposite side? You are correct in what you are saying. What we would like everyone to remember is that regardless of whether or not the reptilians were interested in ensuring humanity's um, resilience, they were attempting to change the frequency of the earth to their liking. So so this has to also be um, accounted for in this story, because although we could um, certainly say that the Anunnaki were the driving force in all that occurred, um, even those that were present that were attempting to change the earth for what they deemed the better uh, were also somewhat involved in its demise. Okay. But, but not directly because uh, so the story is correct. Yahweh quote unquote saved Noah. So in Yahweh being a collective of reptilians, or was that just a segment of the, the collective of reptilians who wanted to save humanity and the rest or a lot of the rest were wanting to eliminate them as well? Well, again, we want to clarify that saving humanity may be an interpretation that is is a bit broad in its scope because ultimately what the Anunnaki were most interested in was the value of the human DNA, especially the ability to shift humans into um, an expression that was more purposeful for them uh, as opposed to allowing the original uh, evolutionary path that humans were on to continue. Okay, since you brought it up, let's discuss DNA for a moment because now, DNA, as we have been taught anyway, it looks like a, a strand that that um, coils around each other, similar to two snakes. Is that really what it appears as, at least the physical DNA? 
The physical DNA does um, moderate itself because it is shape-shifting just as much as you are in your evolutionary process. But but certainly we could say that a DNA strand is is similar to this in that it is holding a specific frequency. Uh, and in that frequency, you might see the mirror reflection of what you are describing to us in the snake iconography, uh, which has a great deal to do with the raising of life force. What we've been taught about uh, how our DNA, physical DNA appears, is that it looks like um, two coiled snakes, essentially, coiling into each other. So it's just a spiral, essentially, of two uh, what what could be also shown as two snakes and many and of course in our medical institutions we have that iconography of two snakes coiled as well is that the fact that the dna appears as two coiled snakes is that in any way related to our reptilian genetics why does it look like two snakes is that just a coincidence not necessarily so so we wouldn't put the idea of the two coiled snakes uh, together necessarily with the reptilian collective in relationship to your DNA, we see it more representative of the dynamic of the movement of the great spiral, which is a universal frequency that that all beings are connected to. Yet we, we understand the, the point you are attempting to make here is that humans have been somewhat swayed in the way they interpret their physical bodies, um, the way they understand the workings of mind uh, through the teachings primarily of reptilians because um, they have been in positions of power having to do with things like education, for example, um, as well as certain movements on your planet like uh, government and medicine, as you've brought to our attention. Um, but do we think that the reason the DNA looks this way is because of their genetic influence? Not wholly or, or necessarily. Okay, so it just happens to be looking that way for some other separate reason, that not related to reptilians at all? Correct. Okay. All right, going back to the Great Flood story and um, all these various characters we mentioned, um, is it reasonable then to say, even keeping in mind what you said earlier, that Anki, in general, loved humanity and wanted humanity to survive and was opposed to the Great Flood? Yes, we agree. Okay. Now, um, after the Great Flood happened, uh, according to the ancient myths about the Anunnaki, it said that they regretted, uh, well, except for uh, Enlil, they regretted their decision to destroy humanity. And, uh, and Enlil eventually was brought around to see the wisdom in the survival of humanity and to rebuild the human race. Is that part true? It is true. Uh, however, we could shed some light on perhaps the reason for this beyond what has been offered in the story at hand because any time that uh, an entire race or a planet is attempted to be destroyed, if it is looked at in a physical sense, it is never going to accomplish the goals of those with the, the ill intent or malevolent focus. And, and this is why uh, everything is energy. 
So even though a physical structure may be completely destroyed, all that has culminated to bring it together energetically will still exist and the imprint of it continues on. So, so knowing that the Anunnaki had also been a part of the human seeding and were present, uh, their influence was present within human DNA. Uh, this became one of the, the focal points of their regret because that history of the destruction itself would have affected their race equally as it did humans. In other words, history is not segmented and, and somehow um, compartmentalized to the race in which it happens to. Everything is shared uh, through the universal grid system such that all races have the evolutionary benefit from all that is co-created. Um, and this is often a, a um, short-sighted part of the evolutionary process of physical races. And remember, the Anunnaki who came had to hybridize. And they lowered in their dimension enough to perhaps not remember how universal law affected their own planet and their own race. So, so there were many regrets, but, but certainly we think from their um, uh, evolutionary standpoint and, and through their uh, ancestry, they realized that they only caused more problems for themselves um, than to benefit anything. Yeah, that does make some sense in terms of the ancient storyline anyway. Um, it said that one of their regrets was that they had created, or they believe essentially the storyline says that they created humanity from this uh, primitive group of people that existed, which we've discussed in detail in previous shows. Um, and so they regretted destroying their own creation was part of the reason. And also they still needed humanity essentially to operate as as workers for them is that part uh, what you're what you're getting at or part of it? it it is true however their genetics had now with such close proximity to your own become integrated so so a part of them had died right along with you even though they had the ability to leave the planet for example and then even come back in a different form that doesn't um negate let's say um what they had uh, created within themselves and also within humanity would that still be true today with the various world leaders who have this anarchy reptilian genetic um doing so much to essentially the same thing wipe out the human race through floods and wars and various means are they also being affected because their genetics are closely tied with ours? And uh, is that affecting them in a similar fashion? It, it absolutely is. And, and, and there are many reasons even beyond what we are stating, because whether you are Anunnaki or whether you are reptilian, if you are here on planet Earth, you are in a form quite different than those that exist beyond. And there are still attempts to keep contact uh, with home star systems and planets because there has been evolution and there has been healing. And many of the Anunnaki who are still here have truly lost perspective of why it is so important for them 
to maintain this connection to those that they knew before. Even though they they believe that they are somewhat a superior race, um, they have taken on a more earthly focus and presentation as if they are somewhat segregated from the others. And everything that they create here or have a hand in destructing is not only affecting them in a, in a detrimental way, but also sending signals back to their own home planet that are somewhat karmically um, focused, meaning whatever they are doing here, it still has a bearing on the evolution of their race elsewhere. But this doesn't seem to be at the top of their minds, of course, because here on planet Earth, um, the, the focus through the mind especially uh, limits a soul's ability to remember its astral history as well as tapping into the um, understanding of the Akashic records. And that is what is most affected. So, so any destruction anywhere throughout the universe, especially that which is done with purposeful ill intent is finding its way into the spiral of time through the universal grid and even going back directly often to the race that has created it. And here on the earth, you must also consider the genetic tie. So, so we've alluded to this multiple times in, in our conversations that the close proximity of various races with humanity has created somewhat of a hybrid presentation. And that doesn't mean necessarily that these beings are doing very well because they're attempting to, um, we'll say modify their structure through you. And if you are the ones who are being lowered in your vibration or taken off planet or, or somehow compromised in your DNA, it is always having a mirror reflection um, or mirror act upon their own uh, DNA pursuits. We've talked in the past about um, you mentioned that the only the individuals at the very top of the global leadership um, are the ones who are uh, at a stage of reptilian and Anunnaki bloodline that they they can still shapeshift and they um, whereas majority of the world leaders don't have quite that much um, so and many of them are just unwittingly following the rules or the um, requirements of these few handful of people now so when we're talking about these handful of people who are at the very top of the control system who have so much reptilian and Anunnaki lineage that they can actually transform into reptilians. Are we talking about individuals like Bill Gates or are we even farther up the chain like the Rothschilds, Rockefellers, or are these people we don't even know that we never hear of? Well, it is both. Uh, certainly the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers have the reptilian DNA uh, wound within them. And it is quite evident, we believe, in their humanoid presentation oftentimes that that they can show up in that form. Um, the bloodlines that follow these two races, um, they are certainly in the upper echelon families that you find that are causing the most hardship on planet Earth, but they are also the ones who are being affected the most by their own actions. And it is why we believe there is such an urgency to continue them forward. Because even though 
they feel fear and that and and have also been weakened somewhat in their their DNA and physical presentation. They have a belief in the power of their own lineage and what they are attempting to do is bring it to somewhat of a, a primary frequency, um, well beyond where it can be affected by any human beings. And in order to do that, the human beings who are here have to be lowered in their frequency. And, and we want you to think of it this way. They are well aware that they have hybridized with you and vice versa. And that is why the focus on the DNA is so intent because the more they lower the frequency range of human DNA or scramble its signal somewhat, uh, the less they are going to be entangled with it. So, so it's somewhat like self-preservation, uh, keeping their DNA um, in a very pure state, they believe, and not being affected, they believe, by their own activities, they're actually untangling themselves from you um uh, far enough, we'll say, or, or strong enough to still be able to control and receive the energy that they need without being somewhat affected uh, in the way that they have been. So when you say they, you're referring, just to be clear, specifically to families like the Rothschilds and Rockefellers, correct? We, we are, but of course there are varying levels of intensity and hybridization within what you've called government agencies and these various families because um, uh, the close proximity is the first uh, go-to that we'll always use. Um, there are many well-intending human beings who get involved in certain government efforts, for example, or in banking uh, or a variety of different um, collective energies and find themselves becoming very enmeshed in the negative energy that is there unknowingly uh, because their consciousness is somewhat interrupted and restricted. It is the same thing that's happening at large or has happened at large uh, on your planet over the, the last many, many decades. But um, there are some who are waking up out of this as well. So so we always have to include the entire picture. Um, what you may be noticing, for example, in some of your government settings is that there are individuals who stand out, who are presenting ideas that seem quite opposite of the norm or maybe uh, are revealing truths that have been hidden for a very long time. And it's, um, we, we think, uh, somewhat addictive to want to follow these individuals and believe that they are going to solve the problems. And we think that that's the mistake that humans are making. What you're actually seeing is someone in the midst of a reptilian energy or in an Anunnaki bloodline uh, awakening out of the hold on their DNA. But it doesn't always mean that in the system that they are in, they're able to make the changes that humanity wishes them to make. So these are two separate things we believe that that sometimes get blended because collective consciousness um, it is extremely powerful. And if, if it is okay, we will share a bit about collective consciousness to help humans really understand what it is because it seems very elusive and hard to define as there are many collectives that humans are connecting to even as channels. 
uh, collective consciousness is not one thing. It, it cannot be linearly defined nor stagnant. Collective consciousness is very malleable, it's very pliable, and it and it works upon a vibrational match. So if there are a group of reptilians who have been leading the way in a certain area on planet Earth, what you can assume is the intention there is very lower vibrational. And that collective energy is going to pull others who may have similar similar lower vibrational intents. For example, not looking out for the betterment of humanity, but looking out for the betterment of self. Now, these individuals may not be corrupted in their DNA or have any uh, necessarily, necessarily um, lower vibrational energy in their system, but because of their intent, get pulled in and for a time become a part of that collective consciousness and are changed by it. So, so this is the problem we see is that there are, there are so many that are forming collective consciousness on your planet and, and collective energy is good. It, it's powerful, but it can also be used in the wrong direction. So intention is everything we believe and it's a good message for humanity at this point in its transition uh, to ensure that intention is always clear, that you are checking in with yourself daily to ensure that your intention is not self-focused only, but but focused somehow for the collective good. This will keep you, we believe, um, clear and and aligned and not having to deal with the influence uh, of many of these families, we'll call them. Now, with regard to altering our genetics so that it doesn't affect these individuals, such as the Rothschilds, Rockefellers, was that the whole purpose behind the Human Genome Project and companies like 23andMe collecting all of our genetics in recent decades? Much of it, yes. We would say even 99% of it. There are some people out there that are doing things that, are intent intentionally uh, intentionally good uh, because the DNA is, is so powerful and we believe there are many who have come to the planet even with missions to reverse much of the damage that has been done to humanity through the actions that you speak of. Um, however, yes, a great deal of research and focus has been placed upon human DNA because of the seeding process and because there is so much intergalactic um, history and information that exists within it. When the reptilians, for example, are looking at human DNA, they have dual purpose. Uh, what they want is to activate the strands that are in their best interest, meaning those that are more reptilian in nature to change the planet according to their comfort level and and what they desire um, to co-create in the future for themselves. At the same time, in order to do that, there has to be a diminishing of the other strands of DNA, and that's exactly what has happened. It's what, what we have been speaking to uh, even in our previous conversation, uh, is that the reptilian focus has become so strong uh, some of it dark and, and some of it light that that you've forgotten the rest of who you are. And, and there is an incredible bounty of uh, information, a, a wellspring of 
um, beautiful um, characteristics that could blossom and come to the surface if humanity would only remember their ability to activate it. There are some theories running around the internet. I'm not sure if they're accurate or not, um, suggesting that the swabs that were inserted into people's noses for testing for the virus over the last few years contained some material that was altering genetics. Is that true? And is that what you're talking about here? It is. And there are several uh, different areas of focus here in these tests. Uh, in not one is exactly the same as another. You must look at the manufacturer, for example, because uh, some contain a certain DNA programs that will attack the cells and cause um, cancer, for example. Uh, others are focused directly on the limitation or we'll say the um, uh, de-illumination of your crystalline DNA or to program you to become more vulnerable to things like negative frequencies. Um, there are many different uh, avenues, we believe, um, in which these things are being created. And have they been successful? Or is the human DNA such that it can overcome those influences? Well, well the human DNA in the original way that it was constructed can overcome anything. So, so this is primary that we want everyone to know is uh, within you, it is possible to override or overcome anything. Uh, however, the problem is that there is still such a tremendous level of fear and unconsciousness within your collective. In order to truly understand what your DNA is capable of becoming, you must also uh, clearly see what is being done to affect it. And there are many detoxification protocols we know that have been spoken about here on planet Earth. And we, we agree that many of these, although they are physical in nature, can be extremely helpful. Um, yet there are easier routes for activating the, um, we'll say the overriding DNA strands to the things that have been implanted within you that are lowering your frequency. Um, these are more spiritual in their methodology, and there are some on the planet who are coded to come here and to bring these practices to the surface. It is a part of their purpose and mission, and, and we believe they will continue to do this. In the interim, what we believe is the most important consideration is that you're always evaluating uh, what you're intersecting with from a physical and vibrational standpoint, because right now less is more. Unfortunately, on your planet, you have been bombarded by many things that are working against you. And it is even uh, difficult to discern, we think, right now, uh, especially in the area of genetically modified foods. There are new and more potent strains of toxins and frequency adjusters that are being added to certain foods, uh, along with the, the possibility of interfacing with the toxins that are being sprayed in your air. So it is a crescendo effect of many ill-fated timelines that the human DNA is having to deal with. But 
for us, it is the purity uh, or that path of purity that is always going to prevail. So, so in the fifth dimension, those of you who have awakened too much of what we are speaking of don't have to worry so much about the impact of, of everything that you are being, um, um, laced with throughout your day, whether it is within the air or within the food. What you are going for is to constantly purify, to ensure that you are making discerning decisions about what you're bringing into your body, what you're bringing into your environment, what you're allowing in your energy field. That is the first step, we believe, to stepping out of some of these old timeline patterns that are similar to the the Anunnaki's that we have been speaking of. Um, the enslavement of humanity has happened in a great many ways. And, and it is continuing to happen right now beneath the, the radar of your conscious minds. Uh, it's limiting your potential. And anytime your potential is limited, you become um, enslaved by those who are doing the limiting. So have the, the, especially these reptilian Anunnaki beings at the um, top of the control system in society, like the Rockefellers, Rothschilds, have they been successful in their efforts to alter human DNA, especially over the last few years, so that it's um, producing the results that benefit them more? Uh, or are they still treading water or not making progress? Well, this is a difficult question for us to answer because we have to look at it on an individual basis. And each individual human is at a varying level in terms of their DNA modification. But, but on the whole, um, here's what we believe. As opposed to being genetically modified, which, which you have to a certain degree, what we concern more about is how you've been limited in your access to the DNA. So so for some of you, it might be easier to understand that you have been taught there are only three strands of DNA and the rest are dormant. And because of that belief, you are not using your entire physical and energetic structure as one. And that, we believe, is the true key because regardless of how much you're modified and by what, that entire suite of DNA is a is a 12th dimensional um, library and powerhouse of information for healing that can happen automatically when it becomes truly illuminated. So, so we know the next question will be, how do we illuminate the 12 strand DNA? Well, you are all uh, somewhat on an organic trajectory to do that regardless, because it's simply how you are structured. When you arrive in a certain dimension, like the third, for example, you don't have a reason to use all of the DNA strands that are at your fingertips. It doesn't mean that they stop working on you. It simply means that the information that exists there might not be immediately helpful for you. But we're speaking of an organic third dimension, you have not been in an or in an organic third dimension. You've been in a third dimension that has been programmed and filtered with many distortions and toxins. And because of that, you truly need all of those other DNA strands and the information within them to override what has happened to you. So, 
So can a race be genetically modified? Yes. But can a race, if having access to all of its DNA, easily overcome that? Absolutely. And and, and we have hope because we're seeing such um, dynamic change going on within the vibration and consciousness of many humans on planet Earth. It does not mean that the choices are necessarily following the level of awakening that has happened. And there is always a lag time between when a soul becomes fully aware of the choices that it's making and when it begins to change its lifestyle, simply because it is so much to deal with right now. It can be overwhelming. Um, but but certainly we concern as much as we have hope because we know that dependent upon the future choices that you make as a collective, uh, you can find yourselves in the, the, the same timeline again. And with uh, an age of technology uh, as um, advanced as what it has been on your planet, this concerns us even more because, again, if we go back in time and we look at some of the Anunnaki technology and how it was designed, we really see that coming back to your planet again in a very um, stark mirror reflection. And this would not be something that we would choose or want for you, even though we believe technology can be wonderful. Um, so so the choice is yours, in other words. E- each individual uh, is making its own choice as to how it intersects with the timeline that you are on as one. But those choices all go into a collective uh, bank account, we'll call it, through which your entire physical reality is being shaped. Uh, and, and we can see many, many potentials and options. But, but again, uh, we'll conclude with the hopeful part. Um, there are, there are so, so many potential timelines that humanity has birthed that to us reflect the fifth dimension uh, and even beyond. Uh, and those are the ones that you want to gravitate to with, with all of your heart uh, in order to fully ground. You know, when you're referring to technology, are you referring to things like artificial intelligence or are you referring to things more like um, energy technologies or weapons or frequency devices or chemtrails, harp, or all of the above? Well, well all of those things. Our, our greatest concern is, is, remember, the Anunnaki were creating technology to interface with the DNA and the human structure. So, so artificial intelligence has the ability to keep humans operating outside of their divine plan, outside of their organic connection to source, uh, and, and truly outside of their ability to access their own consciousness. And in many timelines, this has been the case. Um, we see the presence of many of those on the planet today. The question is, will they come to full fruition? And, and we don't believe that they will, but we are hoping not. Uh, but ultimately, uh, they could be changed as well to become more benevolent in their focus. So, so we're often comparing and contrasting here. Uh, the Anunnaki, for example, versus the um, um, Atlanteans. And the Atlanteans had incredible technology that interfaced with the human structure. 
but it was so benevolent and so loving that it was constantly upholding coherence or a specific vibrational frequency that was in the highest and best for all. Um, that was the technology that became corrupted. But if technology like this were to interface with you and attempt to lower your vibration, you can see the obvious problem that many of you are facing. Now, projects like the Human Genome Project and various other genetic projects and companies in recent decades, at least what they report to us is that they seem to be studying and quantifying the physical strains of DNA. Are they capable and have they been also analyzing um, higher dimensional strains of DNA? Is that something they can even do? We don't believe that the scientists on your planet, at least the bulk of them, actually have the quantum equipment or ability to be able to study the DNA in its purest state. It's not to say that there haven't been some very incredible advancements uh, in this area. And, and keep in mind, when we're speaking about quantum, we're going beyond time. So so much of what is studied is actually the, the carbon-based strands related to your human lineage and, and bodily functions, various uh, patterns that have been passed down from generations, and, and truly how to transmute those, which, which we think are, are all, they all deserve merit. Uh, at the same time, we are always alluding to the crystalline DNA, which is a, um, a vibrational reflection of each physical strand. And we think this is truly the wave of the future. And it is related to sound because if the crystalline DNA is, is, is held as a vibration or a frequency, then it also carries a specific sound. And, and if that sound can be mimicked or, or somehow used to blend the, the two, the physical and the um, crystalline strands, you will see uh, an incredible amount of advancement uh, on your planet. So, so, so we are um, um, encouraged, we'll say, by some of the focus here at the same time. Uh, we know humanity has a long way to go. And there again are many hybrids and cosmic families who have decided to reincarnate into this timeline for that very purpose to, to bring some of these technologies from other planets to your own. Is the crystalline DNA the primary reason why even in spite of all the carbon DNA manipulation that's occurred that humanity is still able to maintain or able to maybe recover? the integrity of their original seeding. Certainly, it is a very big part of what you are stating because the the crystalline DNA, it, it, it is your link, uh, your connection to universal energy. So, so we have alluded a great deal in these conversations to pyramids and various portals and in how the 369 pattern holds an unbroken connection to the universe, somewhat like a cellular phone. And this is how your crystalline DNA were designed, um, very much like the the inner temple holding a specific frequency that should not be broken, that 
helps you to navigate the earth with galactic wisdom or bringing in certain frequencies and energies that can transmute physical things. Uh, but unfortunately, these strands, we, we typically say this, we, we use the term dormant. We say they have gone dormant on you. It doesn't mean that they are not functional. Uh, when we use this terminology, we are attempting to relay the idea that many have no idea that these crystalline strands even exist, nor do they understand their power. And belief is a very uh, significant thing because unless we believe something to be true, we don't have the access to it that we need. And so we think the information that is coming forth through channels like this, for example, and others on the planet about the crystalline DNA is extremely important in the evolution of humanity uh, and the ability to not only bring in technologies that support the healing that you desire, but also being able to activate your own inner technology. Well, if science is not is not advanced enough currently to be able to analyze the um, crystalline DNA, then what is the junk DNA that they're referring to that they feel is dormant and irrelevant to our human makeup? Much of it is carbon. Much of it is carbon. And 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 we do want to make the point here, going back to your original analogy about many of these families who are at the upper echelon of these hierarchical structures being the ones who are funding, for example, this research or or overseeing its direction. And that is often why it doesn't present the true results that you are going for. Because the idea of junk DNA is something that has been scrutinized for a very long period of time. But but our question is, have you truly made any progress in this area? Even though it's been prophesized about and spoken of, uh, and now science and research is beginning to agree that it is something to understand. Is it really allowing each human to make a connection to that energy? So, so there's still a lower vibrational cap, we might say, um, on some of this information that is distorting its truth and, and value. Uh, on your planet. And we discussed in, in previous conversations about the the whole Agenda 2030 um, that the world leaders are orchestrating, which has many moving parts, uh, essentially to restructure society into something that they can control better. Um, now, just recently, the World Health Organization, the United Nations, announced that they're moving the Agenda 2030 to 2020. Um, uh, over the next two years, basically by 2026, 2025. So why the acceleration to such a short period of time, what they intended to do in 10 years? Well, to go back to what we have said previously, uh, their acts are actually backfiring on their structure. And this is noted there, there are, there are several different reasons and, and let's bring them all to light first to be Reptilian hybrids uh, or any type of hybrid on a physical planet going through this level of transition is not easy because even though there's been a great focus on limiting the human DNA, 
even though there has been a tremendous effort to um, uh, genetically modify humans, those that are here that are attempting to to sway the planet in their direction have truly not achieved their end result. And because of this, they're losing their ability to access their own um, primary DNA vibration, which is either reptilian in nature or, or Anunnaki in nature, for example. But but regardless, that is going to cause an ill effect within their own bodies. And they know this. So so to move the agenda along is really coming out of fear and, and an inability to thrive in their own bodies that they are coming to realize is an uncomfortable truth. Uh, also, we want to suggest that Time is a, an illusion for these individuals, even though humans are tracking time in the way that they do in a linear fashion, because this is a dimensional experience that they are trying to, to keep at play, meaning they see from a quantum standpoint the success that has been made or the progress that has been made in the direction of the fifth dimension. Um, and this is done in many ways, uh, through technologies, for example, um, through various oracles that they are in contact with, uh, some of it from an astrological interpretation. Uh, they are seeing the possibility of humans moving out of the timelines that they truly need them to remain on. And that means they are going to shift the timeline from a quantum perspective in order to ensure that they remain in power. Um, and, and again, this could be seeing the level of awakening, sensing and feeling the, the shift in consciousness uh, or, 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 and also um, feeling within themselves the, the potential of success slowly fading away. But there's one more reason that that we do want to bring to light, and, and it actually has to do with the Earth itself, because many are aware that um, there has been a, a, a gradual yet substantial pole shift that has taken place magnetically within the Earth. And this happens quite frequently, but this pole shift is a very significant one for the Earth and humanity. It does have the potential to actually move you quite swiftly into a new reality. And you are the ones who are birthing this. But the pole shift has also initiated a a slight shift in the trajectory of solar and plasmic energies coming to the Earth. Um, they're much stronger than what was anticipated. And those in power understand that these are agents of awakening. And they will have a very positive effect on your crystalline DNA. And, and indeed that is what's happening. So, so perhaps they're pushing up against some very positive energies that are coming in that, that they have foresight of um, that they know will empower humanity regardless of where they stand today. Um, and, and this is perhaps the way, uh, the reason for many of these decisions. So should we anticipate the next couple of years of this accelerated agenda is going to make life on Earth 
pretty difficult for most most human beings. Well, it certainly doesn't have to be. Yet at the same time, we we see the potentials that are already brewing, and and want to remind humanity that it isn't necessarily just on behalf of those causing the problem. You know very much as a human collective what is going on on planet Earth. Many are in resistance of it, unfortunately.、Uh, some are feeling very angry and are. Um, attempting to to live their lives regardless and not pay much attention to it, and others are very ingrained in trying to solve the problem. But from our vantage point, all of this is a contributing factor in growing the things that you do not want. So, so we're not saying you shouldn't place attention on things that you know could be a potential. Catastrophic event for humanity.、Uh, at the same time, be weary of how you are prophesizing these things or how you are entangling your energy in them. We think it is far easier for humanity to shift out of these difficult periods by embracing、uh, in their lives what they desire and what brings them joy, despite the decisions of those in power. In fact, we could go further and say that. This is an, a period of great energetic siphoning. So, so if you are going to heal、um, at the DNA level anything that has been modified within you, you are going to need every bit of your life force and energy to do that. And that means you are going to have to pull yourself out of all of the things that very inorganically take it away. And if every human were to do this. They would find themselves in a new reality very quickly, where it would not matter what those in power continued to do. The Earth would grow into the fifth dimension in in a very significant and and accelerated way, because it is already here. The problem we see is that attention is being diverted away from it and and to the things that are going wrong. So. So you're asking us, do we think it will be difficult? We don't think that the period that you're in is going to be very easy. And we have、um, those of us on the council in our own star systems watched similar transi- transitions that have not been comfortable or easy. But this is what we have learned: the easier that we make it, the more comfortable it will be. So, so this is the key that we want to bring to you: is that even though Um, this group of beings that we are referring to、uh, may have a good number of plans put in place that are already focused on、uh, creating destruction. That destruction is a vibration before it is material, and if you are tuning into that vibration constantly and in trying to counteract it or somehow bringing it into your life. And、in a fearful way,、uh, you may end up entangling yourself in the very things that you do not want to experience. So, so we believe it's it's far easier than many of you are making it. Yet we know, as we say that with great and deep respect, that it is not easy to be a human on planet Earth at this time. So, as we discussed in previous conversations, what you're saying is not necessarily to completely ignore the world outside of us,、um, but be aware of those things, but live in such a way, perhaps even passively avoiding engaging with those things. Is that what I'm understanding? 
Well, well, we can go further to say that if this is a timeline that has been repeating and is playing out in the same way with new characters and, and new scenes, you are attempting to write your own play, to actually step out of a repeating vibration and create your own. And we know that is not an easy statement to make uh, at a time when you are birthing new realities from things that you knew before that were such um, uh, or, or were so comfortable for you. But this timeline that you are on, it is easily collapsing upon itself. And, and that is perhaps another reason why those in power are in such fear and trying to accelerate the timeline, because the level of disintegration uh, and restriction that is going on in this third dimensional reality is is tangible. Uh, those in power know that they are losing the power that they so enjoy. And so if that is the case, if you keep yourself there and fight against the problem uh, or continue to make the same decisions that you have always made out of comfort, uh, you are going to also feel the resistance and the struggle and the discomfort of the disintegration that's happening. When a, a timeline shift of this caliber is taking place anywhere in the universe. It, it's not an automatic change. Even in the 12th dimension where time does not exist, to move into a 13th dimension takes some effort because it is not known. Um, it is brand new. We, we have never been in a 13th dimension in this universe before, even though some of us have been in other universes where a 13th dimension has existed. So, so we are creating something that goes well beyond our comfort zone. And that means we still have to have a foothold in what is uncomfortable. The key is that we are managing both to the best of our ability, meaning if we find ourselves in an old reality, we cannot beat the drum of that old reality constantly and suffer there. We are focused on the new one with excitement and and with all of our energy knowing that if we turn back and look the other way and try to hold on, we're only going to slow the process. And so so you're experiencing the same thing here as, as we have in many different dimensions on many different planets where you still have a foothold in the third dimension because it hasn't gone away yet. But the degree to which you involve yourself there is going to hold it on more. So not involving yourself to the degree that you are able, only carrying out the various activities that that need to be done while putting your focus on the new and the exciting and where you want to be in the future is the true key to, to managing this timeline. And, and here is um, uh, what we can reveal. Uh, those in power see many already doing this. They they have the ability to project into future potentials. There are technologies where some of these beings can can go through time warps and see what the future actually entails in different scenarios. And they know that you already have the wherewithal to move beyond where they have been holding you hostage. So so that is the urgency, we believe, is you have the potential. The question is. Will you believe that the potential you have exists and will you use it to the degree that you are able? 
I'd like to go back to the ancient timeline that we were discussing earlier to clear up a few more details from there. Now, it's said in many ancient texts that uh, after the Great Flood, um, the the Anunnaki um, leader, or you know, as a god, Anu, is where, which is where the name Anunnaki comes from. He's the father of Enki and Enlil, and he decreed that um, that the lands, um, like in the Mesopotamian area, Sumerian area, um, like Iraq and Iran, for example, would be the dominion of Enlil. And that Africa and those um, parts south of that area would be the dominion of Enki. Is that true? It is. It is. And and there were various reasons for this. Um, one being the presence of precious elements, uh, as well as the various dimensional realities that existed in these perspective areas. Now, is is this why we see, for example, the Mesopotamian, um, Iraq, Iran, those areas seem to have moved toward more of a focus toward a worship of uh, Enlil and worship of um, uh, Bel or Baal, which we've also associated to uh, Enlil as well. And we see a lot of the... Um, uh, Ancient um, Jewish Canaanite religions um, and even satanic worship, those things seem to have developed in that area, in that region. Is that because it was associated or under the dominion of Enlil? There, there is a historic significance here, yes. Okay. And uh, and there is also some correlation in ancient texts that, that um, Egypt and the African continent in general because it was under the dominion of of Enki is why we see the proliferation of the Egyptian civilization, which seems to be a very different energy in a very different direction than we see in um, Iraq, Iran, and and those other um, Sumerian um, nations that were north of that area. Is that that because of um, Enki's influence? It it is clearly a, a different area of focus, and more enlightened, we might say, in its presentation. Okay, we also discussed in previous conversations that um, Marduk was the son of Enki. That's still correct, right? Yes. Okay. Now, Marduk was also used as a reference as another name for um, for Nibiru. Um, is that also true? Uh, we see the terms being interchangeable, yes. Okay. There's a lot of confusion around um, the different characters in these storylines and uh and so i want to try to clear some of that up or at least get a better understanding of it for example um now enki it was said that enki his laboratory where he did a lot of his genetic experimentation and and just experimentation in general he was obviously very scientifically focused and um and more of a peaceful person loved humanity and his creation of the modified human um, that he that they created um, but he obviously was much more focused on science and developing technologies and so on where Enlil was more the militant um, angry uh, one of the two uh, but it is said that his laboratory had the the um, 
uh, logo or um, uh, graphic design, essentially, of two coiled snakes, uh, which maybe it was DNA that, that it actually represented. Was this true? It is true. And let's talk a little bit about the science and the research that was being done at that time, which is a bit different than the way you might explain this terminology today, because it is far different, um, in, uh, especially regarding uh, quantum analysis. Um, if you are looking at the DNA and the, the hybrid nature of humans, uh, you are uh, assuming to look more at physical characteristics uh, in this timeline, different races, for example, and how they would present um, in a physical sense. What Enki was attempting to do is to understand the workings of the genetics in relationship to cosmic races well beyond the Earth. So so much of the hybridization that that took place around that period of time came from many cosmic families who re-entered and, and had prominent roles uh, in these various civilizations, um, whether they be known as gods or goddesses or, or whether they had come from Atlantis, for example, or even some of the Lemurian light teachers who appeared in this period to help train humanity on the inner technology as it was understood in their own civilizations or, or star systems. So, so this was um, more like alchemy uh, and even magic, we might say, mm-hmm. where a, a human could understand its entire Akashic records and tap into the knowledge of many of its home star systems or planets through the methodology of breath uh, or through the understanding of various, um, we'll say, spiritual technologies or modalities uh, that were being used at the time. So I want to just talk a little bit about Egypt in general. And uh, Egypt is said to come from the, the Greek word Egyptos. And Egyptos is said to be a contraction of the Greek word hygitos, um, which is um, further from uh, the word hetkapta, which means a place where the projection of the ta was manifested. Of course, the ta is the, uh, one of the earliest gods of Egypt. And if you look at the hieroglyphic depiction of the ta, it also has this spiral DNA or two snakes coiled in, in the name itself. And, and there is some belief or uh, writings that suggest that the ta was actually um, Enki, uh, just a different name for Enki in his later years, uh, that he was the one of the first gods of Egypt. Is that correct? Uh, we believe that this is a lineage, in other words. So, so certainly um, we can say that um, Enki is a part of that lineage. Uh, but there were many, uh, similar to how we have explained Yeshua, for example, uh, more like a collective of beings who were representative of the um, geographic region and what it stood for. Okay, so what you mean is that Ptah wasn't Enki? Uh, Ptah was part of a group of people that Enki was associated with? Correct. Okay, so a lot of storylines don't make sense if that's the case, um, and so maybe you can help me understand that, because it's also said that um, Marduk, um, who is the son of Enki, 
was also Ra because um, in in Ptah's lineage, Ra was actually Ptah's son, uh, one of his sons. And um, but it's also in the Mesopotamian or ancient Sumerian texts suggested that Marduk, who was a son of Enki, was actually Ra, who was a son of Ptah who was supposed to be Enki. So help me understand that lineage there. Well, there are many who would have claimed Ra as a part of their lineage in this day because Ra was seen as a very powerful god, especially related to some of the understandings of plasma and the connection of the earth to the sun. Uh, but we don't necessarily see Ra as a direct descendant or part of the lineage of uh, Enlil. Um, we believe that this may have been skewed in the story somewhat. Uh, and we would place Ra more within the Egyptian collectives um, than we would in participating with others. Okay, I didn't say, I don't know if I said Enlil, I meant Enki. So you're saying... Ra and Ptah were not part of the lineage of the Anunnaki then? We are saying that they were a part of the lineage of the Anunnaki, yes. Okay, but not, but they weren't actually Marduk and Enki, correct? Correct, yes. So if they're part of the lineage of the Anunnaki, how were they related to Enlil and Enki? Was there any relationship at all, or were they just a separate group of people who came to Earth at a different time? Well, keep in mind that the gods like Ra, for example, who came to the Earth would have carried multidimensional DNA, some of which was connected to the Anunnaki and especially uh, to have come to intersect with those on the earth. So, so this accounts for the connection and the lineage here. Okay. There's a lot of confusion then because, um, for example, Marduk, the son of Enki, in the various Mesopotamian storylines appears to be a very violent, uh, aggressive, um, individual, not, not at all like Enki in that sense. Um, who also approved of um, the destruction of humanity and many other things in many occasions and also responsible potentially for some nuclear um, explosions and destructions as well. And in the Mesopotamian and some of the ancient texts, it seems to relate Marduk to Ra. So, um, so you're saying these are two entirely different individuals, but it seems like the storylines somewhat overlap. For example, the use of the various, um, uh, in Egypt, for example, we use the, the sun disk as a representation of Ra, uh, as, as an example. But in the Mesopotamian text, it suggests that, and, and we can see some of this in the ancient iconography, that the, the, what we think of the sun disk was actually Nibiru and not the sun at all. So help me understand how those things work together. Well, they they were both present at the time. You can see the polarity or the contrast of of these two forms of iconography, where there certainly were gods that were present like Ra, who were representing the connection of the earth to the sun, and, and others, perhaps like Marduk, who were defaulting more to the dominance of their Anunnaki bloodline and showing a relationship to their home planet. And and just because uh, 
um, an individual like Marduk, for example, in the story may have been tied to um, a, a specific lineage does not mean that he was assuming the more benevolent characteristics of that lineage because we're, we're always reminding those who are listening that the multiple timelines that were taking place uh, at this period uh, did intersect. And, and a lot of the influences uh, became blended. And this accounts for some of the confusion we believe in the story uh, in that some may have been more apt to take on the characteristics of the the Anunnaki who were warlike, uh, even though they may have come through the bloodline of an Anunnaki that was not taking that position at all. It's said in ancient stories that Marduk uh, wanted power, but um, but Enlil was the primary leader or god on Earth who was given essentially dominion over the whole planet, um, although Enki had Africa, for example, Enlil was essentially the authority of the planet. And uh, Marduk was waiting until the age of Ares. Um, so uh, so we may associate Enlil, for example, because he's depicted as the bull. Uh, and as we discussed in previous conversations about the bull, the, the golden bull, which is used even in uh, Wall Street uh, as well in the financial system, but we also see um, uh, Enlil or the bull being used in various satanic rituals as well, which all originate in the Mesopotamian, Sumerian, Iraq area. Um, but whereas the age of Aries came after the age of Taurus, and um, and it was the age of Aries during which Marduk was said to have taken power. And so there's sort of this Ares influence, which is a even more aggressive warlike period than the Age of Taurus. Was it true that uh, Marduk came into power at the Age of Ares? It is true. We, we don't believe that it was an exact um, momentary shift in terms of the planetary alignments that you are speaking of. But, but certainly uh, this would be the case, very much like you are seeing today. Any astrological influence is going to draw or assemble the appropriate components uh, on a planet in order to to play out the various scenarios and timelines that would be birthed. Through those energies. Yeah, the age of Aries was roughly around the time of uh, 2024 BC, where we see a lot of evidence that there has been some sort of a nuclear explosion uh, that occurred in that region. Um, and even certain um, stones that, that appear to be the result, even in uh, King Tut's tomb, for example, there is a certain yellow-colored stone that is said to be the result of a nuclear impact of some sort. Um, and, of course, the age of Aries coming into being with such an occurrence would make sense. Did that actually occur? Uh, there were several different nuclear events during this period, um, and to quantify them all would be difficult, but but we want you to imagine the a level of experimentation that was happening with the Anunnaki. As we have mentioned, they are very interested in technology and especially the use of various portals and, and, and combination of elements. 
uh, and some of these experiments did not fare very well uh, for humanity. So, so even though there certainly were wars um, between uh, various, um, we'll say, groups of individuals that uh, assumed positions of power on planet Earth and and nuclear um, technologies were utilized and even brought from other star systems, uh, a great deal of what you're seeing is the effect of research uh, that was being done on certain, uh, we'll say, groups of or collectives of beings, um, knowing, of course, that that research could be very detrimental to the Earth and to humans. We discussed in a much earlier conversation about how Hitler was searching for the Aryan race, and that was, um, to a great extent, the start of the Nazi party, and uh, all of that was based on his search for the Aryan race and recovering all these ancient um, technologies as well as rituals to um, reconnect with uh, with his ancestors. Um, now, many researchers since that time have interpreted that he was searching for Atlantis. Um, but considering he was searching for the Aryan race, could it have been he was actually searching for the Anunnaki or did he really not know the difference? Well, we believe uh, it was the occasion to uncover the history of both, even though it may not be what he was actually looking for when he set out because uh, remember, these timelines were intersecting. So, so to have uncovered one would have been to uncover both. Yet, we do want to suggest a very strong Anunnaki uh, blood lineage here that was the driving factor in the research or the discovery of these things. Going back to Ptah and Ra, for example, I, I want to get a little bit more understanding because there there seems to be so much connection between Ptah, uh, not 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 so much Ra, but Ptah and Enki. So was Ptah? So Ptah is Anunnaki, uh, or was he some hybrid being? We could say he was a hybrid. Certainly more like an intergalactic being who came to Earth. But, but remember in hybridizing and, and coming to a, a certain geographic region would have also been predisposed to accessing some of the more prominent DNA strands and lineages of the period. We discussed in previous conversations how, um, there was a fifth and third dimension that were coexisting as a result of the Anunnaki and the reptilian timeline and, and the ninth dimension Atlantean civilization came to an end at the great flood. Um, but then the, the fifth and the third dimension um, continued forward and which is we're still living in, in that timeline today. Did did this um, did Ptah and the Egyptian civilization exist prior to the flood? Uh, and Ptah coexisted with Enki, or did Ptah join the Egyptian civilization at a later time after the flood? Well, the the pre-flood period is an interesting one to consider because, as we mentioned, there were different dimensional realities and the cataclysm changed that. So as an intergalactic being, what you must consider is there would have already been 
perhaps some presence prior to the flood to be such an important part of the reconstruction of a civilization after the flood, which we see Egypt to actually be, meaning much of what Atlantis was founded on uh, became integrated into Egypt through those who had observed and understood it or had somehow contributed to it in an astral sense, because it wasn't just those on the ground level uh, who were earthlings, perhaps, that were the ones responsible for the various forms of construction and our architecture and technology that was present uh, in Atlantis. There was a great deal of support from those beyond the veil. So, so this individual you speak of was certainly part of a council that was overseeing um, some of that construction and the the constant upgrade and and working of it, and then came to be a part of Egypt uh, after the the flood period to somewhat connect the dots, um, uh, to reunite those who may have been taken on ships during the cataclysm period and and came back with a specific purpose to rebuild uh, and to reinstate the the human genome, uh, but to also replicate um, some of the more... um, important technologies that had been a part of that civilization. Okay, just to clarify a bit further, are you saying that Ptah was in the fifth dimensional timeline with Enki and Enlil, for example, or was he one of the individuals who traveled on a ship from Atlantis along with Thoth? Because we discussed previously how Thoth was in the ninth dimension in Atlantis and he traveled the dimensional shift into the third dimension, which became, which was what Egypt was, was Ptah with, with, with him or was he part of the Anunnaki timeline that Anki and Enlil were, were on in the fifth dimension? Well, well, somewhat both because those who came to be a part of Egypt also were aware um, of the Anunnaki's presence on planet Earth and, and sometimes became uh, interconnected with what they had started or, or left behind. So, So if we had to make a determination here, we would say he was a part of the transition, um, very similar to those. Okay, so help me understand what you mean by both then. If he came over from Atlantis, how was he also in the fifth dimension with with Enlil Anki? Well, remember, these timelines intersected. So the intersection of timelines doesn't necessarily mean that you would be present in physical form and knowing of and living in close proximity with another. It's it's very similar to what is happening today. You know of the workings of many things that are going on on the planet, either simultaneous to you or have been previous to you in areas that you have never visited or with people you have never known. Uh, and this is what we are alluding to. Okay, I'd like to understand the mechanics of that a little bit better. So, Ptah, let me just carry on a storyline here, see if I understand what you're saying. So, Ptah and Thoth were in Atlantis in the ninth dimension. Anki, Enlil, and the other Anunnaki beings were in the fifth dimension. The reptilians were in the third dimension. And the the cataclysm occurred, and some of the people from Atlantis, Thoth and Ptah included, moved to the third dimension 
the um, Anunnaki, Enki, and Lilac group from the fifth dimension moved to the third dimension, and the reptilians also moved to the third dimension. So now they're all meeting in the third dimension. But prior to that, are you saying that Ptah and Thoth, for example, in the ninth dimension were aware of what was taking place in the fifth dimension because ninth dimensional beings just have the ability to have that awareness? Well, that, that is correct. Certainly we could say that it's not just from an astral perspective that someone in the ninth dimension would be aware of things like this, but but also to be multidimensional is to consider uh, many of the other things that are happening on your planet simultaneously, whether it be uh, to to just have a, a, a knowing of that, but uh, or <laughs> we should say to have some type of a, a technological ability, um, very similar to what we have been stating with um, time travel or being able to see into the the world of, of other realities. Um, this was going on quite a bit in these periods. So Ptah, although he was in Atlantis in the ninth dimension, was able to travel to the fifth dimension to interact with Enki and Enlil, for example, prior to the flood. Is my understanding correctly? That is correct. We could say that, yes. Okay. So he did have some sort of a physical manifestation in the fifth dimension even prior to the Great Flood. Yes. Okay. And uh, and so uh, would we say the same is true for Thoth as well? He was interacting in both dimensions simultaneously? Yes. And so is that only possible because they were ninth dimensional beings? I imagine a fifth dimensional being couldn't move the ninth dimension, right, to have an incarnation. Well, it is truly dependent upon the race and the location of that dimension because universal law operates differently throughout the galactic universe. Um, For example, here on planet Earth, there are many who have assumed uh, a fifth dimensional existence who are able to operate in multiple dimensions simultaneously where they are exploring other realities and have knowledge of what is taking place on timelines beyond the one that they exist in now. This is somewhat um, an, an, an astral or spiritual ability and has to be put into the context of linear time because your planet has descended somewhat into a more material um, and dense reality. So, so it is nonetheless um, the same, uh, but more instantaneous, we might say, uh, in, in other uh, locations. Uh, and remember, we're speaking of a period of time when Earth was quite different, even though uh, there was the the density, for example, of many of the activities of the Anunnaki and various reptilians. We wouldn't say the planet itself was as dense uh, in a material sense as what it is today. So, so it was far easier to accomplish these various um, time travel events and to be a seer, for example, um, than it is today. Why are there so many um, coincidental correlations between Ptah and Enki? Um, for example, the use of the coiled snake or the spiral DNA symbology in Enki's laboratory uh, and in Ptah's name as well. 
And even the now Pata is also pictured with um, feathers or like uh, feathered wings wrapping around his body. So the Anunnaki um, iconography seems to be there as well. So it would um, make sense what you're saying that he was also Anunnaki. But there are so many similarities there. Is that um, is that because Anki essentially controlled or was in charge of Africa and, and as a result Egypt and some of that iconography was carried forward into Ptah's lineage as well? Some of it can be thought of this way, uh, but there was a, a great deal of information that was transferred or or handed down from those who were in prominent positions of power, uh, especially to have been doing research of this caliber. Uh, remember the importance of the the DNA and to understand it like a technology. Uh, in the iconography of the coiled snake, you are seeing the the transfer of importance and focus on this very thing, even if it may not have been in the exact way. So so much of this symbology symbology represents a strong connection in the storyline or information that may have been shared from from one to another to be carried on in an important sense. So in the iconography that is, that's even survived to modern times where we see the the what we've been told was a sun disk or the the um the sun disk of Ra uh, in Egyptian iconography, we see it oftentimes uh, with wings on either side or sometimes with um, two snakes on either side. Um, so we see that similar iconography even carried through to today. Um, for example, even in the symbology of the um, the um, uh, various, uh, for example, the World Health Organization has the disc with the um, two leaves on either side, which are which look like um, two wings, for example, or even two serpents, or on e- either side as well. So, should we assume that 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 symbology that was used in Egypt, um, that was said to represent Ra, is the same symbology that's being used, for example, in, in a lot of world organizations like the United Nations, World Health Organization, and so on? It's that same iconography that's being carried forward. Well, it is, but always keep in mind that the intent behind it may be different than in ancient times. Uh, For example, uh, the sun disk was often used to represent uh, also a very powerful connection of the DNA because on planet Earth, the alignment of the sun uh, to your own structure is what predisposes you to universal energy. It is why even today there are many who are purporting to block the sun from you because the evolution of humanity, uh, both from an, an astral and a physical sense, is very dependent upon the the polar rays of the, the sun. Um, these are somewhat plasmic in nature and they feed your physical and energetic technology. There were many who were trying to capitalize upon that energy. Uh, There were technologies that were specifically built to channel uh, solar energy to the earth that healing chambers were built within or ceremonies were also held uh, within. Uh, 
But some of this information has been taken and somewhat hidden from you and even turned against you. So when you see today um, some of the more hierarchical organizations that are not creating a reality in humanity's best interest using this sun disk, they are attempting to channel those frequencies away from physical humans or or to somehow uh, capitalize upon the energy and the knowledge that they propose to offer uh, without allowing the collective access. Now, we also see somewhat similar iconography, as you mentioned, um, in our medical institutions as well. For example, the coiled snake with the the wings at the top and the sun disc at the very center of a staff uh, that's running down the, down the center. Now that is that carrying back to Enki's lineage of the uh, of his iconography that he used in his laboratory. That that scientific um, lineage is carrying forward till now. Yes, uh, we see it as an obvious representation of the continuation of that timeline, but. But no, also, and, and we, we alluded to this in one of our previous conversations, the, the iconography of the, the snake or, or the reptilian is sometimes taken in different forms or context, uh, whether it might be seen as the DNA strand or even sometimes the Kundalini rising uh, has to come into consideration because Today, um, in your medical institutions, you would never be focused on the inner technology in order to heal. There's always something outside of you that is being offered as the healing agent for what takes place inward. This never would have been the case in enlightened civilizations. So so some of this iconography that you speak of, it has been taken and, and somewhat twisted to represent the uh, the opposite of its original intent. And the individuals who originated this iconography in modern times, um, so the first time this iconography was used, are, were they aware of this connection of this ancient lineage and they were using it in some way to tap into or to claim a lineage from that, even though it's being used in a very different way today? In, in some circumstances, yes, but, but more so we believe, uh, it, it represents, um, a continuation of some of the philosophies and, and technologies uh, from ancient times. Uh, but remember, these have been taken out of context in the public. Um, we've spoken some today about those who are orchestrating uh, ill intent upon humanity and how they are feeling fear and seem to be running out of time you would think that they have access to incredible technologies that would ensure um, the continued health and longevity of, of their race. But what has actually happened is they have been um, using these technologies against you as opposed to for the benefit of themselves. So, so they've um, sort of taken the alternate path of what their original lineage had intended in terms of understanding hybridization and using these tools to, um, uh, in some circumstances, uh, better the earth. If we look at ancient archaeological um, 
discoveries that took place um, either in Mesopotamia or in Egypt, we see a distinct difference in archaeological architecture, for example. Uh, For example, in Egypt, we see very sophisticated pyramid structures, um, generally very clean, at least when we go back to the most ancient ones, like the Great Pyramid, not a lot of um, hieroglyphs or anything like that, very simple designs, uh, but much more sophisticated design that has withstood the test of time. Whereas if we go north of there, the Mesopotamian region, we see ziggurats that were um, much less sophisticated and, and in many cases didn't weather very well and, and to this day are not in very good condition. So there, there seems to be a distinct difference in, in the two regions, the one Mesopotamian, which was ruled over by Enlil, and the Egyptian African region ruled over by Enki. Uh, and even the two civilizations were very different. In the Mesopotamian region, we see the development of um, uh, religions based on worship of satanic entities like Baal or Bel, which seems to still uh, be prevalent today. Where in the Egyptian regions, we see what appears to be a more sophisticated spiritual religious belief Um is that because of this distinction between these two leaders, Enki and Enlil, that the, it appears that the more sophisticated uh, technologies, even pyramid building techniques, um, seem to be in the regions that Enki ruled versus uh, the regions that Enlil ruled? It is a primary difference, and there are many reasons that we could bring to your attention as to the differences in these structures and their intent, uh, mainly having to do with the inner versus the outer technology, which we have discussed with the reptilians and the Anunnaki, because in the regions where uh, Enki reigned, there was still some reptilian influence, even though it was a primarily uh, Anunnaki-led um, uh, region. Uh, and because of this, what you're noticing, and, and through some of the research that was done there, is the pyramids themselves, or the structures themselves, were created in a, in a sound and balanced connection between Earth and universe. This was important because those who used these structures uh, were intending to not only heal and, and accentuate the consciousness of those who entered, but create a, a field, perhaps, or a, a chronic and constant flow of energy, um, the, the as above and so below, um, using the earth as, as a foundation or a mechanism through which this energy would be shared um, throughout multiple meridians, for example, and and ley lines. So it was not just a technology for those who entered, uh, nor an agent of healing or change for those in the nearby region. It was actually meant and purposely designed to affect the planet as a whole. Uh, keep in mind, some of this goes back to Atlantis and how 
those in the civilization were tapping into the earthly elements and connecting them with the elements of the body to create a coherent field. Uh, this was a part of the purpose of many of these structures. That was not the focus um, in the regions that you are, are contrasting here. Um, it was a more self-serving uh, type of collective uh, in which the structures were not built with the benefit of the whole in mind. Uh, some of them aimed certainly uh, to heal, but, but many of them were more um, destructive even in their presentation, where some of the pyramids in Egypt we know were created in the perfect harmonic resonance of a mandala. Uh, the signals within these structures in Mesopotamia, for example, would um, interrupt uh, a harmonious flow and focus on uh, a very linear and singular aspect of the human structure. Even we might say some were built in recognition of the prominence of those in power, which would never have been the case, even though certain structures are named after gods or goddesses in ancient Egypt. Uh, the name was not the important part of the structure. Um, it was what the structure aimed to do for the entire planet uh, that became the most important focus. So, so we could go on, uh, but we are confirming what you are you're speaking of here. And, and so the reptilian influence that you're referring to, is that why we see the reptilian iconography more prominent in Egypt than in the Mesopotamian region, for example, in the headdresses of the pharaohs and such? Yes, they were seen as some of the enlightened and revered teachers that came in to uh, advise even about some of the um, pyramid construction uh, as well as various uh, healing uh, technologies and um, modalities. Now, we also find, uh, we discussed in a previous conversation about the reptilians and the Naga and how their architecture uh, is very ornate and very detailed, where they um, depict the ancient stories and such in their various buildings and structures, where in the most ancient Egyptian pyramids um we don't see iconography at all but we start to see iconography in later generations of the egyptian civilization now is that in any way related to maybe the reptilians being not so involved in the earlier construction of the for example the great pyramid whereas when we move to uh, for example the temple of hathor we see very elaborate ornate um, depictions and um, pictorials and hieroglyphics was that the reptilian influence that came into that society that caused that change in their architectural design well, well remember the reptilians were great storytellers it was important for them to not only create a structure but to imbue the structure with Akashic relevance or some very prominent message that would be imbued within all who would enter. And this was also a sonic vibration that was being created. Uh, even though uh, a certain um, hieroglyph, for example, may be seen uh, in, in separation of something else, 
they all fit together perfectly like a puzzle and would create a vibration or a sound that was somewhat like a download. Um, although every individual who uh, assumes to be healed as they enter is going to integrate that download a bit differently. Uh, it is all very purposeful in the design. So, so if a pyramid is connecting a soul to its one true self, there must be uh, a, a variety of different mechanisms and technologies that create a sound that is undetectable by the human ear, but resonates within the field of the individual receiving it such that they can awaken to something very prominent coming from their own history. Um, and this is certainly an influence of the reptilians uh, throughout time and throughout history. Uh, they are very well known for carving very meticulous structures in detail uh, in order to evoke a specific vibration. It seems to me that um, there are two distinct spiritual slash religious directions that we see coming one out of the Egyptian region and one out of the Mesopotamian region. The Mesopotamian region appears to have followed the lineage of the the um, uh, the fallen angels or the Anunnaki and the various teachings of magic uh, and the Kabbalah, uh, even black magic and a lot of the demonic worship that's uh, that's taken place even to this day. That Mesopotamian region seems to have been very heavily involved in worship of satanic gods, uh, even the Canaanite um, civilization that that also followed later on was very heavily involved in the worship of Bel or Baal. Whereas in Egypt, we see a very different um, religious or spiritual direction uh, that seems to be a bit more sophisticated, uh, also a bit more scientific in some respects. Uh, and, it, and it seems to me that it might have originated in the origins of, for example, what is Freemasonry today, or has become Freemasonry. Is that is that correct? Am I on the right track? You are. Yes. Okay. So, did Freemasonry originate with better intentions? It appears today that a lot of the Freemasons, uh, not the average person who may reach a third level Masonic degree, they're just regular people. But I'm talking about the the real high ranking Freemasons seem to be a very malevolent organization. Um, did it start out malevolent or did it just become that way? It, it did not start out this way. In fact, some of the original Masons will um, um, go back to ascended masters like the order of Melchizedek. Uh, but the information that was shared was so pure and so powerful that it, it was looked to be corrupted or hidden from the general public. And much like many of the religions as they have evolved on planet Earth today, uh, it is important uh, to siphon energy from groups of humans who become very involved uh, collectively in these organizations. And, and this is indeed what has happened. Uh, in fact, if we look at Freemasonry up to the highest levels, even the initiation there is not following 
the original rites and rituals of of those who began this organization, which dates back beyond uh, even the origins of Earth and can be carried off planet. So when you say goes back beyond Earth, so you're talking about the original foundation foundational principles of Freemasonry date beyond Earth? Yes, correct. Okay, so what is it today then? Is it um, Has it lost those foundational principles or is it still using those but in a more malevolent way? Well, it, it is a little bit of both. In other words, some of the most powerful and pure practices have been lowered in their vibration and have been replaced with with language um, or or various incantations, for example, that uh, are focused on um, degradation uh, of the self or uh, praying to something beyond the self, which we know, of course, follows the theme of much of what we have been talking about in these various uh, topics. At the same time, some of the original teachings do still remain. It is just that those who are teaching them have taken them somewhat out of context. It's very much like, for example, uh, yogic practice. There are a variety of different yogic teachings today, and there are some gurus who are creating their own yogic practices through channelings or interpreting the teachings of others. But it is always the intention behind the teacher or the level of consciousness through which they are operating that dictates whether or not the practice maintains its original state of um, purity or is somehow um, taken into a lower vibration. And that's ultimately what we um, observe about the the Mason uh, collective. It is been unfortunately assumed, we might say, by those who are more aligned with personal power and wealth and accumulating energy than necessarily teaching uh, what was a more benevolent um, modality and ability to activate positive energy within the self. Okay. We probably have about 14 or 15 minutes left of this wonderful Michaela channeling. It's time to take a little break. And as we come back, we'll be taking a look at the stars. We'll have a little music. And we'll bring Richard in and... Kay Pacha and Tanya Gabrielle. Also, until we um, come back together about 10, 15 minutes. Um, see you in a little while, okay? Sat Nam for now, everyone. Sat Nam. Okay, you hear me? Yeah. All right. All right, I've been messing with my computer tonight, and I'm in the middle. Uh, yeah, I've been uh, self-educating myself. I got me a virtual private network, so I am protected. Oh, good. 
All right. Uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, we're right smack in the middle of Libra. The sun's at 15 degrees. Last quarter moon, the moon is at 2 degrees of Libra, a Leo. And Venus is at the last degree of Leo. Mercury's at 6 Libra. And Mars is at 27 Libra. So that Mars is tightly square to Pluto. All right. Which is trying to Uranus. And uh, we got the, the same thing, the sextile Pluto, sextile Neptune, sextile Uranus. That's the same Uranus. Uh, getting up there. In the, in the later, let me go over here. I'm learning how to um, magnify my screen so I can read it easier. Uh, yeah, Uranus is at 23, Taurus. All right, and Pluto is at uh, 28, Taurus. And stationary direct. So uh, Pluto is going to go direct here for for a while. All right, and then we got uh, the moon. The moon is opposite Pluto tonight, and Venus is opposite Saturn. That was effective last week. It's still effective this week. Yeah, Venus is uh, Venus is. Uh, moving at uh, under a minute per day, 50, under, a, under a degree a day, 50, 50 minutes per day. So it's moving slightly slower than the sun. Mercury's moving fast, one degree and 46 minutes per day. That's fast. That's pretty fast. It, it, when it's... When Mercury is coming across the face of the sun or is going behind the face of the sun, it's when it's moving fast. When it's coming towards Earth or away from Earth, that's when it's moving slow because these are relative directions and we're working with circles here, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's an inconjunct. There's Three inconjuncts here. We got Pluto in conjunct Venus. That's Leo, 150 degrees to the end of Capricorn. We've got uh, Saturn, 150 degrees from Pisces to the last degree of uh, Cancer. I know we got another one over here, which is. Um, Sun Jupiter in conjunct there, and then we got Mars Neptune. That's another in conjunction. That's twenty eight Libra to twenty nine Pisces. So uh, twenty six Pisces, Neptune twenty six Pisces. So a lot of um. Un- 
stable situations here? When when we're talking about groups of forces, geometrically speaking, a triangle is is the most stable of the configurations in 2D. All right, and for astrology work, we're basically working with a two-dimensional layout, even though some of the planets are above the ecliptic and some are below the ecliptic. Like uh, the sun is at five degrees south of the ecliptic. And the moon is 25 degrees north of the ecliptic. And the others are, Mercury is right on the less than half a degree south of the of the plane of the ecliptic. And then Pluto is way south of the ecliptic, 20, 23 degrees. All right, all right, let's see here. I got an interrupted situation here. What is that? That won't let me do that. Okay. Anyway. So, um, yep, we're uh, we're in the uh, fruiting zone. The third quarter of the cycle is is the uh, from the third quarter up to the new next new moon is the collection of all the work we've done since the last new moon so we got we got that going on for us to, for us on a, on a positive scale but when you get into a a blossoming period and then a fruiting period and then you you're getting the, the results of the work you've done in the last 21 days in this 28-day lunar cycle. That works for the for the bad guys as well as the good guys. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, strange stuff going on politically, politically. We got a, a you know a new a new outburst of violence in the Middle East this week. Yes. Let's see. All right. So Pluto opposite the moon. Pluto trying Uranus. Pluto square Mars is the would be the most obvious um, uh, energy that's that's driving these outbursts. And we got that thing in Armenia. Yeah. That was another one. I've been I've been. Uh, BBC World News has been keeping up on on that that thing. So basically, we're still living on a world at war. Yep. Yep. It's still going on. Still going on. All these unstable energies are just, and that's not even considering mm. the influences from all the various constellations. You got the big bear, you got the Pleiades, you got the uh, the little bear, you've got 
many extra systemic energy forces that are also influencing this particular solar system. You know, the solar system is, is not isolated from exterior influences or emanations or energies or vibrations, whatever word you want to use for it, right? So uh, I just, you know, all I can all I can say is I don't see any uh, I don't see any real uh, changes coming up here anytime soon because Mars isn't moving that fast, right? Mars is only moving two thirds of a degree per day times seven. You know, like four degrees a week, four and a half degrees a week is the speed of Mars. And Mars is going into Scorpio. Right? So, we'll look at, uh, we'll look at next week and see, see what, uh, what the situation with Mars is. I think Mars, Mars and Sun are the are the things to watch for generalized agitation among humans, among humans everywhere. <laughs> I think that's the thing that, that's the thing to keep an, that I'm going to keep an eye. And then, of course, Jupiter, Jupiter conjunct Uranus. You know that that takes into account all the um, mineral, uh, vegetable, and, and oceanic situations, right? Fire and winds, and, you know, that's a Uranus thing there. So, mm-hmm. All right. That's enough of that for now. So uh, let's go listen to Kaipacha. Yeah, he, he got an alligator or a crocodile looking us in the...
But the big things I want to talk about really is Mars squares Pluto. And not only conjoint, you know, we know that Pluto square the moon's nodes. That's going on for quite a while, maybe another year or so. <laughs> and then, okay, Mars comes around to hit the south node. So it squares Pluto too. That's exact on Sunday, but it's going on this whole time, this whole week. Venus is going into Virgo on Sunday, same day that Mars squares Pluto. So that's intense. And then the next day it opposes Saturn because Saturn is right at the beginning of Pisces now. It's retrograded all the way back. So we've got Mars square Pluto. We've got Pluto square the moon's nodes. We've got Mars on the south node. We've got Venus going into Virgo. We've got Venus opposing Saturn. Oh, my goodness. And to put the icing on the cake, (laughs) Pluto is slowing down, and it will station direct, like come to a dead stop. Okay? I mean, it's an optical illusion, but still, from planet Earth, it looks like Pluto has stopped. And it is going to move forward again. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, transformation on the horizon. So, yeah, this whole time this moon is, you know, after that third quarter moon on Friday, right? She is waxing. I mean, she's waning, waning, waning. That's that's Captain John. Oh God! It was quite a ride. I have to say that um, that that airplane propeller was too noisy. So uh, I I am back at the hotel room, um, narrating this from uh, from the bed. But uh, it, yeah, I wanted to do the pay the report on the Everglades, but it just uh, it started raining and everything. So say la vie. That's what it's about, and. Let me stop this and talk at you. Okay. Truth is, I got to get this over with before (laughs) I go nuts, man. (laughs) Oh, God. Mantra is about truth. This week is about truth. Uncovering, discovering the truth. Got to tell the truth, man. It was raining out at the Everglades yesterday and, you know... I'm taking off today. I'm at the freaking hotel. It starts raining this morning. I'm trying to do this freaking report. And we're talking stress. We're talking tension. We're talking Pluto square the moon's nodes coming up to the eclipses. Hello. We're in for it. (laughs) I got to say, these next couple of weeks could be pretty intense, folks. I mean, just look at the aspects starting, uh, starting this weekend. You know, Venus going into Virgo, okay, there's, it's going to like, okay, she's out of her shadow, she's done her whole journey down into the underworld, and now she's coming back out, and she is, you know, rising in the east as the Amazon warrior goddess. We've got Pluto going direct. What's Pluto going direct? Think of a bulldozer. Yeah, a bulldozer. Moving huge mountains of earth, you better get out of its way. And then it goes back, retrograde, goes down a little bit, and I mean, it is about, yeah, the force of evolution, this force of evolution is going to go forward 
and it's going to push us forward. Our unconscious soul wants to evolve, whether our ego wants to or not, and may involve some destruction of structures, of sources of security, of what we thought was permanent or true or real about ourselves, about our relationships, about other people, about jobs, about the world economy, about everything. I mean, it's, it's you know, this is like, to tell the truth. It used to be a TV show. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And then what? If that's not enough, Mars on the South Node. Right? Today? Kaboom! I'm going to talk about that, right? In the sign of Libra. Squaring Pluto. Kaboom! And the Sun, Mercury are both kind of approaching that south node. We will have next week, we will have an eclipse, right? The solar eclipse. And the solar eclipse is going to be followed in two weeks by the lunar eclipse. So they call this a, an eclipse season. And eclipses are about, right, intense, deep transformation of a very unpredictable nature because they deal with very subconscious and unconscious forces coming up from below, below the dragon's tail, all right? It's where the dragon poops, right? You know, it's the end. It's the excrement. It is what is the past, what is out there and needs to be let go of. Mars going into Scorpio next Wednesday. It's going to be there for at least six weeks, seven weeks. Okay. And this followed by the Sun and Mercury shortly after. I mean, this is not only eclipse season, but it is, yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's Scorpio season. Libra Scorpio has to do with relationships, partnerships, which has to do with projections, has to do with conversations. It has to do with, you know, intentional dialogue, because what is this? And I, I was thinking about this, because i got to read to you the uh, Sabian symbol that really inspired uh, this week's uh, mantra, yeah, because it has a lot to do with the end of illusion. And, I, and I've, I've been meditating on what is the source of illusions anyway, right? We've got Venus opposite Saturn. Okay, Saturn up there in Pisces, you know, and this can be, uh, you know, the end, uh, you know, Saturn's reality, okay, you know, the reality of our relationships opposite Venus as different from our illusions, our hopes, our dreams, our wishes about what, you know, we wished and hoped for in our relationships, in our lives, in ourselves, even. Venus is our relationship to ourselves, our ability to love ourselves. Opposite Saturn is self-judgment, judgment coming from other people, judgment coming from our partners, and even feeling judged by God when Saturn is in Pisces. <laughs> so I'm thinking about it, and it's interesting, because what? The source of illusions, Neptune, is also the source of dreams, of inspiration. Neptune is that egoless, selfless, spiritual state of being, our multidimensional self that is innocent, that is love, that is one with all that is. And how does that become an illusion? I mean, 
So it is about, and this is what Saturn moving through Pisces for the next three years is about kind of separating out, distinguishing from what is heaven and what is earth, what is divine, what is you know earthly, what is spiritual, what is material, you know. I mean, and 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 this is so much to do with our task as human beings. Our task as human beings is to, you know, bring inspiration, bring the divine, bring our imaginations into third-dimensional reality. So I think the illusion, and this is self-delusion, okay, I think I'm so smart, right? You know, what the reality is, well, you know, I don't know everything, so sometimes I will call another person to me to say, guess what, you know, you're dumb. <laughs> you know, and and it's, you know, it's a confrontation, you know, and, you know, and I'm, this is just one example, right? It could be that, you know, you're ugly, you're dumb, you're weak, you're blah, 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 you know, everything that you're afraid of being, <laughs> you know, but they bring it up. You're needy, you're insecure, you're a baby, you're cold, you're judgmental, you're... I mean, think of all the judgments that can be thrown upon you and may be thrown upon you over these next few weeks. But they are to, like, really, you know, it's kind of like, wake up, wake up, wake up, okay, you know? Yes, you have a dream. Yes, you have... An inspiration. Yes, you have an ideal. Neptune is ideals. This is what I want to be. This is what I want Earth to be. This is what I want my relationship to be. This is what I want, you know, to create in this world. I mean, thank God for Neptune. The only problem is Earth, Saturn, third dimensional reality, man. You know, it takes resistance polarity, counterpoint awareness. We learn and evolve through this opposition. And this has to do with conflict. But this conflict and this opposition, you know, helps us dispel our illusions. You know, what is not yet you could say, you know, that an illusion is a dream or a vision that is ahead of its time and it's just not here yet. So it's an illusion until you engage your ego, your will, your strength, your intelligence, your money, your, you know, you, you have to, we have to engage. This is Virgo. This is Venus going into Virgo. We have to come out of this Neptune, Saturn, and Pisces into this Venus and Virgo. And what else are we going to be dealing with then? We're going to be dealing with South Node, Mars, and Libra. Let's look at it now. Mars is the ruler of the North Node, so it's very important for the next year and a half or, you know, until January of 25. North Node of the Moon moving through Aries, ruled by Mars. We've got to follow Mars around 
and you look at Mars in your natal chart, you need to be doing your Mars wherever it is in your natal chart, and that's going to be your evolutionary journey this path, this time, yeah, this time period. But right now it's in Libra. They call that in the old books the detriment. Mars is in its detriment because it rules the opposite sign. Yeah? So here's, you know, Mars in Libra. It's it's like, well, what's Mars? I, me, my. I want, I desire, I take, I assert, I charge, I go forward with what I am and I, 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 I. And it's in the sign of Libra partnership. Whoa. <laughs> Does Mars want to listen? Does Mars want to cooperate? Does Mars want to compromise? Absolutely not. Now here we have to look at the difference between Mars transiting Libra and Mars in your natal chart in Libra. These are two different stories. If you've got Mars and Libra in your natal chart, okay, that is different. Okay, that is that, you know, that is a soul evolutionary intention to create, okay, you know, an active relationship and partnership that, you know, involves, you know, a lot of activity and a lot of passion and a lot of, you know, interaction. But transiting Mars is what I'm talking about. And for all of us, and then going into Scorpio, like I said next week, you know, this is a time where uh, it's time to look at our differences. I'm sorry. (laughs) We are different. It's time to notice them, look at them, and, you know, talk about them, discuss them, and stand in our truth. And here's here's where the... uh, mantra comes in, here's where the Sabian symbol comes in, here is where Jupiter and Uranus and Taurus, unconditional self-love, standing in what I value, in what is my truth, healing the wound of Chiron and Aries, I deserve to exist, I deserve to be honored and respected, yeah, as who I am, just because I am. Not out of what I have or what I accomplish or what I know or what I blah, blah, blah. It's like every alligator, every bird, every dolphin, every person, you know, just, yeah, deserves to exist because they exist. Not in our cultural societies of competition and who's got the most, uh, who's, who's got the biggest boat, <laughs> whatever, you know. So this is the challenge. This is the challenge is to be in relationship, but true to ourselves and not retreat from relationship in order to be a hermit or a shepherd out on the mountain with the sheep. And yeah, I can be myself, you know, in isolation, in separation. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's not a, that's not a biggie. That's kind of a, you know, given because you have no choice. Anybody can do that. <laughs> the thing is to hold true, hold true to that self. Yeah. In the face of confrontation, without getting pulled, you know, into the drama, into, uh, you know, the anger, into, you know, the argument, but then also not running away from the argument, not running away from the confrontation. Not So there's this dance that we really have to do. And... What really blows my mind, this this Sabian symbol, I'm going to be meditating on this sucker for a long, long time. 
Unbelievable. You got to check this out. You ready? Uh, this is for uh, the the degree of the third quarter moon squaring the sun is Cancer, the 14th degree. Yeah. A very old man facing a vast dark space to the northeast. The keynote is a fulfillment in transcending and changeless wisdom. This symbol describes the wise old man, an archetypal figure found in all systems of symbolism. In occult terminology, the northeast is the direction from which spiritual cosmic forces enter the earth sphere. Northeast, folks. This is probably because the polar axis of the earth is inclined by some 23 degrees away from the exact perpendicular to the plane of its orbit. Because of this inclination of the polar axis, we have the phenomenon of seasonal change. Supposedly, during the golden age, no such change occurred. A perpetual spring reigned. This is traditionally the spiritual state. I could go on about that whole thing. A different video about this whole procession of the equinoxes uh, may not necessarily be like you said, you know, this is supposedly Anyway, the wise old man faces the changeless reality, the true north, which for us is located in a northeast direction. He faces the great void, that apparent darkness, which is an intense light, invisible to our senses. Here's the big one implied is that by consistently and for a long time meditating on the changeless and spiritual reality at the very core of all experiences, one can attain the supreme and age-old wisdom. We see in the symbol a way beyond appearances and toward, in big capital letters, permanence in truth. These are the days, folks. These are the times where we are facing a shitload of change. It is like everything is changing. And it makes it very difficult to feel secure. It makes it very difficult to take a stand without getting, okay, like just rocked and rolled and challenged and pushed and manipulated or exploited or da 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 da. And there's just this what to believe and who to believe and what to, you know, live for and why am I here and what's the point and all these doubts and all these questions come up because the landscape is incomplete transformation right 
The future is extremely uncertain as we speed up and speed up and technology speeds up and speeds up and our lives speed up and speed up and there's just there's just more coming at us all the time. And so it's really something to contemplate. Permanence in truth. A changeless spiritual reality. It does exist. In silence. In the void. I've just been swimming, I submerged underwater, listening to just my breath through the snorkel, right? You know, feeling the heartbeat, listening to the underwater silence. Meditating, like Buddha did under the Bodhi tree. There is a permanent truth. And that permanent truth is within us. This is the North Node in Aries. This is the wound of Chiron in Aries. This is the work that we need to do now. We want to use all of our conversations, all of our relationships to help us and guide us towards that permanent truth that is us, that is me. <laughs> I am Kaipacha Truth. <laughs> you are Harry, Sally, Jim, Jane, whatever truth. We are each like this, we are, and we are connected to this infinite, permanent spirit. And it has to do with what is moral, what is an integrity, what's going to blow over my phone. <laughs> yeah, baby. Oh, God. Right? I'm getting blown away here, dude. Shit. Okay, so, yeah, that's, you know, that is what I want to bring forward for you today. Let me look at this mantra because I'm getting wasted here. I will not be pulled off center by him or her or you. But listen and share and feel inside for what is essential, eternal, and true. This is what Scorpio wants to get down to, okay? I mean, this is what these eclipses are going to be about. This is bringing up from the cellar, okay? We're opening up your suitcase and getting rid of, letting go of whatever is not truly you. It doesn't reflect you. It doesn't help you. It doesn't support you. It's not about your growth, your evolution. You know, it's something that you may be clinging to or that you have the illusion that you need this to complete yourself or you need this person or you need this situation or you need this money in order to be safe and secure. Bullshit. I mean, this is, this we can be challenged during this time. And let's put it in context. The context is that this is a south node solar eclipse. 
The moon is on her south node. She's weaker. That makes the sun more powerful. The solar will. So we are now closing. This this week is this third, you know, it's the last quarter. We're going into the balsamic phase. We're closing this month cycle that started with Virgo purification. And if we're not purified enough, <laughs> maybe the, the, this last time was about purifying ourselves, our body, our diets, our health, our our you know our integrity, our getting and and this next cycle is going to be about asserting and standing. Okay, so we find our truth, then we have to stand in our truth and uphold our truth and speak our truth and not fall back or run away. But like, so yeah, you know, Venus is still in this. There's work to do. We got a month of Venus in Virgo, and Mars is. I need to assert, okay, my my truth in relationship and partnerships in the sign of Aries. I mean Libra, ruler of Aries. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So yeah, that you know that is what it is about for us in this time period. And two weeks, three well, three weeks from now, we will have a lunar eclipse, and the moon will be on her north node, and she will be the strong factor. So in the solar eclipse. We have to do. We have to set our solar will, our solar purpose. We have to make decisions. We have to, you know, you know, you know, assert our truth. And then, two, three weeks from now, at that lunar eclipse that's happening around the twenty-first or so, you know, that is going to be all right. You know, getting the feedback, getting the reflection. You know, that full moon energy, emotional. Reactions and responses to what we start to lay out. So I just want to encourage you. Now is the time. At this, you know, last quarter phase of the moon, as she moves through and around. Okay, Leo, Virgo, Libra. This is, you know, get ready. Get your house in order. Identify your needs, your strengths, your truth, your goals, your da 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 da, and then prepare and be ready. Okay, you know to like discuss, listen, and uh, there'll be another Pele report by then, so I can talk to you some more later. <laughs> okay, right now I'm off to Pluto, Scorpio, and the eighth house, a week long retreat here in Florida before heading off to other pastures, but.、Uh, I'm、uh, wishing you the best now, and yeah, look for me. I am on the move. I am on the move. I will be in Bali. Okay, I'm, I'm going to be doing about the moon's nodes and finding your soul's purpose and why you are here. That's that, that's in November. You want to pack your bags, baby? Join me in Bali. Super good pricing over there. You can live cheaper in Bali than just you know a lot of other places. <laughs> And then Patagonia. If you're thinking in advance, planning in advance, end of February, March, next、uh, next year, gotta get down to Patagonia. It's on my bucket list, man. It's gonna be amazing. I'll talk to you more about that later, but check it out. There's links below. 
go to my website in the meantime. I'm doing readings, running the school. Yeah, all kinds of astrology all over the place. So take care. Namaste. Aloha. So much astrology. get to see it right where here in the southwest well uh, position wise it's going to be right overhead well we should be able to see that it's, uh, 2 in the afternoon right 2.30 in the afternoon oh will it be too light uh, I don't know where the shadow path is going to be, but uh, that's and that's that's not as important as the as the configuration here because you've got you've got Mercury, Sun, Moon, and Mars all together, starting with Mercury. At 18 Libra, that's 10 degrees from an exact square to Pluto. All right. So the sun is closer and the moon is closer. Now, this is going to be at 22 degrees of Libra. All right. That's where the eclipse is going to be. So Mercury is at 18 and Mars is at 2 Scorpio. So all four of those bodies will be square to Mars. And opposite Chiron at oh. 17 Aries. Oh, wow. All right. And... Trying Saturn at at one Pisces. Alright. Mm-hmm. Mars will be exactly t- t- Mars at two Scorpio will be trying Saturn at one Pisces. So that Saturn may mitigate the chaos a bit. Well, that's good. 
but gets, again, get grounded somewhere. Somewhere, but then again, Venus is still going to be opposite that Saturn, and that mm-hmm. Saturn is still going to be square Uranus. Mm-hmm. So you got, uh, and if um, if the sun and moon are square Pisces, then Chiron is. I mean, if sun and moon are square Pluto, then Chiron is also square Pluto. Because Chiron's at eighteen, Mercury's going to be at eighteen. Okay, on the Libra Aries. And that's, you know, pretty, you know, it's within 10 degrees of an exact square. You know, the, the, the uh, Chiron-Pluto is going to be 80 degrees away, and Pluto-Mercury uh, is going to be 100 degrees away from Pluto. Okay. But anyway, that'll be the setup. Plus, plus that... That new moon is going to be in Uranus. New moon, what? Which which is just instability. In conjunct, 150 degrees is a condition of instability. You're moving moving between a trine and an opposition. And so you got that going on. Sounds like moving through dimensions. Oh, uh, there's, there's, it's very hard for humans deep into density, i.e. trapped in physical bodies, mm-hmm. to actually see the number of active bodies just in the solar system. Mm-hmm. Some of those bodies are, are not physical. They're still etheric. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and according, according to the master teacher, DK, there's about 115 conscious bodies in the solar system. 115? 115. I've heard something about this. They're actual physical, like planets that can cloak and decloak, that kind of thing. Well, it's the difference between the um, vibrational zone of the astral plane and the etheric energy web. See, that's where that's where most of the action is going on, not down here in the in the in the physical plane. Right. The physical plane is just the lowest, densest, slowest moving zone of the cosmic physical plane. Mm-hmm. And until vibrational conditions change and until individuals uh, 
mature enough to where their etheric vision begins to operate full time with full consciousness, then we're still in the dark. Mm-hmm. And that's just the way it is. Yep. All right. Well, you all have a great day and uh, enjoy enjoy next Saturday afternoon. Oh, it, yeah. It's gonna. What's gonna be interesting to watch? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't follow college football, but they mostly play on Saturdays. And with this new moon opposite Chiron, there's likely to be upsets. The stock market is likely to be uh, jittery, mm-hmm. although it, it seems to have calmed down a little bit. But I was listening to some economic commentary Friday, and uh, one of the one of the group in the conversation was saying that Mr. Powell and the Federal Reserve are trying not to appear concerned. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, they can't get they can't get inflation going down, so prices are continue continuing to rise even if they're not rising as fast as they have been. They're yeah. not going their prices are not going down. No, except except under unusual unusual conditions and only in local areas. Well, gas is only three oh four around here. I mean, that's amazing. Well, our governor, Mr. Kemp, <laughs> just extended he ex, he he extended the gas tax last month. Which yeah. took thirty, which took thirty-two cents off of gas and thirty-five cents off of diesel. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I bought gas Thursday and I paid three ten. Yeah, and that's great. Yeah, yeah, and he and, and he extended it for another month. So if you're anywhere if you're anywhere near Georgia or I guess New Mexico, that's where the cheap gas is. <laughs> and then likewise I heard it's near seven bucks in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, that that's true. All right. Namaste. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you, Richard. All right, talk to you later. We'll see you next Saturday. Yes, you will. Bye for now. Namaste. Yes, Tanya, now. Gabrielle, Wealth Astrometrologist. Welcome to Star Codes, 
This is the podcast where we look at an upcoming event in the stars and numbers to receive the celestial message. And in this case, it's major. We have entered eclipse month. October 2023 has two eclipses. The first of which is the Libra solar eclipse and new moon eclipse. And it happens at 21 degrees Libra on October 14th. And that is at 6.55 Universal Time, 1.55 Eastern Time, New York, and 10.55 a.m. Pacific Time, L.A. And you don't need to be a Libra to benefit from this forecast. You have Libra somewhere in your birth chart. So this new moon impacts everyone because it occurs in one of your houses. You have 12 houses in your birth chart and, of course, lots of planets. So you will benefit from this forecast no matter what. Now, if you do have sun or moon or you're ascending in Libra, even more so you will be deeply impacted. So this solar eclipse happens at 21 degrees, which is the number of our century, the 21st century, and it represents the truth shall set you free in numerology. So it is the number of truth and joy. And the new moon is conjunct Mercury, which is really a blessing. And we'll get into that shortly. So Mercury is a planet of the mind and it can bring a lot of clarity when conjunct the sun and moon in Libra because Libra is an air sign and the air element governs the mind. It is very quick and it is not that emotional. And so we have a lot of opportunity here with this eclipse. So Libra is ruled by Venus, and Venus governs love. It governs pleasure, beauty, abundance, your values. And October is an eight universal month in numerology. So eight governs leadership and abundance. So Venus And eight have the abundance in common. And so when you look at the number eight, it signifies the above and the below. It signifies balance of both heaven and earth. And that's what Libra represents, is balance, is harmony. So at the time of the Libra new moon, and again, this is an eclipse, Venus, the ruler of Libra, is opposite to Saturn. And because Venus is the ruling planet of the solar eclipse, this opposition is setting the tone in many ways. So oppositions bring balance, and Libra represents the balances. So how do oppositions bring balance? Well, they represent a polarity that needs to be harmonized. So with Venus opposite Saturn, the first thing to know is you'll need more alone time around this eclipse. So just take it and feel comfortable with it. And it's good for everyone to have quiet time where we're not interrupted or distracted by external things, including other people. So that alone time can be spent in nature. That would be a wonderful way or in your sanctuary somehow, in meditation, listening to music, however it is that you feel comfortable taking that time. But don't worry about any delays during this time. Saturn opposite Venus can bring that in order to slow you down. So it's very important to focus on practical matters 
and getting your creative projects accomplished. So the other thing about Venus, since Libra and the ruler Venus also govern love, they govern intimate relationships, both personal and business. So this solar eclipse really wants you to take responsibility, Saturn, for any relationship tension that might be happening in your life. It also wants you to focus on being responsible about money and debt, organize your finances, paying off debt. And the other factor is the harmonious side, the beauty side of Venus, and just knowing that surrounding yourself by beautiful things and harmonious frequencies will do wonders to help you bring your internal life into peace and to feel that security. So Venus opposite Saturn is really wonderful for self-awareness and growth. And because Libra is the sign of harmony, it's very important for this growth to see from the eyes of source, of spirit, because then you see yourself in everything and in everyone. And that means that every experience that you're having is the one that spirit is having as well through you. And this is really oneness, which is what Libra represents with the balances is to bring everything so supremely into harmony that you are at one, that there is no imbalance in your life. So oneness doesn't mean, though, that everything is the same or that everything looks alike. It means that everything is animated by the same force. So since Libra is ruled by Venus, planet of creativity, with creation, source is expressing itself in terms of the amazing diversity of the creative process. And that means nothing is identical and everything is unique. And everything is made from the same energy, the same special sauce, which is what the balances represent. So a nice metaphor would be to making shapes from clay. So you can make a cat, a flower, a turtle, a woman. Each are made of clay, but they all look different, but they're fundamentally the same. They are unique and yet they are also the same. And this is one of the great paradoxes in life is that everything is unique, but everything is the same at its core. In substance, everything is the same. And that's the oneness. And I have a masterclass that focuses on this very topic, the important difference between individuality and uniqueness. It's called How to Master Your Stars, and you can watch it at spiritualmasteryclass.com. So everything is unique, but everything is the same at its core, in its substance. And so it is with you and me. We are both formed by divine creator, but we appear as being different in the form that we take. And one of the big things that we do as humans is we believe we are our form, our body, but our true nature is actually divine. Our true nature is love, which Libra and Venus represent. So love is the most essential quality of 
our true nature. So you could essentially say that you and everything are love. Libra is love. Venus is love. Love is the substance from which all creation is shaped. And Venus opposite Saturn is bringing that home in a big way because Saturn represents reality. So love in this metaphor is the clay that life is made of. And Source loves the joy of being alive, of exploring and learning through us. Your joy is Source's joy, in other words. We as creations have all different experiences. And that comes through the courage and perseverance of taking all your gifts during every lifetime and using them and exploring them and enhancing them and growing as a result. So that strength and drive to overcome all odds, no matter what is happening, is in you. It's within you. And the capacity to meet life's challenges rationally, and again, here we come to Libra, an air sign, and the eclipse conjunct Mercury, the capacity to meet life's challenges rationally is within you too. Mercury is the planet of the mind, of communication, and it can be very rational, it can be very practical, as can Saturn. Remember, Saturn's opposite Venus, the ruler of the eclipse. So Libra, the sign of harmony, is reminding us that being rational and not attached emotionally to an outcome is the key. And also to remember that violence is never a way to deal with any challenge. What you're consistently being nudged to do in order to come into balance is to overcome fear, to overcome discouragement, victimhood, and the negativity of the human mind. And this is why the conjunction of Mercury to the solar eclipse is so important because it literally brings our mind and our light into oneness. Once we overcome those negative emotions by mastering the mind, then any challenges that we face will be much more manageable. And that's the balance of Libra. It is to not get emotionally wrapped up and out of balance where we're not secure where we're not grounded so then we feel to be happy without being emotional imagine that to just have the feeling of happiness where you determine your own happiness not the circumstance the circumstance is not determining your happiness and you do that by what you say to yourself, your self-talk, and how you respond to any circumstances. So this way, you're not a victim of anything that happens to you, because victimization is the experience that you're having, or you believe you are a victim. And if you believe you are a victim, you feel like a victim. You know, believing makes it so. Believing anything makes it so. So the biggest challenges in life that we have are the beliefs, the stories that we weave in our mind about how to feel in any given circumstance. And life is much simpler than the mind and the stories we weave make of it. The mind really complicates everything by making it all about me. But life is not about us, about you, about the individual. It is about how unique we are. 
Life is not personal. It's not meant to personalize what happens. It is what it is, and the way you get through it is to tap into your innate God-given gifts, God-given strengths, which are love and courage and compassion and gratitude and peace. So find that divine creator within yourself, and then your life will be transformed. Because spirit is evident through the feelings of happiness, the feelings of love and joy and strength, and in every wise, rational, loving thought that you have. That's how spirit is evident. Spirit is right here. Source is here because there is nothing but source. And you are just playing in the scenery, the the play that was created by spirit for spirit. And the actions that you take, they're either divinely inspired or they're allowing the character in that scenery to act according to its beliefs and its illusions, which spirit also created. So when you realize this, then you'll enjoy the ride a lot more. You'll travel through the ups and downs, the lefts and rights with more love and less pain. And when you do this, you learn to be in life without suffering because you accept fully life as it is and you love life as it is. And that's what source does. It just explores itself. So this is truly the message of this incredible, amazing Venus opposite Saturn, Libra solar eclipse. And you can discover a lot more about your own spiritual awakening at this crucial time in that free masterclass that you can watch at spiritualmasteryclass.com. So we cover the difference between individuality and uniqueness, so, so important, the secrets to spiritual mastery, the true meaning of your rising sign, your natal sun and natal moon's important impact on living a joyful life, and how to instantly connect with spirit and many, many more secrets. Get instant access to the free webinar at spiritualmasteryclass.com. Have fun with it. Have a wonderful Libra solar eclipse. And I'll see you in next week's Star Codes podcast. the phone numbers for the conference call. Oh, 720-713-6-3-POUND. And the PIN code is 353-863-POUND. Again, one more time. 720-716-7301. And the pin code is 353-863-POUND. All righty. We'll see you there, everybody. And we'll be right back here at BBS Radio, best radio in 
down <laughs> at the top of the next hour. <coughs> See you on the conference. Namaste for now. Thank you, Rama. All right, we'll complete Michaela for now. Let's do that. It's about, what, 15 more minutes? Yeah. Here we go. Okay, I put it back a little bit. Just a little. Incantations, for example, that uh, are focused on um, degradation uh, of the self or uh, praying to something beyond the self, which we know, of course, follows the theme of much of what we have been talking about in these various uh, topics. At the same time, some of the original teachings do still remain. It is just that those who are teaching them have taken them somewhat out of context. It's very much like, for example, uh, yogic practice. There are a variety of different yogic teachings today, and there are some gurus who are creating their own yogic practices through channelings or interpreting the teachings of others. But it is always the intention behind the teacher or the level of consciousness through which they are operating that dictates whether or not the practice maintains its original state of um, purity or is somehow um, taken into a lower vibration. And that's ultimately what we um, observe about the the Mason uh, collective. It is been unfortunately assumed, we might say, by those who are more aligned with personal power and wealth and accumulating energy than necessarily teaching uh, what was a more benevolent um, modality and ability to activate positive energy within the self. Was the Freemasonry that was developed in Egypt um, a reptilian um, influence that created that or brought it into being or was it an Anunnaki reptilian? Essentially, was it created in a, um, what was the lineage or the individuals or energy that brought it into being? This is originally an, an, an uh, reptilian uh, reptilian focused and created methodology. Uh, yet, of course, keep in mind that, that reptilians, even though they have come from their own home star system, have traveled throughout the galactic universe and have shared their teachings and been influenced by others. So, so it is difficult for us to say that it holds only reptilian knowledge and influence, but but those who came to Earth were were sharing uh, all that they had learned on their travels throughout the universe. So it was a very, the original Freemasonry in Egypt anyway, was as a result, must have been a very mind-based teaching, I assume, if it was reptilian primarily, is that correct? We, we agree. Uh, it is always focused on either the control of the mind or the use of the mind in order to individually or collectively create a specific result. So how did Freemasonry, being something that contains universal knowledge, become such a secretive, private um, society as opposed to something that was taught to everybody? Well, because those in power uh, who were not necessarily benevolently focused 
understood the magnitude of these teachings and immediately took it to underground societies where it was taught for a period of time uh, to those who are interested, but but then became eventually influenced and, and changed and focused more perhaps on, on monetary um, collection as well as the accumulation of power. We, we've talked somewhat in these transmissions about the, the shifting of humans from a, a mind focus to that of emotion. And we want to introduce the concept of, of language or, or words, which are very, very powerful when it comes to evoking a specific response, uh, both with universal energy as well as within the self. This has been some of the biggest change we believe that has been made in some of the uh, legendary prophecies and and magic that is shared in these institutions. Very slight changes in language can cause um, huge adjustments in how energy flows, uh, how it impacts an individual, or whether or not it is able to be um uh, utilized for for uh, good intent as opposed to evil. And we can take this even into some of your modern day chants. Um, while some of the original Sanskrit chants were very particular in their sound, uh, some of this today has been changed. And a very slight incantation or shift in Vocal tone or word or sound in a Sanskrit chant can bring it into a lower range or even a guttural presentation that evokes the wrong spirit. So, so all of this has to be taken into consideration. Now, it seems to me that these two distinct directions that started in ancient times in Egypt and Mesopotamia have carried forward to modern times. And it still looks to be very distinct in that we see a segment of the population and primarily world leaders and secret societies that are very much focused on the worship of satanic beings and um, the use of um, Kabbalah and other kinds of dark magic. But we also see um, groups of uh, world leaders who are much along the Masonic um, lineage and um, practices associated with that. So are there two distinct groups of um, in our society today that are controlling society, each with their own different philosophies, or have they come together as one today? We, we believe there is some overlap, and, and that is what has taken place gradually over time. And, and, and we do agree in these two various factions and how they obviously show up throughout history and, and still somewhat exist today, but behind closed doors, what, what you might find is there is some negotiation here and, and certainly some overlap because, uh, the, the focus is exactly the same, uh, as we have mentioned, self-preservation, uh, the ability to weaken human DNA to tap into the, the most valuable and powerful aspects of it for self. Uh, when when all of these intentions collide, you have a group of individuals who, with with great deal of power and accumulation of information, are able to take over an entire society. 
And so is this why we see a lot of overlap in iconography today? For example, as we've discussed many times, the the snake uh, in the claws or the talons of the eagle, the eagle representing the Mesopotamian religions, Enlil, the Anunnaki, versus a snake, which is the reptilian influence, which, as we've said, is we can correlate with the um, Masonic traditions. So is that why we see that? Um, blending of the iconography in modern times and in many global institutions in the medical profession and so on. Uh, it is, but but also make no mistake, it is in the best interest of those who wish to take over your planet to continue to reinforce a frequency of war, however that best comes about. So. So in this iconography, that is exactly what you are seeing. It's a, a vibrational transference or account of the energy of ancient times that is used widely in, or, in order to um, influence this type of vibration. And, and of course, many of you can see on the earth today how there is such a um, um, dramatic uh, focus on dividing the human collective in order to continue that warlike mentality, uh, whether it is a war of physical magnitude that is taking place uh, uh, in a geographic region or, or whether it is the wars that have been uh, evoked within families and, and between loved ones. This is the type of energy that creates density uh, upon which those in power thrive. Uh, not only does it weaken human potential and keep them in a lower vibrational consciousness, it ushers in a material density uh, within which these uh, beings, we will call them, um, are able to succeed. So are these beings on these two sides producing these wars collectively to ultimately to control humanity. So they're working together to produce that same end result, or are they actually at war with each other because they have different agendas? Well, uh, we think it's a little of both, again, because you are looking at a, a wide spectrum and a scope here of various beings that have influence from various timelines, uh, meaning within their bloodlines, uh, they were focused on certain activities and, and others were not. But the bottom line is um, whatever war is created is is equal somewhat to a human sacrifice. In other words, we hate to use that terminology uh, because we know it can sound fearful and Many humans today have come to terms with the idea that these types of rituals uh, continue on behind closed doors. But, but what is even more important to us sometimes is what you do not recognize that happens before your very eyes, which uh, will demonstrate the amount of ritualistic types of planning and abuse that takes place both collectively between and and also um uh, in opposition of these two races. Okay, and it, is it fair to say then, since you brought that topic up, that the the human sacrifice aspect of it 
is going back to the Mesopotamian region civilization under Enlil um, that was practicing black magic and and human sacrifice. Is that aspect of what war has resulted in today versus Egyptian civilization was not that? That is correct. Okay. And that's why we see the eagle, which represents the Anunnaki Mesopotamian Enlil civilization, being the primary iconography of nations such as the United States. Is that correct? It is. Okay. Yes. So how how would you explain then that the U.S. supposedly in 1776 was founded by a group of individuals who were largely Freemasons? Well, the, the Freemasonry is not necessarily limited to the actual group of this name. So, so what we have to explain is there are Freemasons who don't necessarily participate in what is known as the more public, uh, accounts of this group, but in a, in a more secret and an underground way practice the, the original teachings, uh, to their benefit. Okay, just to make sure I understand that. So are you saying that some of the original founding fathers were practicing a more benevolent, maybe the more of the original Freemasonry that came out of Egypt that was not as malevolent, but then there were also some who were maybe involved in the more Mesopotamian uh, human sacrifice, that, that sort of part of the religion as well? Yes, correct. Okay. And so the religions have kind of blended a bit over time is what you're saying. They have. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to finish there for today and we'll come back and we'll resume that topic next time. Thank you, Michaela. Right. And thank you all for joining us for another channel revelations. If you want to check us out on various other platforms, we're also on many podcast platforms as well as rumble. And some of our videos are being deleted on YouTube. So if you don't see a video on our YouTube page, you may find it on Rumble or a podcast as well. So thank you again, and we'll see you next time. Aloha. <laughs> okay, now we're going to do Amanda. You gotta find it. Amanda. You gotta find it. Yeah. Let me see. Where's Amanda? Mm. I gotta find it too. Yeah. I haven't heard from Amanda for a while. Mm. Um. Hmm. Just wait a minute here. Here she is. All right, I will read this. I am, honey. I'm going to read this. Uh, October. The video, do, the video you don't know you need. New rhythm in town. Seated underground. October heralds in a permanent new rhythm which you may already be sensing. This beckons us to a womb space of reinvention where everything looks, feels, and is different. And as such, the external environment 
of your life will soon reflect the inner change. We can no longer run along the track lines of old earth. New track lines, timelines, are being instigated within our DNA and necessitate both an inner and outer evolution. So, what does change look like? And what is the new rhythm in town? Moving away from the dopamine hits of scandal, gossip, and fear, with all capital letters, breaking news and our heightened nervous system, to a more mellow, centered place. Why would some cling, uh, cling on to old earth energies? And how do we as way showers, way showers manifest something different? Being brave enough to try something new, not missing the details of life in our rush to go around in circles. The power and beauty of showing other aspects of ourselves in times of greater restrictions, appreciating also what we have already been and done. Working with old and new magenta ray vibrations and messages from both and messages from water, goddesses, and the heart. Did you find it, darling? Mm. Yes? All right. This is one hour and 17 minutes and 56 mm. seconds. Let's get started. Here we go. Good morning, everyone. Good afternoon. Good evening. How are you? This is Amanda. I do hope that you're well. So today is the 2nd of October 2023 as I record this video for you. It's going to be an energy overview of the month ahead, which is October, the 10th month of the year and numerologically a number eight in this particular year of 2023. So I'm going to be talking about a new rhythm that is in town. Uh, I don't know whether you have been feeling it as much as I have. Uh, some of you, I'm sure, will be on the same page. If you're not, you soon will be. So the best way that I can articulate what this is and what this feels like is a completely new rhythm but even though we can feel it or we can sense it, and it may very well be that that new rhythm, which is a more peaceful, slower, gentler one, a place of compassion, a well of great peace, a well of great healing, a well of great love, uh, 
it may very well be buried underneath a whole lev- a whole load of uh, rubble is what I'm seeing. Um, it's as though the new energy is covered by a load of rubble and we have to search through that rubble to find it. What is this rubble? The rubble basically is our own thought processes, our own distractions or distractions that are out there in the world, the dramas, the gossip, the lower energy that is all around us in society. But percolating quite nicely is this softer, gentler rhythm that we can tune into now and is here. Now, even if you haven't um, seen the results of it yet in your life, you may well not have. You can have a sense that this is going to bring in enormous change because when the rhythm changes, the whole reality changes. A way to explain it to you is in my little world where I'm sitting right now. I'm knowing that this space that I offer to you is soon going to look very different. Um, it has to because it has to reflect what I am becoming and what I am stepping into and what I'm evolving into. You take the best of the past, all that you've learnt, but you then transform and change and evolve into something new. And so therefore the exterior um, has to change. There's been all of this inner energy percolating, as I said, within us. Many people haven't been able to see this inner transformation and change that has been ongoing. This longing maybe for a different way of doing life, um, another way of expressing ourselves, another way to be creative, another way to maybe be heard, another way to maybe make a living, another way to be in relationship with people and other. It can be many different things for many different people. But I know that by the end of this year, as an example, this room's going to look very different. I want a completely different vibe to it to match the vibration that I'm feeling within. And when we let go of a old rhythm and an old vibration that's maybe suited us very well, has done us proud. Um, there can be a reluctance to let go of it, but we have to, to be authentic as a, and to be able to express who we are now rather than who we were a year ago, a decade ago, a week ago. I hope I'm making sense. Um, Metatron describes it. What I'm being shown by both Metatron and Mary Magdalene today is it's about, it's like re-entering the womb space. Um, 
so it's like in reverse because this isn't an actual death, physical death. Um, it's a spiritual reckoning moment where we're not dying in this moment. Most of us aren't anyway. Some people might be, but I'm not <laughs> right now. But it's the reversal of the normal process whereby the soul incarnates into a womb space. It stays there for nine months. It gestates and then it's born and it goes out into the bright new world. We're already in, in the world, but yet the world around us is changing so fast. Um, some of it for the better, some of it not. But yet those of us that incarnated to hold the template for new earth have to go back into a womb space right now to be able to create and manifest and ground this new rhythm, this new template, this new earth. Um, and so there is a calling to go very deep within. It's a very reflective place to be. And once the signal change happens within you, is what Metatron is saying, it's like within you there are there's a new track, there's a new track line. You've been operating, your DNA has been operating on this old track line of who you were, maybe who other people expected you to be, um, with goals, with ambitions that you may very well have uh, completed. You know, an experience, a life experience along this track line. And your soul was quite happy with that. It incarnated. It was that. But there's a new track line within ourselves right now that's asking. It's literally like a signal change. And myself and many of you are jumping onto this new track line. And isn't it interesting that I'm talking about a track line, which could also be a timeline, but it's within us. You see, often when people talk about timelines and track lines, it always feels as though they're talking about something external to themselves. I'm just going to try and grab hold of that timeline. I'm going to jump onto that. Or I've noticed that, you know, I'm operating in a different way. It's always an external thing, but it can only be like that if you've already made the change inside yourself. Change always starts within. So this is noticing, number one, a different rhythm within your body, a different rhythm within your mental processing, a different rhythm within your emotions, a different rhythm within your responses to the world. And all of this is going on at a time when <clears throat> the external rhythm out there in 3D is going along the same old track line it always had. We're not seeing the changes. It's like, where is new earth? New earth and the template for that and the rhythm for that is seeded within us. It flowers within us. It blooms within us. It just states within us. It's very much where I am at the moment. So 
this new rhythm is more mellow, it's softer, it's gentler. It doesn't mean we can't always have, we can't still have moments where we're, you know, whatever. But right now, this month of October, which is wanting me to introduce this whole subject, is welcoming this new wave and this new rhythm in. And what I would say to you is if you're resonating with what I have said so far, do not fight it. Do not fight it. Flow with it. I am going to use the example of this room just because it's a good one. I know many of you watch me. You're used to the way this room looks. You're used to the colours. You're used to the presentation. You're used to how I look, all the rest of it. And of course, the core of that will stay. But I'm not going to spoil the surprise. I'm just going to say it's going to look very different by the end of the year. I'm still going to be in this house. I'm still going to be me. I'm still going to be sitting on this chair. But pretty much everything else might have changed. It has to because I am changing. And what's interesting when you go into the womb space it's not just a reluctance sometimes from yourself, although I've worked through that, I feel, in terms of, oh, but I can't let that go. I can't not do that. I can't not cover that. I can't not show that. We can work through that because that's sometimes coming from a place of should. And should isn't really a new earth energy. We let it go, like the trees, the leaves falling, we let it go. But it's also about letting go of other people's expectations of us. Being okay with the energy of change. You have to, I have to be okay with the process of change. Um, as I look out of my window, I'm seeing a magpie and he's sitting on top of the streetlight and I'm just noticing his feathers. And it's like you have to be okay at ruffling a few feathers. Oh, but we liked it as it was. We liked you as you were. I'm not talking about myself here. I'm just talking generally. And when that comes up, yes, there can be a grain of truth in that. But there's also an energy of fear of somebody shining a spotlight in your face and saying, I'm changing. This is what change looks like. And if you're resisting it, it can often be because you're resisting the change in your own life in a different way, maybe in a different form. So we're going to be flowing through these next few months into new energies, new ideas, new concepts, new ways of doing things. I'm expecting some people to fall away. I'm also expecting new people to find me. And that's good and as it should be. Never hang on for the sake of hanging on. I'm still going to be covering the sort of things that you like me to do, but I'm evolving into something different. I'll give you an example of the vibe that I'm in at the moment and what I'm when I when I say I'm aiming for that's not accurate because I believe that as a creative person as I'm sure you are as well we never wish to copy we have to be our own unique expression 
We have to be individual. We can look at somebody else in terms of how they're operating and think, I really like that. But you don't become a carbon copy of somebody else. That's a cop out. It's the easy way out. You find something within that that speaks to you and you think, yeah, I could, I can take a little bit of that and do my own thing with it. And then from that, I wonder how that would, Metatron's given the analogy of how would it grow in my garden? So, you know, the example of you see a beautiful plant in somebody's garden, maybe they're on a different part of the world from you with different soil, with different climate. And you think, I really love that. I'd like to put that in my garden. But then you plant it and you're in the UK and it's cloudy and it's rainy and you don't get the sun <laughs> and it doesn't work. And that's fine. But you've discovered something in that moment. Anyway, this person I'm talking about is someone that I have mentioned before. Um, he is called Heinz. Some of you follow him, I'm sure. H-I-N-D-Z. He calls himself the number one chill out zone on the Internet or something like that. He's a very cool guy with uh, dreads, raster dreads. And um, yeah, he, he uh, he's matching where I'm at at the moment in terms of this rhythm. I think this is the rhythm of New Earth. And it's about losing the distractions, realigning to peace in every moment as much as we can, knowing that we're going to fall short, knowing that we're going to wake up some days and we're not going to feel peaceful. We're not going to feel aligned. We're going to feel frazzled. We're going to feel angry. We're going to react. But always remembering that we have a choice. We have a choice in every moment to come back to that place of peace. And the more that we come back to that place of peace, the more that becomes our norm. Because peace and love and the energy of, it's just a calmer rhythm, is the rhythm of new earth. Um, one of the things, he, he did a video, I think last week, which stayed with me the whole week. And it was called something like, I'll link it below, unfollow these types of people. <laughs> he called it something else, but essentially that was it. It wasn't a video in any way that was about naming and shaming. It wasn't a video that was pointing the fingers of accusation and judgment. It was just saying pretty much what I have been saying for months. I've been talking about discernment. I've been talking about being the quiet eye in the storm, the calm eye of the storm. He just said it in a different way in terms of we are addicted to the dopamine hit of what's next. You know, you might have tuned into this video October. What's next? What's going to happen in October? Have you heard about this date? Have you heard about that date? You know, what's going to happen? What's the next disaster to befall us all? What's the next thing that they're going to do to us? All of that may be very true. But does it actually serve you? Does it actually serve you a lot of the time to be in a heightened state of anxiety, actually, and stress response within the body? And there's many people that are feeding that. The truth is that fear sells. Fear sells. I think this guy's got something like 800,000 followers on YouTube. His, the video I'm talking about and a lot of his recent ones where he's in this more mellow, well, he's always been mellow, but you'll get it if you watch his work he's also talking about breath work and you know coming back to center it's like 10,000 views for 800,000 followers 
that takes bravery and courage. And I'm completely there with that as well. Because this is the thing. You can't not be authentic in this next part of the ride. In fact, what Metatron's showing me is those that are inauthentic and are doing the work for whatever reason, for the wrong reason, rather. It's like they're going to get thrown off the ride. Um, we don't want to be thrown off the ride. We're actually here to be on the ride in this lifetime, to enjoy all of it. But it's a bit like anything. In fact, my new car's got this great new little feature on it. Um, maybe it's standard. I've never had a new car before. I'm loving my new car, have to be, has to be said. It's very cool. It's very chilled. It's very smooth. But the point is about this car, but it has a thing on it where, you know, you're driving down the road and obviously you're between the lines. You're not going into the middle of the road. You're staying between the lines. And it has like a color system which shows you whether you're veering too too near the side or too near the middle. And then when you're just right in the middle of the road, you know, it's happy and it gives you a green light or something. And I just think that's sort of the state that we need to be in at the moment not veering off the road crazily to the extremes. And the extremes are what we're seeing in our world right now. Extreme polarization, extreme duality, hatred, aggression, um, social media becoming a cesspit uh, of just hate, horrible hate. But those of us that are wanting to bring something else to the table, a softer vibe, a calmer vibe. Hopefully it's what I've always been anyway. I've always been heart-centered. So it's just a deepening of that. We're needed here. We're needed also in society. You don't have to be a YouTuber. You don't have to be on social media. I've got lots of people that follow me who do all sorts of different jobs. I know I've got people who are on the checkout in a supermarket, shining their light there. Absolutely, you're needed. Uh, whether you are working in a corporate environment, absolutely you are needed. Whether you are working the roads, working the railways, you are needed to be this calm eye of the storm. To be like my car, which is happy when it's just trundling along. Now, middle of the road doesn't mean boring. Middle of the road means peace. Um, Middle of the road means an energy which is to do with just being at peace with where you are. So that's where I'm at, guys. That's where I'm at. I'm going to pull some cards now because I will carry on using cards. But equally, I want to bring my voice out more next year. I started off this channel in 2012 and... Obviously, you know Metatron, he's always been with me, he always will be with me. But this, what I teach with the Archangel Metatron energy is that he's a bridge to your higher self. That's what he is. So when it's always Metatron says, or Ashtar says, or Jesus says, that's all valid and good. But it should also be, what does my higher self say? What can that teach? That's where I'm going to be going more into that. Anyhow, guys, let's pull some cards. And I'm going to start with 
the Herb Crafters Tarot deck. So October, a number eight numerological month. Number eight is the energy of Saturn. It is that slow steadiness in a month which I'm sure probably might very well be frantic with all sorts of things happening. You may not know if you don't follow me on Facebook and Instagram, but I'm writing a book at the moment. Uh, it's a conversation between me and William T. Steed, who I've channeled before, um, an eminent uh, journalist of his day, uh, died on Titanic, um, was, um, what do they call it, nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, fascinating man in all sorts of respects. But one of the things that William was saying yesterday in the automatic writing that I'm doing with him is this thing about breaking news is one of the biggest cons, actually. <laughs> he didn't use that word. That's my word. I'm just paraphrasing what he said. But the thing about breaking news, and there's always breaking news somewhere, you know, if you're glued to 24-7 news channels, is that often this news doesn't actually affect you. And yet it does because it's programmed to do exactly that, to knock you off from your place of peace and equilibrium, your place of harmony, where you can be the most effective um, instrument of spirit, God, universe, whatever you want to call it in this world. Nobody listens to somebody who's just, you know, screaming their head off and in a state of complete turmoil. Um People listen to the quiet, steady voice of reason. But yet this breaking news phenomenon in our world, and there's always breaking news, and then it, you know, it goes cold and then there's something else. Ask yourself, does it serve me most of the time? What am I hooked into? Am I hooked into people that are just serving up more and more of that? Have you heard about the latest scandal in America? Have you heard about this development in the Senate or whatever it is? You know, what do we think about this person, that person? Sure, you've got an election coming up next year. We've got an election here in the UK. You can have an opinion on it. You can research it. But ultimately, see, this is another thing William was talking about yesterday. He was showing me that days of old, but there's, you know, sometimes we have to take the best of the past with us, but sometimes we don't. So in the old days, and I remember my dad even doing this in the 1970s, 80s, the newspaper would drop through the door in the morning. My dad would take his paper out. He would read it. I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes. It would then be folded up. Nobody ever really looked at it after that. And then news, breaking news, didn't really come into the family home. It didn't come into my father's head throughout the day. He just got along on and on with his tasks. But we're not able to do that right now because of all of the flashing, you know, breaking news energy that we have. So just watch that. It's about trying to get some structure, which again is a very Saturnian energy. October is a Saturnian month being a number eight numerological month, try to get some structure, try to get some pace that is right for you, some rhythm that is right for you. I went somewhere yesterday and I bumped into somebody I hadn't seen for a long time, a spiritual lady uh, in, in my town. I uh, don't know her very well, but she's a really nice lady. We had a nice chat. And um, one of the first things that she said or alluded to was, 
yeah, just felt like she needed to draw back at this moment in time and, you know, wasn't feeling that sociable, didn't want to be doing lots of different things, was just drawing her energy back. This is somebody who's a very wise, you know, uh, um, I was going to say elder. She's my age <laughs> in our community, spiritual elder. You know, she's been on a path a long time. And I said to her, I said, oh, my God, thank you for saying that. I said, because I thought I was just becoming completely antisocial because it's exactly where I am. And yeah, I'm a Cancerian and I've got a shell and we like to retreat from time to time. And yes, it's autumn, but it's more than that. It's this new rhythm that is asking us actually to do less, but to still do something, but in a powerful, focus, undistracted way. Again, going back to this guy, Hines, one thing he's doing, I mean, I, I won't be doing this, I don't think, but it's a brilliant idea. And I'll just tell you what it is is he does this live stream and he's playing very soothing, chilled out music and he, he comes on occasionally and he'll do an affirmation into the mic or say something positive. Um, but essentially it's a, I don't know, hour space, two hour space where you just come on, he's in the background, you're not necessarily even watching him. And the idea is he's sat there doing his work, you know, or writing, whatever he's doing, and then you're doing the same, you know. So imagine if you're a student, we're all students of life. You're just there. It's like community, but in a different way. But it's community that isn't shouting at you to do something, you know. Um, it's, I think it's brilliant. I think he's next level. So I'm going to that level. Um, hopefully I'm sort of there anyway. But yeah, you're definitely going to be seeing a bit of a change. So it's all good. Right. Let's now get to the cards. So, yes, this pullback energy. And actually, the lady did say to me, she said, I also think it's because we just sense something's coming. And again, you see straight away that the animal brain, the primal brain that we have, it straight away goes into, oh, my God, what is it that's coming? You know, is it a meteor? Is it a crash? Is it this? Is it that? And we can't help ourselves because we've got this primal brain that does that. But yet again, the teachings with William T. Steed that I'm going to be doing more and more of, but it's about, he, he talks about how the mind and being in control of our mind and our mental process is so crucial. One of the next channelings I want to do with him is in the book, The Blue Island. He talks about the fact that we, um, when you get to the other side, okay, when you're, you know, you're dead, uh, although are we ever really dead? When you're on the other side of the veil, um, it's not, he doesn't use the word judged, but it's, it's as though you can very clearly see those who had control of their minds and those who didn't. And he talks about the fact that you can have somebody who, I don't know, had been a, uh, had done something terrible in this life. Um, maybe like an act of passion or, you know, something terrible that they did. Um, and then they, obviously they're jailed for it. But then you see who they are, you see what they were, you see what they've done. Maybe they atone for that. Maybe they turn their life around in 10 years time and, you know, become spiritual. They learn from the experience versus somebody who on the outside of society looks like a pillar of the community, you know, upright, godly, never says anything wrong, never does anything wrong, is completely respected by everybody, but their mind is running riot and they have all these uh, 
William's words would probably be wanton desires. But, you know, it doesn't have to be sexual, but it can be just the energy of, you know, nobody knows what's going on in anybody's mind. And sometimes there can be some really sick, twisted stuff that's going on in people's minds. But yet we we don't see it because the out, outward appearance is this person is, you know, a pillar of the community versus the person who's done the deed that you can see who then turns it around. So it's really, really interesting. So the energy of the power of our mind and our the need for us to be aware of our thought processes. You know, anybody that does mindfulness, meditation, breathing energies, you know, you'll know the first time that you meditate, usually people think it's a disaster because you sit down, you want a quiet space, and then you get all of these thoughts coming into your head, you know, about whatever. <laughs> and it's like the monkey mind just kicks in. But it's it's sort of making peace with that monkey mind. And then the more that we do, we start to be able to grow this place of peace within the mind. It's as though we notice the thought, the thought comes in. It's a bit like the cloud that passes across the sky. You notice it, you acknowledge it, you let it go. And then over time, less and less of these clouds, which are basically thought forms, come into being. One thing I definitely want to get more into is meditation as well. So I will be doing some meditations to help us chill and and to help myself chill as well. Because I think we need it. Because I think that the world is just getting crazier and crazier. The uh, energy out there is getting more and more extreme. It's not going to stop this year. It's not going to stop next year. We've got, you know, years maybe of this ahead. So it's like, how do you keep your boat afloat in this um, energy? Because we are living in this world. We might be operating at a different vibrational frequency, but we're operating in a world where there's a lot of feral energy. There's a lot of, and that's because, I know you know this, but I'll just put it into context. It's because new earth wants to come in and old earth is, is resisting it. And anybody that's got a very strong attachment to old earth will do anything to try to, pers- um, to, to pers- what's it? preserve it, preserve it. Um, you know, the energy of, uh, better the devil we know, you know, so even if this version of society, this way that we, I don't know, um, just this version of society, even though we can see the holes in it, we can see the flaws in it, we can see the big gaping wounds in it, it's still all we know. So we're going to latch on there. We're going to latch on there. We're not going to latch on to something that's just dreamy and might never come in. But those of us that came to do exactly that are going to do exactly that. And it's to do with how do we, how do we help ourselves to do that? And it comes from being in this new rhythm. Okay. It comes from being in the new rhythm, rhythm. You see on, on the bottom of the deck, we have the lovers and it's the Hawthorne energy. So the lovers is the energy of choice. And it's really interesting, isn't it? And we've also got this one. I'll take that one as well. Um, we've also got the world. But let me just look at this one first, because it actually shows the Vesica Pisces. And the Vesica Pisces, of course, has got the two linking circles, which create the third gap or third space rather in the middle. And the third space is what we're trying to birth. Um 
but we yeah we definitely have a choice so we have the energy of the lovers i'll look up the meaning of hawthorne in a moment and we've also got the world hakamama and the world is the end of an old cycle you know we've all heard the expression along the lines of you can't create something new by just carrying on doing the same routines and the same things you always have but it's like there's a lot of people out there that think that's exactly what the way you are going to do it. So this is definitely a time of great surrender because we don't exactly know how we're going to get there. But we do know that the best tool that we've got is the energy here of our heart, our stillness, and also being, when I say in control of our mind, control is a word that's got many different connotations, some negative but this is more master, Metatron saying master is a better way to put it. Mastering our mind. Okay. Um, we've also got the two of air on the bottom of the deck, which is chicory. I'm going to take that one as well because the two of air would be the two of swords. Definitely this feels like choice point times, but I've said that to you before. I might have said that to you two years ago, three years ago, but Rather than us thinking that choice point times, again, is like an external thing, it's a decision that, you know, is going to be presented to, well, it is in some way, it's a decision that's being presented to us, but it's coming from this internal place. Um, the two of swords, the choice point, the crossroads, it's within us. Do we keep investing in this old earth energy? Or do we try and flow into something else? And if we flow into something else, we have to do it differently. We have to be in a different rhythm. And that's why, going back to, for example, me changing around my room and things like that, but this is also applicable to you. You might very well be be, be, be feeling, and you don't even understand why. It's like, I don't know why, but I, I need to paint my wall a different colour. I need to get rid of that old piece of furniture that was fine, but it's not fine anymore. I need to move things around. I might need to move my workspace into a different room. I might need to uh, rearrange my bedroom. You know, bedrooms are very um, important. It's where we sleep. It's where we heal. It's where we recharge. So look at your personal space. Look at your business space. Um, also, you know, if you're working, look at what you're doing um, in your working week. The, the offering that you make, the activities that you're involved with, excuse me, um, the creations that you make, it might be that it's just had its time. It's time for something new. I'm seeing art, artists in my head here. It's just another good expression. Artists, musicians. You might have always, I don't know, painted in watercolors and now you're feeling for whatever reason, I, I need to paint, I need to use chalks. I need to go back to black and white. I need to be using pencil. Um, or it could be something, you know, I, I want to get into AI art. You know, it, there's no right or wrong, actually. It's just about change. It's about following this urge within ourselves to try something new. So. This energy of um, Hawthorne, uh, having said that, I don't know where the book is. That's not right. Oh, it's right in front of me. I did that earlier. I was looking to light a candle. Uh, I was looking for my lighter 
And I went through all of the drawers. I was thinking, where the hell is it? It was right in front of me. So (laughs) there's something here about what we're probably meant to be doing or going into is literally staring us in the face. Uh, It's an obvious projection. It's an obvious evolution. Um, And I love the words of this card, the lovers. It says, dance with the beloved. Um, that, That energy of dance rather than be very, you know, rigid that this is the way I've always done things. This is what people like. This is what, this is what I'm good at. No, you know, I've always acknowledged times in my life and I've had a few of them actually where I've had to let go of stuff that I've done, which without blowing my own trumpet, I've been good at. And it's always been about you have to let that go now because it's something else you're meant to do. And then the shadow energy kicks in, the monkey mind kicks in, and it's like, oh, but what if I'm not good at the next thing? And I always say to people, if you've been good at one thing, why do you think you're not going to be good at something else? So remember, you're a child of the universe. You came here to be creative. It's really important we step into that. So it says two hawthorn crowns, two hawthorn crowns lie on a delicate light green satin cloth. You see the detail in that? The fact that it's their crowns, the fact that she's describing the, not just the colour of the cloth, the shade of the green, she's describing the, um, the fabric. There's something in that. There's something in the, uh, the details there, which is a message in itself. Pay attention to the details. It's as though we're missing the details. The old 3D energy of rush, 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 go, go, go. We're not noticing so much of of life, whether it's your children growing. You know, maybe you've got a little baby, you've got a toddler, you've got whatever age your children are. Your children are always your children, even if they're, you know, grown up, you know, people. Um, we can miss so much. This is the thing about the clock slowing down is what Metatron is saying to me, the clock slowing down. You see, there's power in that because we're living in times where the clock is speeding up. What are you talking about? You know, doomsday clock, we're at five to midnight or maybe we're edging even further towards it. Time is running out. Can you feel the energy of that versus the energy of actually time is slowing down? <laughs> Time is slowing down. And this is also to do with, I have the time that I need. Um, I have the time that I need. Um, I make the time that I need. This is also to do with noticing that there are periods in our life, absolutely, when we have more time and less time. But it's very easy for people to sort of say, I have no time. But then we're scrolling for hours, looking at meaningless stuff. Hopefully what I am delivering is not meaningless stuff, but this is the truth of it. It's, it's to do with you watch, you read, you follow, you listen, you meet things that are worth your time. And I think we're being asked this October to reappraise. Is this worth my time? Is it worthy of my time? Only you can answer that question. Um, and maybe that's linked into your life stage. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. But you need to ask the question. Because I'll give you two other questions. Number one is, can you feel this new rhythm in town? 
Can you feel this new energy in town? And the second question is, are you going to be brave enough and courageous enough to change and flow with it? And that comes with a whole heap of stuff because people expect you to be doing that, to be showing up in that way, to be, you know, maybe you're in a family and you know, families are great examples, actually, because it's very easy to get labelled in a family, you know, as the one that always does this or the one that will always do that or the one that's always like this, you know. And then if you present a different side of yourself, because that's all it is, it's showing a different side of something that's always been there. It's like the clock face just turning to show a different hour, a different moment of your incarnation. Very, very important that we don't get stuck. And Metatron saying this is particularly important because of where we are in the world as well, not just because we're trying to birth new earth, but because we are unfortunately in times where our freedoms are getting eroded. There is more um, weird thing to say, but less choice in some ways in terms of how we can operate, what we can say, how we can be, etc. And you might think, well, hold on a minute. There's all sorts of different expressions of how you can be. But you need to question that as well, because it's only within acceptable little pockets. It's like you can be that, but you can't be that. You can say this, but you can't say that. Okay, so actually, is there more choice or is it just being presented in a different way? Is the magician just throwing up the balls in the air so we can't actually see what's really going on? But the point is, we know that that is the energy out there at the moment. It's confusion, distortion, erosion of freedom um, and society wanting us to fit into neat little boxes in many ways. You tick this box. okay? you tick that box. So in that light, what we do as human beings, as souls, is we rediscover within ourselves that I can be anything. I can be anything. I can manifest anything. I can say anything. Obviously, from a place of love, a place of peace. Okay? You can't chain me in that way. So this process of change is very, very important right now to for your soul, for your mind, for your physical body as well. Okay? Back to the card. The lovers, Hawthorne. So we know that there are these two crowns lying on a delicate light green satin cloth. The crown above is covered in small fragrant white flowers. The crown below is full of tiny bright red berries. The stems of each lead to piercing thorns. The crowns woven together form a vesica Pisces. Um, and the space where the, we- where the wreaths overlap is the place where potential lives, where magic is created, where love dwells. Let's just repeat that little bit there. This space in the middle of the vesica Pisces is the place where potential lives, magic is created and love dwells. Let's go back to what I was just saying two minutes ago. The external appearance of the world at the moment, the erosion, the lack of freedoms, all of it, okay? The walls closing in type energy. Can you see that 
even if that is occurring, even if that gets worse, this space here, which exists within you and me, um, is where potential magic and love dwells and nothing can ever take that away. So it also talks about Hawthorne opening the heart and igniting passion. Um, relationships based on shared desires lead to sweet rewards. Take, take only what is yours, only what fills you with joy. If you pick too many flowers in the spring, the tree will yield little fruit in the fall. So when making a choice, trust your heart. Though the thorns can be menacing, they can also be protective. Okay, so we have the energy of Hawthorne. Um, and I also want to go to the energy of Chicory. Let's have a look at the energy of Chicory. Two of air, Chicory. Anybody grow it? Don't think I've ever tried to grow it, but maybe it's a wild one, I'm not sure. Uh, okay, let's have a look. Two of air, Chicory. It asks us to release long-held beliefs, to be receptive to guidance and to be open to unlikely partnerships. Uh, it says chicory thrives in a meadow. The tall stems pierce the sky and ground nesting birds make a home in the dense brush beneath. The flower's blue petals jut out like platforms, hubs of pollinating activity. I love the descriptive words in this um, little book. It's very much where we're at, noticing this type of detail. Go for a walk and notice what you haven't noticed before. Uh, notice the changing seasons, whether you're coming into spring, whether you're coming into autumn or fall. Notice what is occurring around you. Because the more that we do that, the more we come into a partnership with everything, with the flowers, the trees, the birds, the elements, with God, which is in every living thing. Um, it says bees and moths gather morning nectar, wasps devour aphids and two white butterflies flitter about the wild field. So the two of, uh, the two of air is to do with old ideas can be blinders to new wisdom. Yeah. Let go of worn out thinking to see an issue clearly. Chicory is often classified as a weed. It is, however, a beneficial medicine plant that draws important insects to the garden. Be receptive to new guidance. Gather information before taking action and then be still and look within. As the long chicory taproot brings nourishment to the surface, a deep dive will quiet self-doubt. What is really true? Acknowledge what you do not want to accept and then be willing to listen. Um, yeah, I love that. I love that. It's completely, really, what I've been saying, isn't it? Okay, so we have some themes there. Um, I'm going to ask, what is the main lesson for October? What is the main lesson for October? I think I'm going to stick with this deck. Okay. So for the people watching, what is the main lesson for October? We could replace the word lesson with opportunity. Let's do that. Because lessons are opportunities. What is the main lesson 
and or opportunity. We have ten of pentacles horsetail as the lesson or opportunity. Um, okay. Ten of pentacles as the obstacle. Before I read what it says in the book, I'm just intuitively feeling it's linked into not wanting to let go of what we've already acquired. You see, ten of ten of pentacles. Um, so I was just saying about if you've been good at something already, if you've already got a good harvest doing something, why do you think that you can't? merge into new energy, plant new seeds somewhere else that aren't also going to be just as successful because the common factor in the two initiatives or the two fields that are planted is you. So it's about trusting yourself, trusting your own skills, your own gifts. I'm also feeling very strongly that we need to be looking back and actually giving ourselves a pat on the back in terms of how far we've come, what we have actually achieved already. Now, achieved doesn't have to be a certificate on the wall. It doesn't have to be a sum of money in a bank account. Oh, no. It can be many things. It can be the impact that you've made on anybody's life. The things that you've said, the things that you've done, what you've brought to this earth, basically. Okay, what have you brought to this earth? And from a place of wounding, I can feel that some of you want to say nothing. And to that, I will say you've brought everything. You've brought everything. You've brought your vulnerability. You've, you've brought your rawness. You've brought your commitment to stay here, to keep trying. Yeah. So keep going is what I want to say. Keep going. Um, ten of earth, horsetail. I was just picking up that woundedness that's here. Maybe we need a spray actually at this point because I am really feeling that. There's some people are listening to me thinking I haven't achieved anything. I haven't done anything yet. Um, I know somebody actually in my own life who would probably say that. Uh, who has said that, that, you know, they've got to a certain age and they don't feel as though they've accomplished anything, they haven't done anything. But I look at that person and I just see somebody very, very kind, very caring, very compassionate, very gentle. Do you not think that these qualities that the world needs right now? My God, the world needs them. But yet the world is prizing other qualities, okay? the Kim Kardashian-type energy in the world. Birds just flew across the screen as I said that. We need to let that go. I don't want to label her necessarily or point her out, although I just have, but it's just because she's an example. She is just a manifestation of what we prize in our society. You know, whether you think that, well, I'm not even going to go into it. it. She's an expression of what society has put up there as something to aspire to. Um, all well and good in a planet of duality and polarity and freedom of expression. She's allowed to be whatever she wants to be. There's nothing wrong with her actually being successful. 
What troubles me is the fact that you don't have maybe other people as prominent who've maybe got the polar opposite qualities. I'll leave it there. But yeah, I feel we need a spray. And um, which one do we need? I think I'm, I actually pulled out these today, the oranges and the yellows, but I'm feeling as though I need pink. So we're going to go for magenta. Always go back to magenta. Of course, we're going to go for magenta. Why do I say that? Because those of you that are colour therapists know what I'm about to probably say. Magenta is the bridge to the new. Let me repeat that. Magenta is the bridge to the new. We are being asked to bridge the new, literally, to bridge new earth. But we're also being asked to bridge into our new life. Um, to breach, like the whale. We're being asked to breach, to change. I haven't got the card in front of me, but I'm just seeing that card from the, um, I think it's the Stephen Farmer deck with the, the breached whale in it. That's exactly where we're at. Um, magenta is the bridge. It's the bridge. Uh, it's, in fact, I've got a new version of this bottle. Let me get the new version. It's, um, yeah, isn't that lovely? I need to show you the older version and I need to show you the newer version. Because can you see there's teaching in this? Okay. So it's like these are, these represent you, the old version, beautiful, lovely, um, still useful. Okay. Still useful, still loved by many, still will always be within you. The new version, it's slightly shinier. <laughs> it's also had a name change. The old magenta bridge we called as above, so below. It's got an opaque bottle. Um, the new magenta bridge has got a transparent bottle. I don't know if you can see it. It's more transparent. It's not opaque. And it's called time and self-mastery. I love the fact that I've showed you the old and the new bottles. It's the old version of you and the new version of you. They're both beautiful. Uh, shall I actually spray from the old and the new magenta? And let's just see um, what messages we get. Magenta, for those of you that don't know, is probably one of the primary colours linked into Archangel Metatron as well. Um, in fact, I was thinking, you know, in the last couple of weeks, well, this has been going on for a long time with me, this inner transformation. But I was thinking one of the things that I first brought me to my spiritual path, really, and I'm talking about not 2005 when I first did a colour therapy course, but age five, standing in a classroom, being fascinated by the colour table, you know, the gold table, the red table, the blue table. We had to bring different objects in of different colours. That was when colour got me, age five, first year of school. Um, and I was just thinking, yeah, colour's definitely coming with me. Uh, why? Of course it would. It would never not come with me. Um, but anyway, yeah, let's, let's go with the, with, with the old magenta, as it were. You see, this is the thing as well. I'm just gonna, I don't want to talk too much about colours because we could go off on one for another two hours. But, um, the point is that you've heard people, probably myself included, talk about the fact that the chakra colours are changing. It's why within the chakra system, within the Metatron range, we have un some unusual colours at different places, silver at the crown being one in particular. Um, and there isn't a consensus of opinion. Uh, well, the, uh, there is an old consensus of opinion in terms of the seven chakra colours are this, okay? And that's what it is, and that's what it will always be. 
but it's not true. They're changing and they will continue to change and they'll continue to evolve until basically they're rainbows in each of the chakras. So, um, but yeah, the, the, so the, it's, it's not about leaving behind the old colors. It's the fact that you also can add in new colors to the chakra. So, for example, with the crown, you know, absolutely, you can still put purple there if you want to or magenta there, but you can also put silver. You can also put different colors. So anyway, that's just one way of saying that we bring the old with us. We don't discard the old. We just have additional um additional energies to play with as we open up, as the chakras open up. Anyway, let's go to a message with regards to Magenta Bridge. This is the older version. It's called As Above, So Below. As Above, So Below. And I'm being shown um, a, what do they call it? A stepladder, um, a sturdy stepladder that you might have in your home that you stand on when you're going to put a picture on the wall, you know, or you're putting the Christmas tree lights up. It's a very sturdy stepladder. <laughs> and it's one of those sturdy stepladders that's then got the, you know, the square on top of it that you can actually stand on. So it's got a couple of rungs and then it's got the thing that you stand on. And it gets you to a certain level. That's the point of what I'm being shown. It will get you to a certain level. And it's very solid and it's very sturdy and it's very rooted. Okay. Because, um, we need our roots. I don't want to deviate too much from this message because I've said a lot about the sycamore gap tree that was felled in Northumberland over on Facebook and Instagram, two videos and posts about it. So I'm not going to repeat myself. But one thing that I did see about it is that somebody was saying who knows a lot about trees that did you know that 40% of a tree is below ground. Interesting, isn't it? Which also means that it can regenerate, hopefully. But anyway, let's not get too much off the beaten path. The point is, this old magenta energy is showing that it's it's helping to get the 40% of the roots below ground, but equally it's then getting you up to a certain level. Um, so it's saying that it's done that work. It's done that work. Um this community that we have created together, it's got us to this point. Okay. It's brilliant. It's got us to this point. Thank you very much. Anybody that ever bought it, anybody that still has it in their kit, keep using it. But the new magenta that is in town, I suspect this is, I already can feel it before I've even sprayed it. It feels like it's the, um, oh, what is it? The Charlie and the Chocolate factory elevator. You know, he gets into the lift, um, at the end of the whole book and the elevator just shoots through the glass ceiling and it's just off. It's just off like Doctor Who into a, into a whole different realm. Um, because we're smashing through the glass ceiling with this new one because this one is also because time and self mastery. So I love that Doctor Who reference. Doctor Who is a sci-fi program in the UK, very popular. Think Star Trek if you don't understand what um, Doctor Who is. But yeah, so Magenta Bridge is just the sky is the limit is what I'm hearing. The sky is the limit. The sky is the limit. Um, so this is where we are at right now. The sky is the limit. But I'm saying it to you, okay, because you have to appreciate that there's a lot of people walking around in our world like this, okay, just, just staring down at the pavement. You know, they're not looking up to the stars. They're not going within to their own potential. 
they they don't want even they don't even want to try. They're just looking down like that. Okay, just looking down at the pavement. And um, but this is the opposite. This is like smash through the glass ceiling. But this is for humanity. But we're the star seeds that came to lead the way with this. Okay. That's brilliant. How wonderful is that? I wonder why I had to change my dress today. I was wearing something different for this video and um, just didn't feel right. And I put this dress on and realising now it's just these beautiful hues of magenta. <laughs> Love it. OK, so let me just see if there's anything else to say about this Ten of Earth um, horsetail before we go on. I think I'd like to bring a goddess energy in as well today. So Ten of Earth, Horsetail. Remember, this card came up in terms of what are the uh, the lessons or, you know, putting it positively, the opportunities to grow this month. So this is to do with ancient magic, modern medicine, finding strength deep within. The wisdom of the elders takes root in the bones of youth. Wow. Shall I just say that again? The wisdom of the elders takes root in the bones of youth. Just need to process that for a moment. You see, again, this was something that William T. Steed said yesterday in, in the channel Automatic Writing. He was talking about the fact that every day we need a moment just to distill what we've heard, to think about, okay, what was the message, for example, in this video? Or what was the message in that article I've just read? Or what was the meaning behind what that person just said to me? Or hmm, how am I feeling? Whatever, you know, but we don't allow ourselves that, do we? Before we're leaping on to the next video or the next piece of music. I do it myself. We're all guilty of it. But this is where we're trying to train ourselves to get into a new rhythm. Um, because I want to think about that expression that they've just said, the wisdom of the elders takes root in the bones of youth. The wisdom of the elders takes root in the bones of youth. Wow, I just think that's profound. I might do some writing on that off camera. Um, it says you are safe and secure. Now remember this came up as a challenge. So this is what maybe we're not feeling. You are safe and secure. You are a well-established member of your community. Know your work supports and sustains others. Um, horsetail both gathers nutrients and removes toxins from the area. Um, but hold on, let me just go back to that bit that they've just said. There is an insecurity here with us that somehow we haven't succeeded. We haven't contributed enough. We haven't done enough. It's never enough because that's the old way. It's never enough. You know, you can have somebody that's written a, I don't know, New York Times bestselling book. It's never enough. The person that's got the Grammy Award winning album, it's never enough because then I've got to repeat it. Then I've got to do another and another and another. And then I've got to establish my legacy. <laughs> you know, and I'm trying to control that. Oh, my gosh, we just need to chill, don't we? We need to chill and calm down. We need to know that we are already established. It's like the plant. You're the plant that was seeded. However long you've been alive, I'm whatever age I am. <laughs> Starting to get to the point I don't really want to say. But anyway, you know, you're the age you're not 56. You're the age you are, okay? Or whether you're 23, whatever age you are. You're established here. You're here. Whatever state you're in, whether it's a bit ragged around the edges, whether you're this, whether you're that, you're still here. You're still here. Well done. Okay, so start to feel like an established member 
of society, of tribe, but you've got your, you've basically need to have one foot in both camps. You know, old earth and new earth. It's a difficult place to be, my friends. Um, it says pause and connect often with all that you have been given. Yeah. Horsetail is a relative of a 400 million year old plant. Wow. You come from ancestral giants. This has all taken place before. Sometimes in order to be effective, you learn to grow small and multiply. Nourish as an underground network. Oh, I like that. Come back to that in a moment. Nourish as an underground network. Mindfully gather from resources that have carried generations. Um, an underground network. It's not that, well, maybe it is an underground network, but it's more that those of us, if you're still here listening to me, you're one of them. It's like we're trying to nourish this new rhythm. Let's go back to what I was saying at the beginning of this video. We're trying to nourish this new rhythm. We are trying to nourish and plant seeds for new earth. It starts within us. It's an underground movement. It is. Because out there in society, in many towns and cities, you're not necessarily seeing new earth played out. Certainly the media won't have you believe that new earth is sprouting up anywhere anytime soon. But it's an underground movement and it's growing strength. And one day you'll start to see the 40% that is beneath the ground. And once it rises up, it'll grow beyond any expectation. Okay. Right. I don't want to make this video too much longer. I think what I will do is pull a goddess card. I just feel like doing a goddess card. So this is the goddess power oracle from Colette Baron Reed. Let's see what October, which uh, goddess energy would like to join us this October. Which goddess energy would like to join with your own divine feminine, feminine energy this October? And that includes you if you are you know, a man or however you identify, your divine feminine energy, you have it within you. What goddess would like to join with her? Start to sense and feel your divine feminine energy within yourself. How does she feel? What does she look like? How does she sound? How does she breathe? How does she roll? Water, water everywhere. We can't get away from the energy of water. We have Mama Culture. Not sure if that's the pronunciation. Uh, card number 33, master number, water. Let's see what this particular goddess is about. Okay. Uh, I like the fact that this deck brings in goddesses from all different parts around the world, all different belief systems as well. Um, so let's see. It says the world we inhabit, the world that we inhabit began from the oceanic waters of life and the waters that surrounded us in the womb. What was I saying about going back into the womb? That's exactly what, how I'm feeling. It's like we're going back into the womb. It's like even my new look, that this room, it's going to feel more womb-like. <laughs> well, that's, that's the plan anyway, guys. We'll see if I can execute it, but that's the plan. The world we inhabit began from the oceanic waters of life and the waters that surround us in the womb, both of which are the domain of the Incan goddess, Mama Kocha. So Incan goddess, Inca. 
We are most attuned to the qualities of water as the element of water symbolically represents our emotions. Our emotions move us to make and perceive the world as we know it. Yeah. Mastering our emotions, mastering our mind. The beauty in this truth is found by observing water in all her properties and forms. Water is fluid and it passes through cracks and flaws in the ground without stress, moving around obstacles and patiently wearing away the most jagged rocks until they are smooth and gleaning. Water ebbs and flows, comes and goes in a powerful rhythmic motion as the seas and ocean reveal their promise of release and return. Water rises up from the ground and seeds the clouds and then rains upon the earth to ensure growth. Water turns to hard ice and blankets the world in a protective shell, even of soft snow, allowing the dormancy of life to herald a time of dreaming. And then the ice melts and the cycles begin again. Ah, I love that. It's also talking in this uh, thing about the fact that there's many people feeling overwhelmed. I would agree with that right now. Empathy overload. I would agree with that as well. It's opened up a tidal wave of emotion that feels like it is threatening to engulf you. Absolutely. So if you're feeling like that, and I definitely have had times like that recently, can you understand why this more chilled rhythm, this calmer pace, this turning away from that which is distraction, that which is noise, that which is unnecessary, what William calls breaking news every five seconds. Oh my God, have you heard this development? Have you heard that? Have you heard this? And then we're all going to have an opinion on it and we're all going to fight each other and be unpleasant. And then we go to bed and it's stewing and it's manifesting and it's toxic within us. I say no to that. I say no to that. I don't want to be part of it. Um, as I read this bit, it says the goddess Mama Kocha says your task now is to detach, step back and allow your feelings to pass through you like water without judgment or disapproval. Let your fears be washed away with self-love and understanding. The world can be a chaotic place and uncertainty can create instability where people will act out in incomprehensible ways. Move to higher ground say no to engaging and wait. Now is the time to respond when you feel ready rather than react in the heat of the moment. Let the goddess Mama Kocha's waters of life hold you up and surround you like the fluid did in your mother's womb. Let love be that water. Oh my goodness, guys, that is so beautiful. And you don't know, but off camera, I was just thinking so much about the womb this morning and returning to the womb. Um, that's just what I think where we're at we're returning to the womb but it's this time we're not returning as you know defenseless um little embryos that it's that we're returning in a different way and the womb is mother earth's womb and she has all that we need but I love but the energy of water because water is what creates new life I love this phrase, um, let love be that water. I have to show you at this point the card from the Christ Consciousness deck, which is an obvious one to show you. Let love be that water. Hello, hello. (laughs) 
What would love do from the Christ Consciousness deck by moi <laughs> and Jane? Uh, it's the heart that is gushing with water and beside it we've got the holy chalice. Uh, it says, what would love do? What would love do? Ooh, and I haven't, look, it's so funny. You can't see it, but there's another card that's just fallen out of the deck um, that I didn't realise had. Look at that. The three wise monkeys. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. It's the card of temptation. It says your moral, it's your moral compass. It's not Joe Bloggs' moral compass over there and what he said and what he's done. It's what you've said. It's what you've done. It's what you've heard and whether you've chosen to pass it on as gossip and maliciousness online, you know. There are so many subjects right now I don't even want to cover because it'd be, I just know what, I know what some people would say. I'm just not into it. I'm not going to be a space for that type of energy because I want to be this space for love, the energy of love. Uh, how perfect are these two cards? They couldn't be, they work so beautifully together. Um, your moral compass, are you, you see, I want this monkey who's covering his eyes here. I was also talking about the monkey mind, wasn't I? It's like we're not, wanting to look at where love is we're not wanting to look at where beauty is we're not wanting to look where compassion is we're not wanting to look where gentleness is our antenna and it's because it's been manipulated it's like we're tuned into the drama the gossip the you know all of that um and it's also true when we look at individuals in our world of course, there are people out there who are bad, who are dark. But even in them, usually there's some light, there's some goodness. There's a few in particular that have passed in our world. Um, I'm not going to go there in this video, but it's like they also did extraordinary acts of goodness in their life, even if it was to cover up their darkness. God is the judge ultimately. But anyway, the point is, is just try to look, it's the energy of namaste. The divine in me sees the divine in you. I see your light rather than this energy of projection and blame. Oh, you did that. You said this. Oh, I'm going to, I don't like you anymore. That person that you've just walked away from or you've unfollowed, they could have a heart of gold. You know, let's not cut off our nose to spite our face, as they say. But yeah, the energy of what would love do. I think I'm going to end with the energy of water. We can't get away from it, really, can we? In a, uh, 2000 and, uh, a 2023 year, which is the energy of water. Let me just get the water spray. <sighs> so we've, the sprays we've basically used in this video are magenta and water and this one just says flow so let's see does feel as though there's a lot of emotion to be expressed this month <coughs> she said coughing emotional times emotional month um it's libra isn't it libra season which is you know, also about balance. So trying to balance our emotions. Um, you can't balance anybody else's emotions. Okay, <laughs> You can only balance your own. So work on that. 
I will come back and I will do a reading with the eclipses and what they may bring. Um, assuming I get information on that. But uh, for now, I'm going to leave this message here. I hope it's resonated. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have, please give a little like to the video. And please make sure that you're still subscribed to the channel because um, I think there might be a gremlins in the machine. <laughs> but there's also fairies as well and angels. So let's concentrate on that. And you're one of them if you're watching me. I see your angelic light. Much love. Take care. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye for now. Bye. Okay. Now we're going to go to another Greg Braden. This is called... Yes, sir. I'll read this while you're finding time. This is called Greg Braden Competing Visions and Agendas impacting the future of our lives and the earth. Jean mm. Nolan from InspiredChannel.com and Greg Braden explore Earth's cyclic, ch- cyclic changes, nuances, huh, in the WES, all I can think of is World Economic Forum, but I don't think that's what it means in this case. Anyway, the WES climate change agenda, magnetic field shifts, um, occurring over approximately 13,000 years. That's a half a yuga, everybody. And the silent battle for Earth's future and all of its inhabitants. So that's the word on this. And this is 37 minutes and 10 seconds. I'm still looking. I'm just going to say she said a lot about the divine feminine coming in and uh, that you can't make anybody else do that thing. It's just you and me. We have to do it for ourselves. There we go. Okay, like I said, this is 37 minutes and 10 seconds. So let's get started. Here we go. years as this awakening has accelerated it's been going on for for much longer but it has really accelerated especially 2019 2020 it was like a a, a switch was flipped and for many people uh, the veil was lifted and just i mean just an onslaught of, of truths that came to them um one of the things that i believe uh we're going through is this manifestation of truth period we all want to know the truth about who we are what kind of realm we live in, what our history is. And, and when we look, you, you have, you have dedicated your life to discovering the truth about our history, where we come from, what we went through, what, how we came here. What is your take? How important is it for us to discover what really happened 
in order to move forward in a better way. Now, as a geologist, I'm taught to, to think in terms of systems. I'm a systems thinker, the big picture and then and, and then the, the immediate uh, experience. And I'm taught to think in time in terms of, of hundreds of thousands, millions of years. We don't think about that a lot. So, so it's possible that we can miss the cycles that are playing out right in front of our faces because we're so zeroed in on five years ago or 10 years ago. Nature doesn't work in those kinds of cycles. So I'm, I'm going to begin first. I'll say, uh, climate change. As a geologist, we knew that climate change was happening in the 1970s and it was accepted in the peer reviewed journals. It was not politicized. Uh, and this is one of the things I, I, I was going to say earlier. When I was younger, I always believed that science was above the political fray, that science would always be the last bastion that we could trust and rely upon. So if we want to science to serve us, we've got to keep science honest. And so the honest science of the climate change, it's, it's tricky. It's delicate because climate change is happening and we are burning fossil fuels, emitting carbon dioxide into the air. And we have to say that we are contributing CO2 into the air. I mean, that, that's just a fact. The question then becomes, is it a problem? Is it really a problem? And are we emitting more than the earth has ever seen? Is the earth warming more than it's ever, ever been? And we can't answer that without looking at cycles. You can't go back five or 10 years or 50 years to, to answer that question because there are natural rhythms and cycles that are much longer than that. There are geophysical processes under our feet that are so poorly understood. And then the arrogance of the scientists, they've discounted these processes. They, they say it doesn't even come into play. What we know is that there is a, a cycle of about 12 to 13,000 years playing out right now. Uh, last time we saw this was a very controversial time called the Younger Dryas. And that's their history channel did a whole series. Uh, Graham Hancock uh, is talking about this and a whole series based on, on what happened. And we've been led to believe it's a one off that what happened in the Younger Dryas, that they were coming out of the Ice Age, there was a warming, the climate warmed. All of a sudden, the temperatures dropped. There was a, a plunge uh, where it cooled quickly, and then it warmed again into the era that we're, we're in right now. When we go back and look in the records of the ice cores, for example, from Vostok and uh, Epica and Greenland, what we find is that that's not the first time it happened. It, it has happened again Interestingly, about 26,000 years ago, which is the beginning of a precession of the equinoxes. And it happened again 13,000 years before that. And it happened again 12,000 years before that. Yeah. So you have to say, is there a cyclic process that's happening here? What the new discoveries are showing is that what are called super volcanoes are responsible for those abrupt changes in climate. And those super volcanoes are driven by ripples in the magma of the mantle under our feet on a cyclic basis. There are, are processes happening in the core of the earth. So the core oscillates, creates heat, and it creates ripples in the outer core and the mantle. And about every 13,000 years, something happens, and we'll talk about what this is, but it, it actually 
triggers uh, a, a process where the mantle, the, the molten material, we are talking VMS, the medical term for hot flashes and night sweats associated with menopause. Wait, what? Material in the mantle begins to breach the crust at the weak areas around the plate boundaries and where the crust is thin. And what that looks like to us on the surface is active, more active volcanoes, uh, big volcanoes, more active earthquakes. But here's where it gets really interesting, John is that magma is heating the crust from underneath. And as the crust heats from underneath, it heats the oceans. All right? The oceans are responsible for over 90% of the, the CO2 that is released into the atmosphere. And cold water holds a lot of gas. As the oceans warm, it holds less gas. It's releasing that CO2 into the atmosphere there is a, a NASA.gov website. I didn't know we were going to go into this, so I, I don't have the whole the whole thing here. But there's a NASA.gov website. They're saying over 90% of the CO2 is in the atmosphere is coming from the oceans. And to put that in, in the numbers, uh, we, and I don't have the slides right in front of me, about 340 gigatons per year of CO2 coming from the oceans. That's a meaningless number until you compare it to what humans are contributing. Humans contribute about 40 gigatons per year. So the bulk of the CO2 is not coming from humans, not coming from fossil fuels, it's coming from the oceans. The oceans and the forests absorb most of, of what we're producing. The point is the ice is melting from underneath in Antarctica. It's melting from underneath in Greenland uh, because the oceans are warming from underneath because we're undergoing this, this process, this cyclic process. So every 13,000 years, what you can see is there are super volcanoes. The most recent 13,000 years ago is called the Phlegrian Fields Volcanoes in Italy. And then we have, a two, uh, I mean, there, there are, there's a New Zealand super volcano. There is, uh, there, uh, the same fields in Italy have, have happened twice. What we're seeing is this happened every 13,000 years. Well, here's where it gets really interesting is those super volcanoes and that volcanic activity is now linked to the migration of the magnetic field driven by the core. So the magnetic field, we're not going to reverse the poles anytime soon. And here's why I can say that. For the, for the, of all the things to worry about, I would put that at the bottom of the list for this reason. Three criteria have to be fulfilled for our poles to reverse. Number one, the inner core has to slow, stop, and reverse its direction. And the outer core has to reverse its direction as well. And the magnetic strength has to drop below a threshold. All right. Right now, the magnetic field of our planet, we're between uh, 0.25 and 0.65 Gauss. So we average about 0.5 Gauss. We would have to lose 90% of that before the fields could fall. We're nowhere near that, number one. Number two, the outer core is not slowing and reversing its direction. It's still flowing in the same direction. The inner core is going through a shift. Uh and uh, because of, of those, unless those criteria change, we're not going into a reversal, but we may be asking the wrong question. It's not so much about the reversal, which is rare. The last reversal happened about 780,000 years ago. Uh, it's called the Bruins Marayama reversal. The question we should be asking is what about the migration of the magnetic fields? Because the migration the fields can also weaken during the migration. It happens much more frequently. 
and we can we can lose up to 20% of our magnetic field during a, a migration without the, the poles doing a full reversal. And the migrations are temporary. So this is where it gets interesting. Now we know that the migrations happen about every 13,000 years. So there's a correlation between migration of the magnetic field and the supervolcanoes and the climate change. And we see this happen every 12 to 13,000 years. So, so I have a, a really beautiful slide I love to show. I ask the question, what are the odds of a, uh, a, a supervolcanoes changing the climate on the Earth every 12 to 13,000 years? What we can say is in the last 780,000 years, uh, the odds are 100% that it's going to happen because it has happened every 13,000 years. Uh, for the last 780,000 years. So, so this is what we're, we're looking at now. So what it means is that we are living, we, we could stop burning all the fossil fuels and we need to go clean and green. Uh, no mistake. We need to stop burning fossil fuels. And if we were serious about it, we've had the technology for over 70 years to do that. That's a whole different conversation. And the, the testimony on UAPs and disclosure ties into where that technology is. There's a whole separate and conversation. And why it's classified. And why it's so well, exactly. classified. Well, the, the point is that that we are living in this this cycle. And if we know that, John, it doesn't mean you can stop the cycle, but we can sure do things differently to stack the deck in our favor. We can harden our power grids, for example. We can bury our power lines. We can stop building on floodplains we can stop building high-rise condos 30 feet from the edge of the ocean, assuming that the ocean levels will always be static. And we do have the technology. If we saw the evidence that a super volcano was going to threaten Italy, for example, we have technology where we can relieve some of those volcanic forces before they cause the destruction they're having. We have all of that. So the, the point is that we we tend to think of history as back then and that we're separate, we're not taught that we're living those cycles right now, that we're living the same cycles. And as we embrace the, the, the truth of those cycles, it changes the narrative that we're being fed today. So I, I just wanted to share, January of this year, I did a little experiment based on everything that I've just shared. I said, what if we were to achieve all of the climatary goals set out by the UN and the World Economic Forum. What if we achieve the CO2 levels and what if we achieve the temperatures that they are, are proposing? What would the earth look like? So they're proposing, uh, what they call pre-industrial levels. And so I, I looked at a geologic map, John, and if we were to achieve those levels, we have not seen those temperatures and those levels of CO2 since what we call the age of the Pleistocene. And during the Pleistocene, the, the CO2 levels drop dangerously low. If your CO2 levels on a planet, on our planet, if they drop below about 180 parts per million, uh, that's like a death sentence for the forest. We don't want that. And hence for us. Right. And well, and so this is the whole point. And, and, uh, at that time, about 30% of the the landmass uh, was covered with ice. So we lost the forest. We lost a lot of life. Temperatures 
a global average global temperatures are about 46 degrees Fahrenheit. Right now they're about 56 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's 10 degrees temperature difference globally. And so you look at the earth. If we were to achieve those goals with more ice, with low CO2, fewer forests, colder temperatures, and you have to say, who does that benefit? And the answer is not us. And so when we look at this, there are so, this is what I said, multiple competing visions and multiple competing agendas for what our lives should look like and what our planet should look like. And they are happening layers within layers within layers. And I, I believe that on some of those layers, there are, are people working that are simply pawns. They don't know what is happening. It's just their job. They're just trying to make a living and feed their kids. I know people in some of those organizations and they're, they're good people. They, they don't understand the role that their lives are playing within a framework of a, of a bigger picture and the framework of a bigger picture. So again, it's not about making somebody right, wrong, good or bad. How can we solve the problems if we're not honest about the problems? And to be honest, we've got to allow the science to serve us and embrace what the science is telling us. And we are living uh, a rare pivotal moment of, of a cyclic shift on our planet that is coinciding with the battle for our divinity. And it's all happening at the same time. All you could do is sit down and listen to good country music, you know? Well, that's, all, that's all we can do. That's all we can do. No, no, I'm, that's not all we can do. I can, I can see the, your, your, your clear wisdom in we have to assimilate to these natural cycles and, 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 and grow our resilience so we make it through these periods and thrive through them, but how do we deal with the with the artificial attacks, which are now they're not a theory, they're a reality. I know you're also following Dane Wigington's work, geoengineeringwatch.org. How do we deal with that? It, a lot of people seem well, powerless. Is, exactly, and this is where the conversation. This is where it's important. And again, I, I'm, it's not about you know making somebody right or wrong or good or bad. This is about being honest with ourselves. June 30th, uh, the White House released a congressional report. Uh, it was a congressionally mandated report exploring five technologies to block the natural light from the sun from reaching the earth. And there, there's no secret. I mean, this is, they released this report to the public. Uh, people want to go to my YouTube channel. You can see I did a whole video on this. Uh, exploring five technologies, the one that they are proposing is high altitude jets spraying uh, tremendous amounts of sulfur dioxide into the atmosphere to reflect the natural sunlight. And they chose sulfur dioxide because that is what is released from the natural volcanoes. So Mount Pinatubo, for example, when it erupted a few years ago, uh, actually cooled our planet about one degree Celsius for, for the better part of the year because the sulfur dioxide was reflecting that light. The problem is, and there are a lot of, I mean, this is so, such a bad idea, and I'm, I wouldn't even entertain this idea. In the best of times, if we were to do this, the sulfur dioxide does not stay in the atmosphere. So it comes back to the earth as acid rain. That acid rain kills phytoplankton in the oceans, the basis of the food chain, human health, all kinds of health hazards for this. And uh, I believe the estimate is around 179,000 flights 
per year are required to keep the sulfur dioxide in the atmosphere. Think of all the CO2 that's being emitted from those flights contributing no, to what it is. They say that that's too logical. They, so, but, here, but here's the bigger problem. If the cycles that I just described, those 13,000-year cycles, are in play, as, as we believe that they are, we are going to see natural, and we're already seeing an increase of magnitude six earthquakes, uh, uh, an increase of magnitude six earthquakes, six and above, and we're seeing an increase in volcanoes. So as those volcanoes increase, either one super volcano or many smaller volcanoes, they're kicking the sulfur dioxide into the air. It's going to cool the earth anyway. If we augment that artificially, it's not like you can turn this stuff off and on w- with a switch. It takes years for this stuff to work its way through the system. Right, if I'm we're are you saying we haven't been doing this? Because I'm, I'm convinced we already we, have been. Well, we, we, we have been, but not on the, the scale that they are now proposing uh, under the auspices of uh, congressional uh, uh, approval. It has been, uh, it has been happening. It's been, ha- they've been using different, different, uh, sometimes they're using uh, sulfur dioxide, sometimes they're using aluminum, sometimes they're using, you know, different things. So, Jean, let me ask this. We just covered a lot of ground. I know some of it's new for some people. This is the deluxe Jean and Greg show that we're doing here. Do I have the ability to share any slides? Absolutely. On- you can, um, well, uh, so I, we're, we're, I don't know how to do it on this system. I've got, I just brought up a few slides so I could go through and clarify visually everything we talked about. So there's no confusion. You know, John, one of the things that I wanted to share with our community is from a scientific perspective, we all know climate is important and no one is denying that. And I don't want to detract from the climate conversations in any way. However, there's a lot more going on with earth processes uh, that exceed beyond the climate. And I'd just like to share a couple of slides to help our, our viewers understand this. They may not have seen this. This, this is from a very prestigious journal, Nature, uh, a researcher named Rockstrom, and this is back in 2009. So you think back to 2009 before a lot of this was politicized. And what the, the scientists are telling us is there are nine parameters or what are called nine, uh, nine boundaries of processes in the earth that must be honored and preserved for us to have what is called a safe operating space on the planet. In other words, we don't have these nine parameters in place. We're talking about possibly losing life on earth. And let me just run through these really quick. Rockstrom is the researcher's name. The first of those climate uh, boundaries or planetary boundaries is is climate itself. The biosphere integrity is another one. The way that we use physical land above water uh, is another one. Fresh water use, biochemical flows, ocean acidification, atmospheric aerosol, stratospheric ozone, and what we call novel entities or human pollution. So what they're saying is these are systems that are interacting. We identify them as separate, but they're all interacting with one another and they must be held in place. The boundaries must be honored for us to preserve life on earth. And here's where this gets really interesting. What you're going to see is the the image you're seeing on the screen right now shows that we have already crossed 
three of those boundaries, John, and it's not climate. Climate is not the boundary that we've crossed. We have already crossed the boundary of genetic diversity and biosphere integrity. In other words, we're losing life faster than we can catalog it uh, due to largely environmental factors and toxins in the environment. And then there are two systems, uh, I don't want to get really technical on this, in, in what is called biochemical flows, but it is the, the nitrogen and the phosphorus processes that are happening uh, as nitrates from fertilizers filter into uh, agriculture and into streams and rivers and lakes and things like that. If you look at the chart, they're in the red zone. They're off the chart. Look at climate. It's at the top of the screen. It is a place of concern. It is in the yellow. It's acknowledged, but it is not the crisis that we're being led to believe as this process is being politicized right now. So then the question becomes, are we really living CO2 extremes? So I'm going to show you. This is uh, from the website climate.gov. This is a government website. It says, quote, carbon dioxide levels a day are higher than at any point in human history, end of quote. Well, that is true in a sense. What does that really mean? We've only been taking CO2 measurements for 65 years since uh, what was called the IGY, the International Geophysical Year, 1957 to 1958. So what you're seeing on the screen right now is, is a chart from that 1957-58, the CO2 levels between then and now, have they increased? You bet they have. And you're seeing that here. Is it a problem? Well, when we look into the ice cores that have preserved both temperature and CO2, as well as methane gas and oxygen gas and a lot of information from our past, those ice cores are kept in an ice core library. You're actually seeing one of those libraries on the screen uh, where the cores are in these tubes, you, you check them out just like you check out a book, and you can read through the layers. And the, the bubbles in each layer capture the gases for the year that that ice was created. And now we're talking about going back over 420,000 years before present. So what you're seeing on the screen right now are CO2 levels with a uh, 68% confidence interval is what we're seeing right here. On the far right-hand side is present day. So regardless of what the numbers are, if you look at what the, the records are showing us, is we are in the low end of CO2 historically for Earth. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let's take a look at, at this chart. These are ice cores from Antarctica. Two ice cores. The blue is one ice core up on top. It's, it's called the Epica ice core, E-P-I-C-A. The middle one is the Vostok ice core. It's the green. Uh, and then the ice volume is in the red below. That's not an ice core. It's the thickness of the ice. And all I want people to see from this on the far right-hand side is present day. Okay, I just highlighted there's present day. And we're going back in time about 420,000 years. Is the rise and fall of temperature cyclic? And you can clearly see that the rise and the fall of the temperatures is cyclic. All right, and that's all I want people to see from this. Now, I've just highlighted the 200,000-year mark, and I highlight that because that's when modern humans, what are called anatomically modern humans, first appeared on Earth. So we showed up on Earth where that black, that black vertical line is, and everything from there to the right is the time that we've lived on Earth. All right, from there to the left, presumably, we didn't have fossil fuels in the industry that we have today, and we've got exactly the same cycles that are happening.
So I want people to see that the temperatures are happening on a cyclic basis. Now, what does that have to do with CO2? Well, this is where it gets really interesting because what you're seeing on the screen right now, I'm showing you the, the red vertical bar is the 200,000 year mark. So we're looking at the same temperatures. The blue is the carbon dioxide. So these are the carbon dioxide levels that are linked to the temperature. Are they correlated? Absolutely. But if you look closely, the correlation is not telling us what it is that many of us have been led to believe. So I just highlighted a a black vertical bar. If you look closely, the temperature increases first, and then the CO2 level follows. The warming happens. Now you're ready to help people customize and save $652 with Liberty Mutual. It happens before the CO2. <laughs> We're being told the CO2 is causing the warming. This evidence doesn't support that. Is it a one-off? Is it a fluke? Well, if you look again, you're seeing it on this peak right here. Look at the red. It happens before the blue. And you see it again here, and you see it, you see it again happening throughout. Now, this is not counter to what the evidence is showing. It's counter to the interpretation, John. It means that we are looking at the data from a perspective that is not supported by the evidence. And I I mentioned this earlier in our conversation. The warming that is happening in the oceans appears to be largely driven from processes under the ocean in the mantle of the earth. So it makes perfect sense that that warming would warm the ocean first. And as the ocean is warmer, it holds less gas. It releases the CO2. And you would see the CO2 happen after the warming. That appears to be precisely what it is that we're ha- what we see happening here. So the, the interesting thing is that scientists, when I was in the industry back in the 70s and 80s, scientists agreed on this stuff. And it was published in AAPG, American Association of Petroleum Geology, and things like that, because it had not yet become politicized. And uh, the point is that, that climate is, is not static. It is dynamic, and it's being driven through processes we're only beginning to understand. So the chart that you're seeing on the screen right now highlights some of this a little bit. Again, we're seeing um, what present day is on the far right. The blue is average global temperatures in geologic history, and the black is average uh, uh, CO2 levels back to a certain point. And then you see, uh, like, you see the 400,000 year mark mm-hmm. because that was where the ice cores stop around 420,000 years. Prior to that, we have estimates, but they're not as certain. And we have to be honest about that. We don't know with the same certainty beyond 420,000 years. What we do know is from 420,000 years to the present that the CO2 levels have been much higher at times in the past than they are right now. So, Present-day CO2 levels right around 417 parts per million. If you look on our chart, that is at the bottom end of the chart. We're, we're on the low end of where we have been historically. You look at familiar times, I think everybody saw the movie Jurassic Park. So you, you look at the Jurassic period in the orange and then the Triassic just to the left of that. So during the Triassic period, the CO2 levels were just under 2,000 parts per million. And during the Jurassic, the, they were over 2,000 parts per million. But look at that. Even though the, the CO2 levels were high, look at the temperatures. They dropped right around 150,000 years ago. But we're being told those high CO2 levels are, are always going to create the high temperatures. They may contribute 
but there is not a hundred percent correlation to that. So two things that we can, we can see from this. Number one, we are not living the highest CO2 levels that we ever have. And when we have lived those in the past, earth was very green and very lush. You're going to see that in a minute. During the Jurassic, uh, the, the forests were lush. The forests were green. Yes, the oceans were warmer. Yes, there was less ice because the oceans were warmer. It was not a death sentence for the planet, uh, as many are being led to believe. I, I've heard we've got maybe 12 years on the planet. I think, John, you probably heard that as well. Yeah. And, and then I have. Go, go, go ahead. No, no, no. I have. Go ahead, yeah. please. Yeah, well then, but then you look at, at where we are for the average global temperatures. Are we the warmest? Is Earth the warmest has ever been? And the answer is absolutely not. We're actually on the low end, the right hand side, not up to the year, but you can see in terms of, of geologic time, we're on the low end of, of where those temperatures are. So let's see. Now let, let's put this into perspective. What does this really mean? And I, I did this for myself because I wanted to answer these questions for myself. And so uh, as people ask, I want to be able to share these. What does this mean for life? Well, during the Triassic period, CO2 is about 2,000 parts per million. The average global temperature was warm. It was around 122 to 140 degrees Fahrenheit. That's, it's, that's what it is in Dubai right now. Uh, so is it warmer? Absolutely. Uh, during the Jurassic, 1,000 parts per million CO2, the temperatures were much nicer. The average between 80 Fahrenheit during the day to 59 at night with a thousand parts per million CO2. The Cretaceous period was just after that. We went back to 2000 parts per million, but look at this. The temperatures were still between 82 at, during the daytime and 52 at night. So there is not a hundred percent correlation between these two and the, the whole idea that, that the CO2 is, is going to kill the planet. Uh, we had very green forests. We had abundance of, of life on land and in the sea during that time. Now, here's a little experiment that I did. If we were to meet the United Nations World Economic Forum CO2 targets, what would our planet look like? Well, CO2 right now, uh, about 414.7 parts per million, and that was early in 2023. In 2010, this is the year they're looking at uh, when they began these studies, CO2 is about 390.1 parts per million. The goal is a 45% reduction from 2010. This is the goal of the, the UN, their stated goal. So they went back to 2010, they say we want 45% less than that. So their target is 214.5 parts per million CO2. What does this mean? Well, here's a, a peer-reviewed article from the journal Nature Communications, 2019. So this is pretty recent. It said CO2, current CO2 goals create the conditions that were last seen in the late Pleistocene. This is a quote. The study shows that for the entire Pleistocene era, carbon dioxide concentrations averaged 250 parts per million. So if we were to meet those goals, we're going back to, to Pleistocene. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's do the same thing. Average CO2 during the Pleistocene, let's look at the temperature, let's look at the ice, and let's look at the life. CO2 levels, 250 parts per million during the Pleistocene, today 417 parts per million. The average temperature of Earth during the Pleistocene, the average global temperature, 46. That's the average. That is a cold Earth. Cold, yeah. Today, the 
Yeah, today the average is 57. I mean, this has tremendous implications for agriculture, when we plant, when we harvest, uh, the weather patterns, when it rains, when it snows, when the seasons occur, uh, all of those things. This is fascinating. The ice, during the Pleistocene, 8% of the whole earth was covered in ice. Some of that was ocean. 25% of the land was covered in ice. Today, only 3% of the earth and only 11% of the land. So what does that mean for life? Well, during the Pleistocene, we had the extinction of a lot of large animals. 32, what we call megafauna uh, species, we know disappeared. Megafauna is considered anything over uh, 100 pounds in weight is megafauna. So we, we are megafauna. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, this is directly from NASA. This isn't my theory or my opinion. Earth is greener now than it has been uh, anytime for the last 20 years because the CO2 levels are higher and NASA is telling us this. So the Pleistocene, who benefits from the Pleistocene? I don't know the answer to that, John. I can speculate, uh, but what I do know is it's not us. It's not the world that we live in today, and I think if most people understood this, it's probably not the world uh, that they would like to live in. So I, I just wanted to share that to give some specifics when we're talking about climate and the reason is because climate is going to be front and center for many of the policies that are being enacted, many of the laws that are being created, and many of the changes that we are going to be asked to make, (laughs) forced to make in our lives based upon a narrative that the evidence simply doesn't support. And and I I want to be really clear. I, I have friends in politics they're not scientists. They believe what they're being told. They're not bad people. They believe what they're being told, and they are, they are, are adamant uh, about creating these policies based on what they're being told. They're being told false information and cherry-picked data from obsolete science. At least this data does not support uh, the narrative and the fear and the the division. This is shredding our societies because young people are being told they don't have a future and they're angry and they feel justified in vandalizing and destroying any technology that they believe is contributing to the CO2. There is a narrative about our world that is being driven by information that's not supported by the evidence. That narrative is being used to frighten people to make choices that are destroying their lives, destroying their business, destroying industries and causing a lot of, in my opinion, suffering, unnecessary suffering, to achieve a goal, uh, a nebulous goal from a handful of people that we didn't elect yes. to, to represent us. It's their vision. And, uh, and how that's happening and why it's happening, there's a whole story behind that. This all goes back to the beginning of our conversation, John. Our divinity, a big part of our divinity is, is freedom and sovereignty. Uh, and spiritual sovereignty, emotional sovereignty, and the, the sovereignty to, to live close to the earth in rural settings and rural environments, which are being discouraged right now. Uh, we're being encouraged to centralize into, uh, into communities and cities rather than uh, living in, in the rural areas, and I'm, I'm hesitating because it's, you know, what we call the rabbit holes, but the, the bottom line here is this. At any time, localized living is the way to go in community. 
at any time. And now in our time of extremes, when we're seeing the buckling and collapse of financial systems and supply chains, this is if we were ever going to live locally, now is the time to do it. Localized living is localized energy, localized food, localized uh, economies, uh, localized sources of energy where it makes sense to do that. And that is just the opposite of what we're being encouraged. I can't believe how much ground we have covered. I also can't believe how much ground I also I still want to cover. And I, Greg, I want to honor your time. You're about to embark on this journey. Um, I, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time today. It was wonderful to listen, to learn. So uh, I, I look forward to our next. I hope we have another conversation, maybe after the first of the year when I'm, I'm back in the studio a little bit. Oh, my. So I guess we'll be hearing from him on the first of the year. Wow. All righty. We have one more, everybody. This is called Ancient Secrets for Modern Manifestation. Hmm. Healer and mystic, Stephen Ross returns to open minds to share excerpts from his personal library and delves into how these ancient alchemical secrets can guide us into greater contact with our higher selves and miraculous healing abilities. How can a 300-year-old book help you manifest a modern world? Wow. Healer and mystic Stephen Ross returns. Um, from his personal library passed down from to him. Wow. From Manly Palmer Hall. Woohoo. And he delves into how these ancient alchemical secrets can guide us into greater contact with our higher selves and miraculous healing abilities. Witness evidence of a life-changing before and after miracle as Ross illustrates how the power of belief can help us manifest healing and true transformation. Stephen S. A. Ross, Ph.D., is co-founder and CEO of the World Research Foundation. For nearly 40 years, he has researched and lectured around the world. He has delivered over 200 lectures making presentations to various worldwide government agencies, hospital networks, and has been interviewed on more than 150 radio programs and 15 regional and national television programs. He has been an expert witness for the city of Los Angeles and consulted for the insurance industry. Wow, what a... Span here. This is oh, the host is Regina Meredith, and it's 
46 minutes, and I see Rama's ready, so let's get started. Here mm. we go. Snowballs, tumors, melting. So what are we capable of? Who knows? That's what we're capable of and more. I've seen someone burned in my presence with an iron. They joked, hey, you're supposed to be the healer. Why don't you do something? So I went over, blew on it. The pain was gone. Why? If people were tuned into themselves, they would either get information through their consciousness or in dreams. But since most people don't do that, their own higher self manifests something in their physical being to make you stop, look, and listen. Why is this little voice that's always inside every one of us always dwelling on the negative thing that happened? The three keys to all manifestation, imagination, faith, and We have one of our favorite in-house mystics back with us, Stephen Ross. Today we're going to be tackling the subject of belief, as in how beliefs can severely limit our capabilities in life. Stephen himself has broken through our belief that the body is solid and slow to heal, and has helped hundreds of people spontaneously heal from the worst of diseases. But how does that happen? Welcome back, Stephen. Thank you, Regina. (laughs) And before I get into it, I want to thank you, and I never take any of these interviews for granted. I appreciate the invites. Oh, well, you're so welcome, and obviously you're back because everybody loves you. Thank you. you. So we're going to start out talking about the principle that habit is not law. And so we're taking belief. Usually it's like power of belief. Now we're talking about the power of belief today to actually interfere with our own good. So habit is not law. Yes. So I'd like to start with a joke and okay, a true that's story. Stephen. <laughs> so a 92-year-old man goes to his medical doctor and has an examination. And then two weeks later, the doctor sees the man in public with a gorgeous young lady on his arm. A month later, he goes back for an examination. And the doctor says, you are really doing wonderfully. And the man says, I did exactly what you told me to get a hot mama and be cheerful. And the doctor looks at him and says, I didn't say that. I said, you have a heart murmur and be careful. <laughs> so, That's cute. <laughs> so along with that, now, Harvard Medical School, every year, one of the professors tells the following story to the people in the heart division. He was making his rounds. He came to the bed of a patient who was in a coma and they were expecting to take over the bed at any minute. And he had six interns with him. So the doctor puts a stethoscope on the man and said to all the interns, listen, listen to that. Listen to the wholeness of the beat. So each of the interns listens and goes, oh, yes, we hear that. Well, they expected the man to die any moment. But a week later, the man is up. He's walking around. Two weeks later, he checks out of the hospital and the doctor sees him and says, you are a miracle. And the man said, well, that's not what you told me. And the doctor said, what did I tell you? The man said, when you came to me and said, 
my heart was whole and six other doctors agreed, I thought I was okay. Well, not only did he think he was okay, his heart was 100% rectified. The man was in a coma. He was ready to die, but he still heard that. So I'm setting our parameters that habits, belief systems have locked us in to what is truly the potential of what we are all capable of. And that is what I want to get across in our sharing today, Regina. We have unlimited potentials. We absolutely do. And, you know, we read biographies. People who enjoy reading biographies are always just stunned that this person just believed they could do it. They didn't necessarily have the tools. They didn't have the money or backing or education oftentimes, but they believed they could do it. And that's really the seed. That's that. If without that, it won't happen. Correct. And with that, anything can happen pretty much. And and that's what we're going to share in our brief time today. Yes, we're going to show a couple images too. And you have this magnificent book from the 1700s here with, we're going to share all of that. And people are excited because everyone loves a miracle. But everyone feels like that's something far off for saints and mystics and people like you. (laughs) Mystics. Right. But it's not. So first of all, let's talk about, from your perception, what the human being is capable of. Right now, even though we're going through our advancement as a species and our evolution transformation, right now, what are we capable of as a species? We are capable of instantaneous healings not only for ourselves, but for others. We are capable of physical bodies that can do even more. We're talking about people who live back ends of cars. I mean, that may be a couple steps down, but we're talking about people who lift thousands of pounds of weight, where the greatest weightlifters may not be able to do that. We are capable of having our minds travel great distances while our physical body is in one place. But we're capable of taking that body to other locations, too, by location. That is also possible and has been done. And I will tell you, we are all capable of doing it. Thank you, sir. Someone has to give everyone permission to be outlandish enough to believe that of themselves. And because we've been so beaten down in our beliefs of ourselves. Well, a lot of it has to do with what people are listening to. Now, without getting into it, but getting into it, the politics, the division in this world is stopping people from looking internally. Yes. Everybody is This external. is coming up in every interview now. <laughs> it's true. Just, it's time. Yes. And even though people, some people in the spiritual community talk about the advancement we have and our souls are ready, they're not going to be ready if we're locked into what is taking place always outside. So it doesn't make any difference whether you're on the right side of the discussion or the left side of the discussion, we're going away from what is inside and what we're capable of. And this is why I'm a very firm believer. Even some of the, quote, gurus and people who are out there lecturing, you and I have talked about this. A lot of them do not know what they're talking about, and they do not live what they're saying. That's correct. They can tell an audience, well, you can do this and that, 
when I've met these people for meals after we've been on the podium, and somebody talks to me about prosperity consciousness and goes, oh, things are not going well. You just gave an entire presentation on pro- why aren't you able to aren't live embodying it? Exactly. Right. So there's a belief, there's a flaw in the belief system there. Well, because so this they don't become think they theoretical. Can do it. Right. It's just a theoretical concept. Correct. It's like teach best what we need to learn, right? Exactly. That's like that. So I want to bring something up right now because you're talking about physical manifestations and then we'll start moving into the rest of this. Okay. Um, in a book called The Physics of God, one of the, by Joseph Selby, one of the example he, he brings up is a woman that had multiple personalities. She had 10 personalities. And she was, um, she was so intriguing. They actually studied her physiologically as the personalities change, which brings, in fact, I'd love to get your take on this. Uh, as the personalities change, what happened is her eye color would change with personalities. Her voice changed. Moles would come onto the skin and disappear from the skin, right? Yes. All her blood type changed. All of these things were changing as her personalities changed and they were witnessing, drawing blood and blah. Anyway, this, to me, this is one of the most wonderful stories of what energy can do and how quickly it can change matter. Yes. So, of course, now I'm going to be esoteric about it. I'm thinking, hmm, are these past life imprints? Are these other entities reaching in with their imprints because she's so permeable? How do you what? How do you see multiple? I, I like your your first explanation mm-hmm. that it is a combination. Mm-hmm. I am a little bit not involved with devils, with uh, outside influences having that much of a control. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does happen, but the past life explanation is very real. There is so much, believe it or not, Regina, in the literature. Yes, all that is capable, and it is in scientific literature, but nobody likes to talk about it. This is why it's a good time to bring up Mr. Wright. Mr. Wright had cancer tumors, and this was written by Dr. Koffler in the psychology um, magazines. He had tumors the size of snowballs. Cribiasin, which was a new extract for cancer, came out, and his doctor was one of the clinical trials. And so the clinical trials said that people had to have at least a year expectancy. Well, Mr. Wright had tumors so bad he was on a breathing apparatus, they didn't expect him to last two weeks. But he goes to his doctor, Koffler, and he says, can you please put me on the cribiasin? And the doctor says, I, I really can't because you, you don't have a year's expectancy. But he said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give it to you off the books, out of the study. So he gives it to Mr. Wright. And within two weeks, every tumor is gone. The size of, of like you said, snowballs. snowballs. Wow. Well, he's out. He's flying an airplane. <clears throat> and then an article came out. Cribiasin didn't work, and no doctor had any faith in it. Well, Mr. Wright overnight developed all the tumors back and oh, ends, ends in the hospital. Now, remember this in the medical literature. Yeah. So the doctor looks and says, this is physically impossible according to our laws. So he says to Mr. Wright, I am giving you a double-strength Cribiasin. I love it. And... 
Within three days, all the tumors were gone again. He is flying. Now, it came out that Kerbiasin was banned in the United States, and within one week, Mr. Wright was dead because he listened. Now, oh my God. here's the caveat to the story. The doctor didn't have the real Kerbiasin. He had the placebo. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. he didn't even know. Oh, that's so amazing. Snowballs tumors melting so what are we capable of who knows that's what we're capable of and more instantly but instead people remain attached to their stories of illness yes but that's programmed i that's programmed by the pharmaceutical industry that the only way that you're going to be rectified no more nature is going to help you you have to be taking this pill and the white coat is going to save your life. Now, I am not advocating people not going a particular route, but I'm saying you've got to have common sense. Somehow people survived. Nature is one of the greatest cure-alls, but we are giving away our power, Regina. That's what I was looking for. We're giving away our power outside. So how can we truly trust what's inside if we don't believe inside is giving us the Well, and story. sadly, we're bathed in a sea of people like us that have the same limited belief and have given their power away. Yes. So if you try to say, no, I'm going to, I'm doing this thing. I believe I can do it. And you have all these voices around you. And of course, this is kind of the hero's journey, right. isn't it? Yes. This always is the hero's journey. It's right. like, oh, he's crazy. He can't make it. Um, but so, not really having to detach from what others have to say and the voices in our head from around us is as important as finding that belief inside ourselves. Well, there, and, and here's the other part. We started with habit is not law. Yeah. Sometimes it isn't just the other people. We fall into our habits, Regina. Yes. This is what we always do. This is how we do it. This is we're going to. And because of that, we don't venture out. We don't break through that energy pattern of this is what I do. This is going to be the result. So if something is slightly askew from how it's been before, but this is our habit, then it may not work. And then we call into question, oh, my gosh, this is not working anymore. And then we quickly run somewhere else to have them give us the fix. Right. Meaning we didn't have full faith to begin with. And we don't have the, the patience. Faith. We yes. don't have the will. Yes. These are very basic terms. Manly P. Hall spoke in his books extensively yes. about having this faith and have true faith, true will, and applying will in a proper way, not in a willful, stubborn way. Right. And explain the difference. So now you're a person who's listening to you. You're someone in our audience and say there's something going on in your body and doctors have been pushing you around. You've been on every drug. It's not going the way you want. And you're you're now making a statement to self. How does that kind of will and belief look? And how do you employ it? I look at it like this. Um, if people were tuned into themselves, they would either get information through their consciousness or in dreams. But since most people don't do that, their own higher self manifests something in their physical being to make you stop look and listen to question what things you're doing. So what do you do? You say to yourself, this just didn't befall me because I'm an unlucky person. 
could I have brought this on upon myself because of something I've done in my life or a belief system? When people call, and I've counseled people now, oh, gosh, it's been like 50 years. That's the first thing I start talking to them. What was going on in your life 12 to 16 months before your diagnosis? Key number one. So if anyone's listening, pause for a moment and go back. What was happening 12 to 16 months ago before this fully manifested? Yes, and every single time the person will say, oh, and it's going to be a multitude, family, friend, loved one, husband, wife, father. Oh, yeah, uh, audit by the IRS, whatever it was. It was something that overwhelmed the psyche of that particular person. And then we start peeling it. So somebody in your audience needs to look. And believe me, God and the world does not rash, just punish people for no reason. We are breaking some sort of, whether it's the law of nature. Now, what is law of nature? If you gluttonly stuff yourself or you take things you're allergic to, you're going to get ill. Yeah. And if you do erroneous thinking, that's negative, negative, negative. And we're going to discuss this little voice. Why is this little voice that's always inside every one of us always dwelling on the negative thing that happened? You and I have an experience. The little voice is going, should have done this. Why didn't we do that? This is going to happen. But if you have a happy experience, it doesn't last very long. Why is that little voice just be happy through the whole day and go, oh, my gosh, this was great. And then you would find people happy and fulfilled. But that little voice is always going, "Ah, no, no, this is wrong. This is going to happen. This person is going to tell me off. I've got to do that. That little voice is digging and gnawing like a mouse on something on the wire. (laughs) And so I look at let's start addressing this this inward more. Ask the same person in the audience, is that little voice just clanging on you over and over and over? Then you need to quiet it down. And stop. Just take a pause and trace it. What just made that little voice speak up because then you're just getting into deep subconscious stuff. And, you know, people like to beat up on the subconscious mind. I mean, it's one of my passions is the notion of what we're, what we're listening to within our own mindset. And the subconscious is there to try to protect us on a survival level. Yes. So it doesn't want us to do anything that detaches us from the community or that could be perceived as uh, wrong. So we could be outcast and thus unsafe or right down to, you know, something that's more specific about walking in front of a car or whatever. But it's, I think it's there gnawing at us because it's just doing its job, which is We're trying human. to protect us. It's protecting us. Make sure you're part of the tribe. Everything's okay. You're yes. safe. Yes. So we don't beat it up, but we have to stop and say, hold on a minute now. There's no reason for me to be asking that question. Try the old five-minute test and listen and watch everything your mind brings up. Exactly. Even though you say, okay, this is what it is. We're just going to do this. Look how many subjects and times, and I don't care how far along you go, that little voice is there because it's part of the mechanism of being in a physical body. Oh, yeah. It's just a part of a survival mechanism. Right. 
That's all. So we don't have to beat it up, but we don't have to listen to it either all the time. Yeah, don't walk out in front of a car. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Don't bump into things. Right. Beyond that, you know, you you don't have to listen to the chatter. So you and I before off camera, we had uh, talked about the notion of where humans have broken through certain limits. Like it was a big one when Roger Bannister broke through the four-minute mile, for example. Yes, and uh, I have an extensive sports background, so I'm very familiar and you were in track. Yes, yeah. I, ran, I ran track yeah. and field, but I, I was a sprinter, not that the mile. Yeah. But nobody believed you could break four minutes. They they really, there were some writings that said your joints would not be able to hold up in a physical They'd blow body. apart. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they would just fall apart on the track, all the bones. <clears throat> and then somebody said in order to break it, it would have to be a 68-degree day, no wind, perfect conditions, and good competition. So here's Roger Bannister in England. Rainy, windy day. It was worse than 68 degrees. There was no really other good runner, and he runs 359.4. He broke the four minutes. And after that, all kinds of other athletes were able to break four minutes. But why? They were perfect physical specimens, but that was not enough. They needed to the believe okay. it was possible. Right. Do you know what Roger Bannister had to say was going on inside him that day? Did he ever make a comment about what he, was going and, on? And, and by the way, he was knighted, so he ended up Sir Roger Bannister. Yes. He was a medical doctor. He was a competitive athlete. Did yeah. he ever say what happened that day when he just yeah. broke through? I never read, although I I, I've read reports from him, but it never really said, I knew, no, he, he was a competitor and he went out and maybe because the conditions were bad, he had to do more to overcome them. <laughs> and sometimes that is the motivation. And that is what we'll find in some of the other examples Yes, is that there is a motivator that came into play where we shifted gears from our habit, our fear, our or belief, to our true potential. Yeah, yeah. Shifted gears. Yeah, because I never read him saying things. anything particularly profound about that day either. No. I thought maybe you had. And there was not enough competition. Like, it was neck and neck, like a horse race. Yeah. Boom, boom, they hit the wire. No, it was by himself. And he broke it for everyone. Correct. It's for all the others waiting to break it, to yes. believe they could. Yeah. Which is wonderful, because it's such a simple, clean little example. Now let's talk about, I want to go into, because we have some images that um, you've shared with me, and I said, we've got to share these. So people who've watched us before understand that you learned early in life that this body can respond very quickly to thought, mind, and yes. intention. And so you've helped, I don't know, hundreds, if not thousands by now, I don't know, of people. And uh, one day you said, you I was in your home and you said, well, this is what it's like, Regina, and you handed me a pillowcase. And the pillowcase had a bunch of letters in it and said, you can kind of see how it works. And people like, oh, my God, the tumor went away. Thank you so much. I, I, I'll i love you forever. You know, it was love letters because you've helped people. Right. And you don't charge for it. It's just what you are and do and from the past through now. So on that note, let's talk about this man that came to you. And um, he had these nasty looking red I don't know what you call them, all over his neck and his head and his face. Well, what were they? I mean, he he spoke and, he, and it would say FaceTime. So I was never with him. 
and he woke up with these heavy, more than just surface blotches, but yeah. lumps uh, all over his body. Yeah. And we spoke a little bit, and he asked if I might be able to assist him. I said I would. And the next morning when he woke up, it was... We can see in the pictures yeah, there. It was 90%. Gone. It was Wait, gone. Did he call you? Uh, yes, he, he, well, he sent the pictures. He sent the pictures. He said he had sent the original pictures to a medical doctor. He said, Oh my God, we'll get you in because he contacted the doctor at night. You got to come in the next day and we'll look and see what's there. But he had a picture of the picture in his mind is of what he had. The picture in my mind is what he was not going to have. The picture in my mind which replaced his picture was that he it was clear. Template. Yes. Yeah. But before we make it, the people are going to be contacting me for healings. You and I discussed this. I don't do that as much as I told him. He has to investigate internally why these came up. The right. same thing we said before, because uh, he, of course, knew that I have helped individuals. And this is what I think makes the best healers. Healers don't heal people. People heal themselves. But the best healers are the ones who set up the best environment that the belief is going to yes, take place. The perfect template. Yes. The out, for the outcome. Yes. Why does it say in the Bible? Because in his own hometown, because of their non-belief, he could do no mighty miracles. This was Jesus, mm -hmm. because in his own hometown, there was a slightly different image than the rest of the world has of him. But there's a very profound statement there. Yes. If somebody was the one who does it, they should be able to do it every time. Right. It's their energy. What we're doing is supercharging people's concepts. By making an environment. And this is why I believe everybody listening to the news, all this division, all this negativity, as opposed to if you were in a society where everything was possible, where the belief system was so strong that people just assumed, well, you could instantaneously take care of this. Like the kahunas who were able to do their magic like the Laplanders in Lapland who sing particular songs and they heal, split open arteries, right. instantaneous healing. Why? Their culture believes and knows this is going to happen. So if you and I grew up in a society where everything is possible. Now, there is a great book by a man named Talbot called The Holographic Universe. Yes. And one of the chapters, chapter seven, is called A Pocket Full of Miracles. And in it, he talks about all these things you and I are going to talk about, including the example of a man named Nathan Corker, who was a blacksmith, who would handle uh, molten lead and put it in his mouth until it cooled off and nothing would happen to him or a 12-year-old boy who would throw red-hot horseshoes and play with them. And the doctors and the New York Herald in 1871 investigated, they analyzed, they go, 
their skin is just like everybody else. And they interviewed him. Little boy. Oh, nobody told me I can't play with these. <laughs> Nathaniel Cocker. Well, can't everybody do this? Like molten lava? Not lava, but, but people walk across lava yeah, also. Yeah. It is if you expect something to happen, if it is commonplace in that area, we are all capable of doing that. So the pocket full of miracles talks about societies that have a belief and everyone in the society can do exactly what they all believe. But even with that, Regina, I don't believe in making boundaries because that's what they believe. But could there be even more? Even more. Yes. Yes. Well, actually, I was going to bring something else up, but that's what this book is about. Correct. This amazing book. It's in French, and it's about the truth of miracles that had taken place and been documented in, what, 17, when was this book published? This book was published in 1737, Mm -hmm. and it is obviously the original book. Yes. And in the, around 1735 in Paris, France, individuals had gone to a tomb of their religious leader who had recently died. And there was a couple of very spontaneous healing. But then a whole group, more than a thousand people started going into a trance-like state where they would be struck with 30 pound sledgehammers 50 times in the stomach with no damage to the body. Women would lie on a spike and have a 50-pound stone drop 20 feet, no damage to the skin, nothing on their back. They were burned. They were cut and sliced with knives. Nothing penetrated their skin. So the Catholic Church at the time and the French Parliament (laughs) goes, whoa, wait a minute, we're hearing reports. So they send this author out from the from the parliament to investigate. He starts as a skeptic. Meanwhile, they had to send 3000 volunteers out to watch over these people because when they were being burned, the women's clothes would burn off, but they were naked. So the the church (laughs) sent out these people to protect for modesty purposes. And that's exactly what they said. Yeah. Well, This author goes out. This book is documented with notary testaments and statements of everything these people were doing, which is I'm not even stating it all. They they used hatchets. They used sledgehammers. (laughs) Nothing. I mean, did they do this to each other? I mean, no. They they invited the people. Strike me. They, They would say, strike me again. Hit, strike me again harder. So people brought harder. their whatever their apparatus from every single thing. Yeah, wow. And in this book are the the testimonials, what happened, the before, the after. So the result of this book <laughs> is this man is in prison in the Bastille because they <laughs> so they sent him out to document. And, it. That's they right, because they couldn't explain. They it. could not explain it. So then eventually, and I'm I'm not. Uh, I'm just going to mention the religion. The Catholic Church came and said, this was the devil's work, Mm -hmm. and the devil made all of them do that. However, why did this impress me? I have always been interested in human potential and how far we can go and beliefs and manifestations. And these thousands of people knew, they knew that they could not be harmed. Now, 
if somebody looks at that and thinks, wow, I mean, that's rare, 60 years, and by the way, they, they, people were called the convulsionaries. They were Janist philosophy Protestant. Now, 50 years before this, there was another uprising, uh, religious that the Catholic Church was not happy with, and that group of soldiers went out and were firing bullets at these people, and the bullets were found between their clothing and their body, <laughs> never striking their body. So I, as kind of a researcher, like these anomalies, but... Are they really anomalies or are all of us capable? If you have thousand people doing these things in this book, that's different than one man, yes, one exactly. prophet, one mystic. It's, yes. it's, it's not random one off. Exactly. Yeah. It's there. Yeah. Now, you and I are going to talk about is fear the motivator? Well, because that's what I wanted to ask you about is this hysterical strength. And now you touched on this a little while ago that someone – in a, under certain conditions, can lift far more than the human body is supposed to be capable. Right. And uh, you and I, before the show, I sent you about the woman whose little young baby boy is under the car, and the woman lifts the car, yes. lifts the car up, and the baby gets. And as a result, the person who wrote the story of the Hulk in the comic strip read that article, and the Hulk is based on this, this woman. woman. Yes. Yes, I was fascinated by, this by woman. that. But now here's the thing. She didn't do it out of, did she do it out of fear or out of love? She did it out of love. It's and her that, baby. And that's the difference. Okay, let's talk about that. Because most people would say, um, just by the current medical model, that her system was flooded with cortisol, and this gave her superhuman strength. And it was the cortisol responding to fear, like, stop this now. You know, my baby's going to be killed. So how how do we put these two concepts together? And is that kind of superhuman fear, um, superhuman love, how does that work if it's love versus fear? Or you, do you can't, believe, how, are the two the same? Believe, if we believe that it's fear yeah. and it's the cortisol, you know, the doctors and their limits and their yeah. explanations, yeah. even in science and physics, um, is nonsensical. They're always going, oh, this happened and, and, yeah. and this was present. So this had to be the cause. Right. Not necessarily. I can look at it and say, do we need to have cortisol to do superhuman feats? No, no, right. No. So let's talk about that for a moment. I believe that once it comes into our consciousness, here's a good example. Uh, when I read the book, the Pantagely aphorisms, yogi aphorisms, there were all the things you could do after 10 years of intensive yoga training. I was very fortunate to experience all of these two days after I read them mm -hmm. and I was eating meat and I certainly wasn't doing any kind of yogic stuff. But when I attempted to do it later out of curiosity, I wasn't able to, but I was shown that we are capable of doing all of these things. But if you believe you need 10 years of a yogi, then it's going to take 10 years. Absolutely. But the transcendentalists were hugging trees and getting cosmic consciousness. Right. 
as opposed, yogic story. Man, businessman, heavy-duty businessman wakes up one day and goes, what is life all about? What's what's my purpose? So he says to one of his partners, they say, go to the metaphysical bookstore. They will have the answers. So he goes and they go, you need to go to Tibet. Go to the yogis. So this man flies, goes to the Himalayas. Wrong time of year, not dressed, collapses in the snow. So... When he wakes up, the yogis are there and they go, what are you doing here? And he goes, I've come for the secret of existence. Have I come to the right place? And they go, no. And he goes, well, where do I need to go? They said, where did you come from? And he mentioned your city, whatever. And they said, that's where the answer is. It's always with you. It's not outside. It's not with anybody else. It is with us. So we want to believe it takes 10 years. It's going to take 10 years. You want to believe, which I've seen someone burned in my presence with an iron, was getting a blister. They joked, hey, you're supposed to be the healer. Why don't you do something? So I went over. It was gone, but they still had a pain. Blew on it. The pain was gone. Why? No special I don't want people writing me. I want them to understand. Do, do it do yourself. yourself yes. and know that it is, is possible. And I'm probably a good example because I'm, go, I'm a goofball. I was in sports. I eat meat. I enjoy being with the opposites. You don't have to be celibate and only eat vegetarian if that's the belief. This is the incredible Earth plane era we live in, Regina, right now. But P.P. Quimby, the great healer, said, thought is like the aroma of a rose. You don't see the aroma, but it permeates. But understand, everybody's rose auras or negative auras are coming upon us every second. Yes. They're, they're permeating. And can we stop it? Yes, if we're aware that we may be feeling not bad within ourselves, but we're, it's called pickup. We're picking up the energies of other people. Right. We're picking up their vibrations. Thoughts are everything. Yes. And now there was a great book many years, 30 years. The body believes every word you say. Why is it then that we have so much harder a time healing ourselves when even when you can work with healing energy as you do and others including myself do with other people and and right before i answered that question i want to go back to an experience i had when i I was first in the field a very good friend of mine called me up a nurse and said our friend cindy she's in a bathtub now she's in excruciating pain please she does not want to go into the hospital and this is coming from a nurse friend saying We don't want to take her to the hospital. Please help her with the pain. So I go over, and within minutes, all the pain was gone. And I was very proud of myself. And then the voice goes, she's got to go to the hospital right now. So I said, you've got to go to the hospital. So they go into the hospital, and the hospital said, 30 minutes more, 
and she'd have been dead. Dead. Now, wow. what happened? Mm. I just got rid of the pain. The pain. You that's, didn't get rid of the problem. That's exactly right. <clears throat> so this stuff is nuanced. And we all, every one of us has to start playing with this in our own way. But the main thing is to understand this capability actually is going to become everyday stuff, not magic. In our future incarnations, which we're already leading into, yes. this will be everyday stuff that we as a species do. From the people who yes. are going to be open. And, yes. and I always would love everybody to have these. And I did not answer your question why we we tend to always be stronger in the and negative. someone else. Yes, than our own self. Yeah. Yes. Why is that? I, I can look and be brutally honest and say it's the same thing with me. I, I have, I'm in my 75th year. I've been doing this for a long time and I have things happen and I ask myself yeah. that because there, there is a little bit of doubt. But when I've analyzed myself sometimes, I've said, do I deserve this? Do I deserve being able to use this energy I have to help other people on myself. So despite studying and being involved and working with thousands of people, we're all human. We live in a human body, and I go through the same things as as other people do. Yes, you do. I know, because I know you. I know you. And so... Maybe this is part of it, too, is this beauty in the fact that it is a circle. We're all here together, and we're all here to help one another. And to also have the humility in ourselves to say, I'm not at my strongest. Can you help me? Yes, and, and that is important. So when, because I don't want people leaving the show going, oh, my God, I'm not going to go to my doctor. I'm not going to listen no, to I'm people. No, I'm going to call Stephen. No, <laughs> no, this is to re- start looking inside. It's, it's about balance. Yes. You know, Jesus was the balanced middle way. The Buddha is the, the balanced path. It, it is knowing when we should or could be doing things and when we need assistance. Uh, I have never joined any group organization, but that doesn't mean that I don't find them interesting or have not taken things. I just don't want to be limited by the concepts of who we are listening to working. That is why, and, and you know the library, it's a 20,000 volume library. World Research Foundation, yes. your library, that has books like these in it. I made a point never to read this, two books in a row by the same author. Interesting. I, another, read another. Because you're just reinforcing the belief then. Over and over yeah. and over. Now, I'm not saying I didn't speed read the second one to get back to the first, <laughs> but yeah. it was Emerson said, when I find narrow viewpoints, I find narrow reading. And that is exposure. So what is the key? What's the underlying key? To be with positive people. To not listen to the freaking news and the TV hour after hour. I don't like this. I don't. That's negative, 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 negative. And then we wonder, well, how come we can't be positive? How come we can't heal ourselves? Why? Because we're bathing in a sea of negativity. Well, yeah. see, that's beautiful. Your audience is lucky they have you, but I think no. they know. That. They already know this about themselves. <laughs> Most of them have quit watching that stuff. <laughs> but, yeah. But, but, but that's you. the point. One final question, because our time is up and it's <clears> just flown. All these things we didn't get to, goodness gracious. Um, but the difference between belief and faith. Yes. 
Well, the 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 explanation, if you look at the encyclopedia or dictionary, would be with with faith. It is you, you know it's going to happen. With belief, it's a belief. You think it may happen. It's still a little theoretical. You know. Exactly, yeah. and that is why the three edicts that the great alchemist Paracelsus, the greatest mystic alchemist healer of all time. The three keys to all manifestation, imagination, faith, and will. Picture what you want to manifest. Know, he didn't say believe, know that it must manifest and the will to stay the course until it does happen. So what, what do I want to leave your audience with? Trust yourself. Know these things are possible. Immerse yourself and know these are not rare occurrences, but they're there. You do not need to be jacked up with fear. But if you just know Life and Teachings of the Masters of the Far East by Baird Spaulding, five volume set. Read volume one to the half of volume two about what people supposedly in India we're doing. Why supposedly? They have investigated and a lot of people say, hey, he never met these masters. He did in the internal realms who are passing information. Yes. Listen to the spirits around us. What is possible? Well, there's nothing we can add to that. Stephen, thank you so much. It's such a joy being around you always. Thank you. And thank you for bringing to us the absolute necessity for us to begin having faith, faith, knowing in ourselves. And be happy. And be happy. Luffle. <laughs> Thank you again, Stephen. Again, if you're not familiar with Stephen's work, you can enjoy hours of viewing my previous conversations with him here on Gaia. You can also go to lesscomplicated.net to connect with Stephen and his truly praiseworthy archive of documents and books on philosophy, healing, and many other subjects from throughout the ages. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Amen. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to read the, the darker print things that our sister Caroline said in her message to Lightbringers uh, this week. So the first one is, and this is due to the move to the new earth timeline, as well as the powerful solar frequencies occurring now with your son Saul. And so the process of releasing from your energy bodies all that will not resonate with that timeline is equally powerfully going on now. You are in the process of moving into telepathic communication and the processes of relaying and receiving information energetically rather than with words and word thoughts. And in those moments, you will begin to realize that you are carrying out tasks during your waking hours that you have already laid the groundwork for in your sleep state as you're working energetically 
as you travel out of the body to various parts of the earth and beyond. You are experiencing the physical starting to recede in your perception of life, giving way to the full realization that everything is part of the great energetic flow of light and vibrational frequency. Turn the page. You are seeing in these moments the last vestiges of the old order, which is daily fading into increasing levels of weakness and despair, felt as rage and expressed in a scramble to regain some last remnant of control. Humanity is opening up ever more fully to the solar light pouring onto the planet now, which speaks in total vibration and in messaging that adjusts to the path of each individual receiving these light particles. We work with you and many beautiful things, including your soul families, to assist in reintegrating those parts of your soul, your earth-based spirit and psyche, that have fragmented and some of it held separate from you by those of dark intent. Then... So, not only humanity, rather also the very resonance of the planet has risen powerfully now. Here is the power of individuals working together to require respect, fair compensation, and working conditions that protect their contributions and their life energies. Well, it's almost at the end. Do not fear or resent this process. And do not trouble yourselves regarding this official action or that. Uh, Take genuine pleasure in every good thing. Whether the meal on your plate or singing your favorite song or the beauty of nature. Concentrate on the beauty of what you have been given and on those parts of the world that are experiencing peace and well-being. Consider that you are here to not only witness higher light pouring in, rather to enjoy and become the light in love and in thankfulness. All right, and declare each day, all is well, the scales have tipped, our sovereignty is reclaimed, earth is free. We will say again 
you carry the energies of Masara within you. And you anchor, anchor it as an increasing reality in your heart space till critical mass is reached and you hear that announcement made. These are more fleets of your star families surrounding, surrounding the planet now than could ever begin than we could ever begin to count. All right, now I'm passing this talking stick to my sister Rainbird. And this Emerald Serpent Feather one is here and all those little people and big ones. Here it comes, Rainbird. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> Thank <Good>. you. <laughs> yeah, what a great day. It was wonderful. It was. It- yeah, just and it just flowed so well. I mean, just from one thing to the other, it was like you could tie it all together or not, and it was just fun. Lots of gratitude. Thank you, Richard. Okay, Rama, what do you have for us? Tell us what it's called. Pleiadians, mind-blowing revelation, awaken your supernatural potential through DNA. And this is Aurora Ray, right? Yeah. Here we go. Event night, and it's a new day, everyone. And we'll see you all there on the bridge tonight in your dreams. And we wish everyone a much of aloha. See you tomorrow as well, as you wish to come and join us with Cheryl Croce. I'll just give that number out. Uh, it's an adventure. It's it's getting exciting, to say the least, because we know the light is one. And as we keep our thoughts in the new, it manifests, and it manifests more and more every day. And that's the way the light works. Okay, just one more page here to get that number. Coming right up. Okay, and this is at um, 10 to 7, our time in mountain time. So that would be 10 to 9 Eastern and 10 to 6 in the in the Pacific, 425-436-6260. And the PIN code is 946-7441-POUND. All right. Aloha. Satnam. Satnam T. 13 thank yous. Honey in the heart. No evil. And... Namaste. Bye, everybody.